Greetings and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here this Saturday afternoon for Tara and Rama's Saturday afternoon program, The True Planetary and Galactic History, Herstory, and True History, Herstory of Nasara. Infinite blessings to all. We are going to call in the Violet Ray and the Blue Ray that always work together as we begin. So please take this time to join us in our opening meditation, going into the heart center now. Going into your sacred heart portal. Join me in calling forth the full emergence and integration with your soul, with your higher self, with your monad, with your mighty I am presence. And all of your multidimensional being through to your God presence and goddess presence. See yourself in your pillar of light. Fully anchored to source and fully anchored to the heart of Mother Earth. As the blue ray, that first ray of God's perfection, God's will, God's power, strength truth, protection, and the violet ray of mercy and compassion and transmutation and transformation flow through you, through every fiber of your being. As we recommit ourselves to being the bridge between heaven and earth, the anchor for the new golden age and the open door that no one can shut. So we welcome everyone across the planet to join us. We do that by saying, please affirm with me, I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with every man, woman, and child I am one with all my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. And see everyone joining us in their pillar of light as well. And unity consciousness working with us for ascension and the anchoring of heaven on earth. So we invite in for one and all, all soul extensions, planetary and galactic all of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, all the generations past, all the generations forward, our spiritual lineage, our soul family and soul pots. We welcome for one and all, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council, our mission council. We welcome the assistance of all the kingdoms, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature, the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, all magical kingdoms, 
We welcome all of the realms of the angels, from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim, and all angelic healing teams. We welcome all the ascended masters, the brotherhood of light, the sisterhood of the rays and rose, the order of Melchizedek, the radiant ones, all of the enlightened masters, all divine mother emissaries, divine father emissaries, all of the planetary and cosmic hierarchy of light, all ascended master healers and healing teams. We welcome all of our friends from the Galactic Federation of Light, and most especially the healing teams that we work so closely with, from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, and from Venus, and all cosmic, galactic, universal healers that can be of service. We welcome the assistance of the entire company of heaven, asking our Mother, Father, God to magnify, magnify, magnify all that we do 10 billion times, 10 billion fold in alignment with divine will and divine law. We call forth all the rays, all the flames, all the universal laws and ascension waves. And with every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation. We ask that it be received for one and all through every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of our orc field multidimensionally on a conscious, subconscious, and superconscious level as well. We ask to easily digest and assimilate, ground and anchor, integrate and embody all that we receive with the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy, serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium, without resistance on any level, without discomfort on any level, without fear on any level, in love and light and laughter. We invite in all in our circle of support, which is everyone ultimately, from the very first name that created it to every man, woman, and child, every family member and loved one, every animal and pet, every group, every organization, every meeting, every summit, every business and corporation, each and every institution, each nation, each government, each military, each weather situation, each aspect of climate change. Each and every situation, including those that are not based on love, any violence, any destruction going on throughout the world, we have that all in the circle of support. And everything that you hold in your heart through your intention, know that it's added in. And we ask everyone, again, to join us in all that we receive. We call in all of the energy of this sacred month, including the energy around the harmonic convergence, the anniversary of which was just this week. And we call it into our collective cup of consciousness to transform the planet and truly manifest heaven on earth. 
we ask Gaia to receive all that we receive through her chakras and meridians and layers of her orc field multidimensionally. Through every molecule of soil, molecule of air, molecule of water, molecule of fire. Through her ley lines and soul lines, through the grid system, through the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid system. Through every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site, every place of power, every stargate, every city of light. As we continue up the spiral of evolution, along with Mother Gaia, as she takes her rightful place as Freedom Star. And so we are working with the blue ray and the violet ray. We ask for the highest of transmutation as we begin. In the name of the great I am, I call for the light of a thousand suns from the great central sun. Angels of violet fire, beloved Saint Germain, Beloved Zadkiel and Holy Amethyst, Amritas, ruler of the violet planet. In the name of God, Goddess, I am that I am. Saturate the earth and all of her evolution with limitless, limitless waves of violet fire. I call for the action of the violet transmuting flame and the action of the will of God, Goddess, to manifest on earth, now and forever. An ever-increasing spiral of divine perfection. I call for all discord and activities on earth that are not reflecting the highest light and love of our Mother, Father, God. And God's holy purpose is to be miraculously swept and transformed by the power of the violet flame into divine love and harmony for the restoration of earth and her people into their original blueprint of perfection that was originally intended. Violet flame, violet flame, oh violet flame. In the name of God, goddess, flood the earth, her people, and all her kingdoms with oceans and oceans and oceans of violet fire until every particle of life is restored to divine perfection. May peace and love be spread throughout the earth. May the earth abide in the aura of perfect love. May the earth abide in an aura of peace, love, and freedom. I give thanks that it is done now according to God's most holy will. So be it and so it is. And we give thanks for this, we give thanks for this, we give thanks for this. We focus now on the energy of the blue ray. Beloved, I am presence, light of my soul. Beloved Amoria, beloved Archangel Michael and your legions of blue flame angels. Infuse within my soul and all around me a river of blue flame love. By the power of three times three, sustain and expand this love without limit. Let your protection take dominion over the earth and over every man, woman, and child on the planet. Protect the youth, 
the elderly and the innocents. Consume within me and within the earth all that does not portray the divine will of our Mother, Father, God. Let love, freedom, and true knowledge of the divine be reestablished on earth now and forever. I am that I am. By all God's love, I know I am the power and authority on earth to command life free and the return to wholeness of everything on it. I call the power of blue flame love to establish the new golden age of enlightenment and true brotherhood and sisterhood on earth. Let the victory of the will of God prevail on earth. Let the flame of cosmic love and wisdom prevail on earth. May peace prevail on earth, and so be it, and so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. And so it is. We call forth peace and harmony and balance for all. Beloved presence of God, goddess, I am. Oh, beloved, I immortal, victorious, threefold flame of life. Expand within us and in the fullness of your divine power, raise us into your mighty perfection. Blaze forth visible to the side of all life and enfold all within your dazzling presence of harmony and balance. May all humanity hear and obey your mighty command for perfection to now manifest upon the earth. Reveal your eternal law of life, the mighty truth and reality of your own being. Set all life free and hold your dominion within us and all humanity forever. The beloved, immortal, victorious, threefold flame of Almighty God is within each holy temple. Let all the life on earth adore its mighty power and be at peace. In humble, willing, adoring, illumined obedience to this, our one supreme source of life. <clears throat> Through the harmony of my true being, I perceive and externalize every minute perfect health in every cell, organ, and electron of my four lower bodies. Through the harmony of my true being, I receive and externalize every minute God's supply in limitless abundance, filling my every need. Through the harmony of my true being, I create and externalize every minute an aura of perfect peace, harmony, and balance, which acts as a natural conductor of God's will to all life wherever I am. Through the harmony of my true being, I perceive and externalize every minute the will of our Mother, Father, God in understanding, illumination, and freedom. And so it is. 
And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We breathe in the energy of cosmic peace and call forth the ray, the golden ray of eternal peace and infinite abundance to flood this planet now. In the name of the infinite presence of God, Goddess, I am. I call to my own God, Goddess, presence. Enfold me now in your mighty presence of peace until I truly radiate that essence to all with whom I come in contact. Please join me in saying, I am peace. I am peace. I am peace. Envision with me as we say. I now behold the entire planet enfolded in the golden essence of peace. And I behold the pink essence of love, joyously crowning every electron of that peace. I decree that from this day and this moment forward, every expression I make shall be qualified with divine peace. The cosmic flame of peace through me is now blessing all humanity. All the forces of the elements, the kingdom of nature, the angelic kingdom, and every living thing in every realm according to their various needs. The earth is a sea of peace. Peace reigns in every heart evolving upon this planet. Freedom's holy star. I accept this call fulfilled as God Goddess's most holy name. And so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. And now for each of us and for all humanity, we ask to activate the flame of happiness as we affirm, I am happiness. Through the power of God, Goddess, blazing in my heart, I offer myself as the conductor of God's limitless happiness and joy into the world of form. I invoke every part of life which has ever contributed to the cosmic fount of happiness and joy since the beginning of time to come now and pour the flame of happiness through me to bless all life evolving on this sweet earth. Blaze the flame of happiness and joy through all physical, etheric, mental, and emotional substance on earth until all is raised into the embrace of God's heart. Illumine each part of life with the wisdom and understanding that according to their acceptance of this precious gift, 
will it manifest daily in their life experiences. I dedicate myself now to be the perpetual open portal to reach the full gathered momentum of God's happiness and joy will flow to bless all life eternally. It is done. So be it and so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Take a nice deep breath. We call for Sandalphon and Gaia to assist us to easily and effortlessly assimilate, digest, ground and anchor, integrate and embody all that we have called forth here individually and collectively for all life, for both personal and planetary and cosmic ascension, ever expanding into perfection moment to moment. And we give thanks, we give thanks, we give thanks for this all. So I want to take this moment to thank you for your divine service here with me today. And of course, we always thank Tarn Rama for their divine service and Rainbird for hers. But I'd like you to join us, if you can, every Sunday and Monday for further divine service for the Ascension Meditation and Activation Calls. We begin at 8.45 each evening, Eastern Time, 8.45 p.m., 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time, with some greetings. And then, about 10 after, Tarn Rama come in for a brief update. By 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time, we start our work in earnest of bringing heaven to earth, anchoring the highest ascension energies, again, for personal and planetary, as well as cosmic ascension energies for ourselves, for all the planet, through our meditations, through our invocations, through our visualizations, through our updates. So please join us every Sunday and Monday. If you haven't joined us, here's the phone number right now. The main number for the call, it's all a teleconference call. The main number is area code 425-436-6260. Again, that's area code 425-436-6260. And the access code is 946-7441-POUND. 946-7441-POUND. We'd love to have you join us. Let us know that you found out about the calls from the Saturday program. We are working diligently, and we would love to have you as part of our family of life. So infinite blessings to this family of light. Love to all of you. Have a magical week filled with wondrous blessings and miracles. 
as, again, we thank Torn Rama for their service and Rainbird for her service as well. I'm going to pass the talking stick to you, Rainbird. It's filled with the violet and the blues, filled with the threefold flame, the blue, pink, and yellow, the golden energy of divine peace, and all the symbols of happiness. There's bluebirds, there's fairies, there's some elves. There's all kinds of um, beings that are supporting this talking stick and this energy of our transmutation, our blue flame love and divine will, our harmony, our balance, our peace, and our happiness. I wish that all for you and for everyone as I pass this talking stick to you, Ringbear. Thank you, Cheryl. I'll take that talking stick. Thank you for your divine service as well. And it's a beautiful talking stick with all that love and happiness and <laughs> and peace. So thank you. So I'm here to do the housekeeping as we are a listener-supported radio program. It's each of us that makes it happen. And uh, we need $300 each week for our with BBS Radio, and this week we need 406 still. So um, here's how we make it happen. We go to, well, I'll first specify that we'd like to have that 106 that we're over as soon as possible, and the rest is, the other 300 is due on Monday. So if we could get that happening in a good way, it'd be wonderful. Here's how we do it. We go to bbsradio.com, and what we're looking for is the schedule or the menu for the different programs. As you click on that schedule, then you'll want to scroll down to Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and at the 6 o'clock hour on Thursday, on the radio station 2, is a night at the round table with Tara and Rama, I mean, with the panel, excuse me, and... uh you can click on that icon and that will take you directly to your account. And then also on radio station two, this program, the true history history of Mystera, like galactic origins. There's that icon with Tara and Rama. You'll see that icon at the one thirty hour. And um, you can click on that icon that will take you to our account with CBS and make that donation there. For the Friday program, that's on radio station one. So you just click the radio station one, look for the clock hour on Friday night. That icon is there for the hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Lala. And uh, that, that, as you click on that, that'll take you to our account as well. So that's how we do it. And uh, so lots of gratitude for your participation and keeping us on the air in a good way and and keeping our family together in this way as we, we, we gather each week to meet this way and do the work that we do is very meaningful. So, so much gratitude for your input. So, also, we're assisting Tara and Rama with their needs, and they don't have much for bills, but they have lots of personal needs. They really need some funds for going to town and getting gas and getting the things that they need for their their animal <laughs> cartel. <laughs> the cat herd <laughs> and with the bunny and the magic rabbit. So 
So all that takes money, and um, yeah, they that's what they need this week. So, um, as for sending a donation to Taran Rama, what you want to do is you go to the website rainbowroundtable.net, and there on the home page you'll see that menu grid. Just click on that, and that menu will drop down near the bottom of that menu is the donate link. That takes you directly to Rama's PayPal account. So click on that link, go to Rama's PayPal account, and make that donation there for Tara and Rama. And thank you for your generosity. Now, if you have your own PayPal account, you would want to go directly into your own PayPal account to access the friends option by putting in Rama's email there for who you're gifting it to. And that email address for Rama is Koran99, I'm not, yeah, the email for the PayPal is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999-49 at hotmail.com. And that way you access that friends option and it just eliminates the commercial charges. Either way, it's perfect. We are so grateful for all of your contributions and uh, so much gratitude. So here's Here's what we do after we sent some money. We want to let Rama know. So shoot him an email at Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999, at Comcast.net. And let him know when what you sent and when you sent it. And uh, that works perfectly. So as you need it, and, and Rama does need it. Tonight he needs to have some money to go put in the car so that they can do get the toilet paper they need, get the laundry done that they need to do, and just just a lot of things they need to do. So if someone could, could send like 50, 100 bucks tonight, that would be awesome. The mailing address, if you need it, Rom D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D. Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z. And that's at Post Office Box 280 and that's Santa Cruz, New Mexico, in the zip code 87567. So Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. That's the, that's the zip. So if anybody could just send them some emergency funds tonight, that would just be totally awesome. So much gratitude. They do need it right away. <laughs> and... uh yeah, so 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. Long life, no evil. And I'm passing this talking stick, but I'll first give you the address and, and, and a small update for Shop Free Mark. It's no longer called Shop Free Mark, and this is where we've been going and starting up and getting things for um, good, really high-quality supplements. If they've changed it to be... Compliant with new gen, and so it has a new address, and it's https colon forward slash forward slash www.newgenmark, M-U-G-E-N-M-A-R-T, forward slash P-A-R-R-A-M. And as far as I know, they're not doing any commissions anymore. They're making sure that they're completely compliant at new gen to with the uh, any regulations on that sort of um, downline activity that they um, 
we're used to participating in. So that's that's kind of history, and you can go to that address and find out more about it. And I'm sure the old address will work for a while as you use that, so either way. And so the other one is if you're interested in engaging with the new gen option, that address https colon forward slash forward slash www.newgencoin.com. And then I'm not even sure to, to tell you the truth whether it still applies forward slash M-A-R-N-O-R is uh, one address that we can use and the other one T-A-R-R-A-M is the other sponsor. So either one of those are sponsors. And I'm not sure exactly how that changes too. Anything that's on the public exchange will not be, won't be any commissions applied is what I'm understanding. And I don't know about these other coin exchange. I'm just not quite up on it. Maybe somebody else might know more than me. So with that, I'm going to pass this talking stick and Michelle said it best. This is full of all those flames and rays and um, all that good happiness, love and peace energy. I love those birds that are there. So with all that, greetings, Tara and Rama. Here comes Talking Stick. Greetings, all you commanders, eagles, and angels. Thank you, Rainbird. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Rainbird. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, everyone, for being here. And... There is uh, hope in the air. Yes. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. Even though... Healing on planet Earth. Yeah. Healing of planet Earth. Cheryl says something different words. Do you yes. remember, Rainbird, what Cheryl says for hope? Healing our planet Earth. Is that what Cheryl says? Well, did she say it just now? I, mean, I can't remember it, but I know that that's what she has said before, healing our planet Earth. Well, maybe it's heaven on planet Earth. Oh, that, that's right. That's what she says, heaven. Yeah, there you go, heaven on planet Earth. So there you go, we're updated. Okay, thank you for remembering that, Rainbird. That, uh, there's just something very hopeful. I mean, we really know we won. Yeah. And of course we gotta make it our life. Uh it doesn't just happen and then I go back and doing something different. Uh and uh I was watching this uh brother um on PBS. He's been there before, but it's called Memory Rescue with Daniel Amen, M D. The award-winning psychiatrist, neuroscientist, and author demonstrates ways to strengthen memory and treat major risk factors that destroy the brain. That is a very, very important piece. And I'm just, you know, uh... It's during our lifetimes, the, this prophet's generation, where waking up to the right diet, 
for the human <laughs> uh, was really delved into. And uh, toward the end of the show, he brought up music. He said, he said, Stevie Wonder said, music at its essence is what gives us memories. That's a wild statement. Yes. And uh, we created a lot of songs for peace, this uh, prophet's generation. And this younger generation, well, Generation X, Y, and Z, and Generation Z, Mike is a part of Generation Z 37, going on 38. This December 7th on Hiroshima Day, he will become 38. I just, the statement of him being born on that day, he was supposed to be born like September, I mean, uh, November, uh, he was supposed to be a Scorpio on like November 24th, 25th, right in there. And he said, nope. And uh, it was interesting because I finally said, okay, I'm going to make the diapers. <laughs> I made all these diapers by hand. And then he said, okay, now I'll come. And again, he was born in the presence of a whole family with all seven children present. That's pretty amazing. I'll just say that's one, two, uh, for the books. But uh, I, I just, you know, the idea that music at its essence is what gives us memories, that's a very important Oh, freedom, oh, freedom, oh, freedom over me. And before I see my grave, no, and before I be a slave, I will be buried in my grave and go home to my Lord and be free. Uh, we're not, no more dying either. No, no more dying. And uh, having the brain be led through music and memories of through music Let's 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 do that. Let's do that. Um, so uh, let's see, Ramos. Shall you share with us, or shall I just read this, or what? Yeah, go ahead and read it. Go ahead and read it. Okay. This is the message Rama received today from. Who did you speak with? Natasha. Lady Natasha. Right. That's a big deal. This is a very interesting piece because I know that you all know, or as you're new, then you don't, but Rama was born into the Romanov family. Yes. Your grandmother on your mother's side was the youngest child of the the Romanov family. Yeah. And... uh, all of her siblings were murdered in yeah. Russia, in the Soviet Union at the time. And she Rasputin and that whole Bolshevik story. You know, there was somebody that was coming on our calls decades ago, and he was insisting that Rasputin was another incarnation of St. Germain. Is that a dude? I don't know that about a, that. Is that a dodo bird? 
I Dunn's cat statement. I don't know anything about that. I oh, know, he read things in detail uh, oh, on the conference call. I know Rasputin was some kind of mystic wizard, but he turned to the dark side. I just remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that other incarnation of St. Germain, he vowed uh, in the church. Yeah, he was the Order of Dracul. Vladimir the Impaler was his name. And he went out there uh, during the Crusades, right? Mm, It was in the 1450s. Yeah, Crusades. And he was impaling all these people on the battlefield. Yeah. And the story, the one that was Bram Stoker, right? Yes. Uh, That that did that. Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, That, if you haven't seen that version of Dracula. Good love story. Not just that, it's telling a real story that's true. Yes. And the other ones are all... talking about people that would eat the flesh and drink the blood of humans <coughs> for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's that's the that's the uh, 13 families way of life. Yes. They kill and eat children on a regular basis. But that is ending. That is not allowed. And that ritual sacrifice, that there's about 500,000 of these people that still do it to this day, and they're going to be politely <laughs> escorted onto starships, and the galactics are going to escort them off the planet and take them to Dracos, and they will be tried for their intergalactic war crimes against humanity in all time-space continuums of this universe of Nebaton, right? Yes which is a very large story. And uh, Earth is ascending at the moment, and she's only the 33rd planet of 80 billion planets in this... Is that in the galaxy? Yeah, it's in this galaxy. That's just limited to the Milky Way galaxy, which is part of the universe of Nevadon. So we're talking about something... As Bernie says, huge. And uh, I know Bernie knows these things in his own way. Yeah, he does. He knows so well the battle of the bulge, as you might say, that's been going on in D.C. And these are called renegade reptiles, these Republicans. And they're not a party. They are a Nazi contingency from the past who want to control the whole planet which in essence in this system that they've devised has made that so and uh, uh, since the only answer is love and that's all there is it cannot stand you want to say something about that Ron? Ditto. <laughs> so we're going to read something first 
And then we're going to listen to uh, Brother David Ike. He's got something here that's called, I Believe Our Time Has Come. This is a 45-minute piece. And it's a new David Ike interview, which is very interesting. That's showed up. And then after that, we're going to play something by our friend Billy Carson. And the title of this one is The Hidden Black Kings and Queens of Ancient Egypt. That's an hour and one minute. And then as a final piece, we're going to play something by Billy Carson again called The Origins of Positive Affirmations by Billy Carson. And that's 24 minutes and three seconds. So that ought to carry us through the first part of the program. Let's read this to start with. This is Meg Benedict's take on the moments here. And she starts off saying, <clears throat> We are experiencing escalating solar activity as Earth advances towards solar maximum come 2025. This past week since Lionsgate, has been especially intense. The annual gateway acts like a threshold point, a launching pad for new energy streams to materialize. We experience the phenomena like a sonic boom, uh, an exploding force that propels us into the next level of our evolution. True to form, Lionsgate shattered another glass in my hand as my energy hit threshold. We are currently in a system override on planet Earth. We see evidence of global thresholds bursting in intense solar flares, melting ice caps, extreme climate changes, and the rising frequencies of the geomagnetic... Oh. Rainbird, I can hear you. You didn't mute your phone, sister. <laughs> Hope you heard me. <laughs> okay, there we go. We see... Thank you. We see evidence of global thresholds bursting in intense solar flares. Rainbird? Rainbird? It's Penny. Oh, it's Penny. Okay. Yes. Okay. I calling on you. Yes, thank you, sister. Couldn't tell. Okay, fine. I'm I'm calling I'm calling because you started the story and you went down a rabbit hole and then you skipped rabbit holes. You were talking about Rama's adventures with Lady Natasha. And you started off talking about him being born into the Romanov family, which I take it is the whole thing was led, the whole thread was begun by Lady Natasha being Russian. And then you never finished with what the sto what Rama, what happened when he talked to Lady Natasha. Okay, thank you, Penny. I okay, because it's important. Oh, yes, it is. Okay. So okay, I'll hang up. Bye-bye. <laughs> thank you, Penny. 
All right, let's go. Okay, bye bye. Very good. Okay, so she said to me, Lord Rama, Ukraine and Russia are both coming to the to the realization that they are going to have to cooperate with the UN weapons inspectors, the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, the UN Secretary General Guterres has said we must cease all weapons fire. And yesterday the report was that um, the lookalike Putin has been orchestrating uh, a military junta. Can you? That's all. Uh, that is right on location of the Zaporizhia. Zaporizhia. There's no T there. Yeah, Zaporizhia uh, base, which is in southeastern Ukraine. Yes. And I just want to, Penny, as you get a chance, you know, everywhere where we said northern Ukraine, you correct it because it's southeastern Ukraine. And thank you for helping with that. Uh, but the uh, situation is that the uh, Zelensky character is absolutely acting like he's crazy. Because he's literally shelling a nuclear base. Yeah. Uh, radioactive nuclear plant base that has six sites on it. It's like kind of committing suicide. Exactly. If this thing explodes one of those places, the whole planet's going to be affected. And this is where my father, who art in heaven, is here. Yeah. So, we're going to continue to uh, remember who we are as we move through this. So, anyway, one stray bullet or shell could ignite something that Rama calls Ragnarok. And this term comes from the Viking word for the end of the world. Yes, it's when Suter shows up, which is another name for, uh, like, uh, Hades or Pluto, because it comes from those legends. And... The, In other words, hell, living yeah, hell. Uh, the Hindu version is Kalima, where she, you know, uncreates and then recreates. Well, except that's the name of the goddess, but I don't yeah. think Ragnarok. No, this is dealing with a male god. A Viking god. Yeah. That tries to instigate the end of the world from a male perspective? Just that. It's the idea that we have to undo everything to begin again. Okay. So we'll go on here. And Captain Ashtar is not going to allow a nuclear war. And that's a definitive statement. Yes. Since we Dr. are... Dr. Greer has said that. I don't know how many other folks have said it over the years. And they keep playing with it in the... Mainstream news, which is 
Blaze the violet fire. I'm not trying to say anything unkind. Okay, so since we are talking so much, Lord Rama, you are my co-partner of Peace Communications. For this intense situation between Mother Russia, where I was born, into the Romanov family over here, and you, Rama, were born into the Romanov family over there in the United States. All of this is about love, even if it doesn't look like it. Yeah. So see you in the light of the most radiant one. Satnam Namaste, Blaze of Violet Fire. Did you ask her about the end of the guns working and the bombs working? Anytime we are going to see magic and miracles and it's... Something uh, huge is coming. Something huge is coming. And I could just say, you can feel it. All the astrologers, um, there was a guy on Moonwise today that was a co-partner with uh, uh, Dane Rudyar. And he talked about the Sabian symbols for the whole year. And uh, he's written articles about this, this guy, I forget his name. But he was, um, he was kind of speaking like Gandalf, talking about... Gandalf the wizard? Yeah, how when we look at the various Sabian symbols... They are telling us something that's huge. Each symbol is an adventure in of itself. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good. Okay, so um, so we are experiencing solar activity as Earth advances towards solar maximum in 2025. This past week since Lionsgate has been especially intense. The annual gateway acts like a threshold point. I think we got it all, Penny. Thank you. So you can write it now. A a launching pad for new energy streams to materialize. We experience the phenomena like a sonic boom, an exploding force that propels us into the next level of our evolution. True to form, Lionsgate shattered another glass in my hand as my energy hit threshold. We are currently in a system override on planet Earth. We see evidence of global thresholds bursting in intense solar flares, melting ice caps, extreme climate changes, and the rising frequencies of the geomagnetic field. The explosion of information in the global internet revolution reflects the emergence of the galactic infusion of plasma light, or ether, intelligence, spiraling from the galactic vortex. It is a step-by-step process of upliftment into the higher holographic realm of enlightenment. Earth is in the process of realigning with the galactic grid flux the natural rhythm of the planets and stars in the cosmos. As you level up into higher awareness, the physical realm, the particle field, begins to flex and morph 
as a vibrant field of energy. Everything around you flows and forms in a mutable realm of dynamic creation. As you evolve and expand into quantum consciousness, you begin to witness and understand the holographic nature of reality. Teetering in this balance point of polarized charge exists all distortion patterns and stuck emotional energy. These powerful galactic gateways trigger the release of stagnant stagnant density from the body, heart, and mind. I have been healing and clearing layers of stored resentment and bitterness from a lifetime in the patriarchal power system. As you reach a higher threshold, the old energies unlock and release. When light is alive and activated in the holographic mind, (coughs) your visualizations are projected into the quantum field, carrying the light with them. Photon light is the carrier of consciousness, the intelligent information that particulates, particulates into physical matter. Not only does DNA absorb photon light, it emits light in biophoton emissions to materialize your physical reality by morphing the matrix of matter through intense light purification. Photons transfer sentient intelligence of light language into the DNA. It is your holographic blueprint that bridges the physical with the astral bodies. It is our path of light, illuminating our way home, lovingly made. That is an absolutely uh, wonderful uh, situation. Meg is going to have a... uh, and uh, opening on September 23rd, the equinox arrives at zero degrees Libra. Opening a Stargate portal to z- in zero point energy, while day and night are equal in length. It is the balancing point between opposing forces. In a rare moment of galactic equilibrium, the gateway is open to infinite potential. Take advantage of this opportune time to seed your soul's visions and intentions. Okay, so we're going to do David Ike next, right, Nala? Yeah. Okay, let's get started. This is 45 minutes and 34 seconds. Let's see what our brother has to say. Haven't heard from him for a while. Hey, it's John Nolan here. One of the most important things in my life is the health and the well-being of my family. And one of the products that we absolutely love to use and have had amazing results with is Z-Stack. It's Dr. Zelenko's Immuna Booster, and it really, really does the job absolutely well. Now, as most of you know, Dr. Zelenko recently passed away, but he's left behind a legacy with Z-Stack and his other products and also the Dr. Zelenko Freedom Foundation. So every time you purchase Z-Stack to help boost your immune system and the immune system of your family, 10% of the profits will also automatically go to the Freedom Foundation. So I encourage you to check it out, Z-Stack by Dr. Zelenko. Use the link and the coupon code in the description. Save and also help the foundation. 
Hey, hey, Inspired Tribe, my fellow freedom lovers, it's John Nolan here. Thank you so much for joining us again for an inspired conversation. And today we're super excited to welcome back one of our heroes. Uh, you could call him the godfather of the truth and freedom movement. And thank you so much for coming back, David Icke. We're so excited to have you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, mate. Uh, it's our honor and pleasure. David, today's a special day. Your new book, The Trap, is out, and you've been writing uh, like crazy as far as I know. I've been getting emails from your people. David is still writing. David is working on his book, and it's finished and out today. What can we expect from The Trap? I can only assume another blockbuster, an absolute uh, amazing book. It's called The Trap, and it's uh, subtitled What It Is, How It Works, and How We Escape Its Illusions. And... What? Oh. This right here is called the Patriot Power Generator, and it's a solar generator by four Patriots. This solar generator is a backup battery. You see it right here. It's and how to escape what? You know, I think the um, the biggest trap, if you like, that researchers and seekers of truth can fall into is reaching at any point the idea that they've got it. Um, we're not um, awake. We're awakening. So when people say, I woke up, yes, okay. But you, you, you're still awakening after that. Because as Socrates said in ancient Greece, or was supposed to have done, wisdom is knowing how little we know. Uh, and so I've always gone on that basis that whatever we think we know, there's always more to know. I mean, that's the big truth that's without question true. And so I've gone on going deeper in the rabbit hole and asking where all this is coming from, what's going on in the world today. Because I concluded a very long time ago, back in the 1990s, when I was researching this and putting together the name, states, places, level of information, that there's no way it could be orchestrated purely by people sitting around the table deciding their next move. It's much bigger than that. So how big? Um, where does it go? Where does it come from? And the the sequence of my life since I had my initial head blown off awakening in 1990, 1991, and therefore think we know about what's going on, is only a fractional part of what there is to know. And so what I've done uh, over the last 32 years is span out from just the daily news of events and what's happening, what Klaus Schwab has said or Gates has said or any of these people, and I want to know 
what's behind them. And so I've been on this journey going deeper and deeper in the rabbit hole that started off basically looking at the names, dates, places, this world, what can be seen there. And then I, I went deeper and I realized that um, beyond the, the Gateses and the, the Swabs and the, what I call the global cult, the global secret society network through which this is all orchestrated, was a non-human force uh, that was manipulating human society to its own ends. And I think that absolutely since the COVID era began, more and more people have started to realize, I've certainly experienced and noticed this, that the agenda that's unfolding is anti-human. Every area of life that is essential to humans, whether it's water, whether it's food, whether it's the atmosphere that's being changed by technologically generated radiation, um, even the nature of the body being manipulated by these uh, synthetic MNRA. All these different uh, essential areas of human life are being targeted. And thus, it's an anti-human agenda. <laughs> and a lot more people than ever before, far more, I started to say, well, well, maybe that's because, as that mad guy Ike says, behind this is a non-human force. So that's where I was, um, I was looking at until the last year when I started to go deeper and what turned out was the trap. And I guess um, to start is to go back to just after the turn of the millennium when I, I just got so powerfully, you know, I kind of knowing out of nowhere that we live in a simulation. The uh, technologically massively advanced version of a, a virtual reality computer game. And what came to me equally strongly was that the limits of the simulation at this level that we're aware of is the speed of light. And 20 years later, in the spring of 2021, there was an article in the mainstream scientific magazine, um, Scientific American, by a scientist academic, uh, concluding, he said, that he believed we live in a simulation, and he believed that the limits of it were the speed of light, which is what I said 20 years before. And the way he explained it, and I think he's absolutely right, is that the limit of what we call the speed of light is the processing speed of the simulation. And so if you are only aware and you're mesmerized by the simulation and all the information that it's feeding us, because it's not a physical construct simulation, it's an information simulation, just like putting a headset on. Your brain is being fed information. Your senses are being fed information. 
and they give you a different reality. Something I said um, way back again around the turn of the millennium was that what we call the laws of physics are actually the rules of the simulation that have been encoded into it. That's one reason why when near-death experiences leave the body, they experience a different reality. And I'll come to that in a minute because that's very much part of what's in the trap. But it's a very different reality. And clearly from what's described, the laws of physics are very different to what they are in this level that we experience through the five senses, what I call body-mind. Um, and this writer of this Scientific American article was making the same point 20 years later that the laws of physics, as we call them, are actually just the encoded rules of the simulation. And as he pointed out quite rightly again, it's that you can encode whatever rules and laws that you want in your game, but you're still going to be limited by the processing speed of the computer system or whatever you're working with. And that's what he said was the speed of light. So I was, I was long exploring all this um, side of things. And then in the last couple of years, as I explain in the book, uh, I mean, it's a long story, fascinating story, mind. Uh, a lot of things have been happening to me that have been pointing me in um, a very clear direction. And it's this, that if we break up the different levels of reality and make it real simple, let's call this world of the scene, what we call the human world. Let's call it the third dimension. Um, there are other dimensions beyond that. Now, people often, when they think of other dimensions, they think, well, other dimensions are way out there, like way out there. And of course, in frequency terms, compared with the frequency here, compared with the frequency there, they are way out there, some of them. They really are. Because this is, this is a low frequency world. But there are other frequency bands, call them dimensions, which are very much closer to this one. And there's one which the spiritual arena and ancient cultures and etc. together, they call it the astral. Uh, I, I call it in the book um, the astral, yes, but I call it the, the fourth dimension. And then there's beyond that, there's what I call in the book the fifth dimension. And that is beyond the simulation. That is outside the simulation. So if you if you awaken, this is what I think awakening is, you awaken to expand your consciousness beyond the third dimension, beyond the fourth dimension, especially the lower ends of it, which I'll come to in a second, and you start to enter the realms of the, of the of, call it the fifth dimension, keep it simple, you're then tapping in to information, knowledge, awareness, knowing that is not being tampered with by the simulation. And that's what we call waking up. That's when people start to see things. Why didn't I see it before? Because you were within the simulated, manipulated reality before. So you, you might note that I'm talking about the simulation in the third dimension, but I'm also talking about going above the fourth dimension because that's certainly a significant part of it, at least. 
is also in the simulation. Um, so what this series of amazing synchronicities in my life in the last two years have pointed me to is that this reality we can see is being manipulated and this simulation controlled by and created by and projected from the lower levels of the fourth dimension, the lower astral, as the spiritual community would call it. And the lower astral is the realm of demons, demonic consciousness, distorted consciousness, uh, what people call lost souls. It's a mess. It's very low vibrational and it's very dark and it's very confusing and it's very chaotic. The more that I've followed the clues and uh, uncovered more and more about this, that so clear it is that this world is being manipulated from those lower levels of what people call the astral, the fourth dimension, which means that um, this cult that I've been exposing for 30 years, which is behind world events and the direction of the world and the chaos that's unfolding, is actually an extension, an expression of this lower astral um, consciousness and the entities that reside there. And so I then started looking at what we call reincarnation because my question then was when I looked at the simulation part of this and how so many people in the simulation because of the way it's manipulated don't have a nice time. I mean, forget, forget the people in the Western world that are having a, you know, an okay time. Vast numbers of people in the Western world are not. But, you know, up to this point, they're all, the, the, the systematic destruction of society is underway in the economy. But up to that point, quite a few people in the West, well, they think they're well, a decent life. But you travel. You go to South America. You go to Central America. You go to the Middle East, you go to Africa, you go to vast parts of Asia. A lot of those people are not having a good time and they're not um, uh, having a life that they'd really like to uh, live. So why would people or consciousness, souls, if you like, want to come here for any reason? But the second thing, if you take reincarnation, is why would they keep coming back? Oh, no, no, I've had enough of that. I'm going back there, mate. No way. But when I've looked at reincarnation, the evidence for it is very, very compelling. It's very, very, very solid when you, you look at the totality of it and all the experiences that people have had. So then I... Again, following the clues, which have become just part of my life in the last 32 years, I, um, I started questioning what the spirit world was. Um, because I, I read a lot about people who had been regressed through hypnosis, etc., by various um, psychiatrists, therapists, back to what they call the between-life state, in other words, between experiences in this reality. And I started reading what people were saying, and, uh, and the common themes 
were very, very compelling. And when I was reading these, I was thinking, but that's a hierarchical prison as well. People were, were talking about, oh, yeah, well, then, then I have to go in front of elders to discuss my last life. And then I have to go to this kind of school to learn more about this, that, and the other. And you can what? We are consciousness. We are all that is, has been, and ever can be. We are spirit, eternal spirit, connected to all spirit. We are ultimately all that is, has been, and ever can be. What's all this about? And then I looked at reincarnation again, and I looked at the the basic story of it, which we're asked to accept if you believe in it. I certainly do. I, you know, the, the, the evidence is very good. But hold on. Um, if you take the universe, the size of the universe, as projected by mainstream science, Compared with that, planet Earth is the equivalent of a billionth of a pinhead. So you're telling me that you have to um, keep coming back onto this billionth of a pinhead to learn lessons so that you can reach a state of enlightenment which allows you not to have to do that anymore. Right? Well, that makes no sense to me. I'm sorry. What was all infinity to explore, and you've got to do this for a billionth of a pinhead? What? Uh, so that made no sense. But on the same time, reincarnation, from the evidence that I've you know looked at over many many years, it does make sense that it's happening. So if I put reincarnation into another uh, context, what if? that this level of the simulation is not the only level of the simulation. What if, when you leave the body, if you leave it in a certain vibrational state, you're still in the simulation, you're just in other levels of it. And so what's happening is that people are being, or souls, consciousness, is being recycled in and out of this reality over and over again. And basically, one of the things that it's doing through all the emotional trauma, upset, and what have you that comes from that, and the way this world is structured, is that you're giving off low vibrational emotion and thought all the time. Depression, fear, the big one. Uh, anxiety, uh, all these low vibration emotions, resentment, hatred. And what, what, what do those emotions resonate to in frequency terms? I say to the lower levels of the astral. That's, 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 that's what, where that, uh, energy is going. Because Basically, to, to, to a very large extent, not absolutely in totality, but to a very, very large extent, if you can't see it, it's the fourth dimension or the lower fourth dimension. So you can feel emotion and you can sense thought and you can feel vibes coming off other people, but you can't see them. You can see the effect of them, but you can't see them. We can't see them because it's a lower fourth dimensional. If it's lower um, emotional states, 
it's a lower four dimensional um, expression uh, process. And what that's doing is feeding energy into this lower astral, which is the, the, the realm of that which is ultimately manipulating the world of the scene, the human world, via people like Schwab and Gates and all these other people. When you look at this global cult, this um, secret society network, it is serving the interests of this lower astral, lower fourth dimensional force. And we, by the effect of that manipulation, are feeding, empowering with our energy, that lower astral force, which obviously brings back the image of Morpheus in the Matrix holding up the battery and saying the machines have turned humans into one of these. And people remember that first Matrix movie where you see the babies and the, the um, energy that's, um, that's being generated by the, the babies is feeding the machines, it's empowering the machines. It's symbolically exactly what's, um, what's going on. So um, I explore all of this in the trap. And, um, you know, there's an, an, a very old esoteric concept, which you can find in symbolized in other ways in different cultures, of what's called the ring pass knot, which is perceived as an energetic barrier beyond which you cannot pass unless you are in a certain high vibrational state, which comes from your perceptual state, which comes from your self-identity state. And it's interesting that in the official story of reincarnation, you have to keep reincarnating to, quote, learn lessons to reach a state of enlightenment, a state of frequency, which allows you to break the cycle of reincarnation. Um, And um, the, the, the point being that how can you learn lessons, quote, if you keep coming back into this realm with the memory of the lessons you've already learned, white? So you're basically starting with a blank sheet of paper. I mean, you, you can be influenced from the subconscious by previous lives, yes, and previous experiences, but you don't overwhelmingly consciously uh, know what has happened and what you've learned. So you're starting with a blank sheet of paper. So, so what, what do you mean learning lessons? And there was a, a, a situation I experienced, um, in 90, no, 2003, when, um, for the only time I took ayahuasca, the rainforest plant, the psychoactive drug in a rainforest in Brazil. And uh, for five hours one night, a very clear, took a female form, voice, gave me chapter and verse on the fact that this is a, this whole reality we're experiencing is, is an illusion. And at one point, I was shown this field, just a you know, normal kind of field in the countryside, and there was a, a path, a mud path going across it. And then suddenly people started falling out of the sky. So I was watching this and they were all falling onto the path. 
and they were all walking along the path, and more and more came, more and more came, and eventually they started wearing the path away, and the path started getting deeper, and then it morphed into a a record groove in one of the old Brian Vinyl records, and people were walking through this groove. It was dark. They couldn't see anything. And the implication of that, of the what the voice said when that picture was being shown to me, is that souls, consciousness, are coming in through reincarnation, already pre-programmed from previous pre-programming or previous programming. And they lock into the program because they've been programmed before. And so far from reaching a point of enlightenment so that you can break out of the cycle, the vast majority are going deeper and deeper into the cycle because of, of, of the effects on them in terms of self-identity and perception of this constant experience of this world in its different forms. And, you know, for me, you know, I've been saying this all the way through, and even though I've got deeper and deeper in the rabbit hole with the trap, the answer is still the same. We are entrapped in terms of frequency, vibration, within this trap of reincarnation and this reality, this simulation, because we are manipulated not to reach a state of awareness, thus frequency, that allows us to get out of it. And so the answer is always the same, self-identity. You are not your body. That's an expression, very controversial, I know, but I, I have been, that's an expression of the simulation. It's the way the simula- you are locked by the simulation into the simulation is through the body. And what they're doing now with this manipulation genetically is changing the body and making it even more of a, uh, of a control system by the, by the simulation. You are not the labels of your body that uh, we're given to self-identify with. And of course, as you go deeper and deeper into this subdivision of identities, into this LGBTQ and on and on the bloody list of letters goes, you're creating more and more myopia personalities, which are taking you uh, further and further away from the the reality that you are all that is, has been, and ever can be. And when you reach this, and this is happening to people now, my God, it is, uh, but it has to keep going. That's the point. Um, we're reaching the point now where more and more people are starting to re-self-identify, realize, remember who and what they are. And as they do so, as you expand your self-identity from I'm ethical on the checkout to I'm all it has been and can be, um, having a brief experience called human, as that expansion of self-identity happens, so that expansion of frequency happens. It's one, one creates the other. And if you leave the body in a state of self-awareness of true I, then you're out of here. You're out of the trap. And that's what they do. That's the big, big, big revelation that this cult and its non-human fourth dimensional astral masters don't want us to know. 
doing its little dance around oh. commercial. <laughs> wow, what a journey we just took. Um, <laughs> I, I love how uh, we asked our viewers, and, and we got hundreds of responses to questions, you know, that they want us to ask you. And you've answered about 60% of them just in this first answer here. And it, co- it, it absolutely aligns with what our teachings, um, the things that we learned from our American Indian teachers. And, and Christine and I, my wife and I, we have the pleasure of being, being given that wisdom. And it was one, one of the things you just said absolutely aligns with what he taught us is that when you leave this body, there will be a light, right? Everybody describes this, the light that you walk into. And he said, that's the trap. Do not. He literally said it. Do not walk towards that first light. You'll see your relatives. You see that, but that's not the real life. He says, there is that you got to turn around and you can only do that when you leave this body without the arrogance and the ignorance that most people accumulate in their lifetime. You got to have that vibrational state that you talk about. So it absolutely 100% aligns with what you said. Um, I want to ask you something because this has been at least my experience for as far as I can remember. My life has gone in, in certain two states that keep switching and, and it's going upwards. There's always a period where I go within and I'm called to go within more meditation, more introspection. And I can then uh, go through the layers and perceive, as you say, reality with a greater perspective. And then I'm called to go more on the outside and apply that to the outside world or, you know, disseminate information. How does that process work for you? How do you get these downloads, as you call them? Is that happening at random times or is it happening in meditation? What is your process for that? Well, um, I'd like to talk about the light as well uh, as we go along. Absolutely. What's, um, what what has happened to me uh, since 1990 is that, um, I mean, when I saw a psychic in 1990, first psychic I ever saw, called Betty Shine, and this, uh, I started being told I was going to go on the world stage and reveal great secrets and all the stuff that's happened was coming through. This is what you're going to do. One of the things that came through from some source that she was connecting with was that you are going to be led to knowledge and at other times we'll put knowledge into your mind. And basically you'll just know something. You won't know why you know it. And that has absolutely been what has happened to me in the last 32 years. Uh, the synchronicity of my life, because uh, this is my life. I mean, I, I, I spend every waking minute um, pursuing this. Um, and I think I, uh, uh, when I'm not, awake um i think i'm pursuing it uh and uh i have been led to uh knowledge in the most synchronistic way but in the first few years after 1991 very few years i would be led to knowledge and then i would conclude what the situation was as a result of that knowledge that information and then it switched very Quite early, really, probably 94 at the latest. And I would know something. And then the names, dates, places, confirmation, this world information would follow. 
And that's what's been going on ever since. Uh, when I just said that we live in a simulation and uh, the, uh, the limit of it at this level is the speed of light, uh, that, that just came. I just knew it. And then uh, at that time, there was only one guy I, I went looking for, you know, people that were saying the same. I only found one, a guy called Nick Bostrom at Oxford University. Uh, but he was talking about a, it was a simulation, quite possibly, but he, he wasn't seeing it in the same way that I do. But there was no one else. And now many, many, many increasing numbers of mainstream scientists have come out and said, it looks like we live in a simulation. Not least because once you grasp that and its implications, the so-called great mysteries of life disappear. Why things happen and how things are possible. Why things appear out of nowhere and, appear, and disappear into nowhere. As people say, I saw this UFO, it came out of nowhere and disappeared into nowhere. All these things can be explained once you, um, you, you grasp that it's a, it's a simulation and this is uh, just a frequency band within it. Um, and I also um, just get these these knowings. And what what I've been having since 1990 are what I call coma sleeps, where I'll just basically, in the middle of the day, I'll just go into a coma sleep, maybe 20 minutes, maybe half an hour. Um, and when I come out of it, and, and sometimes it takes a, almost as long to come out of it as, as, as you're in it, um, then you know something. You know you know something that you didn't know before, but you don't know what. And then in the days that pass, suddenly you're getting these insights out of nowhere, which you, you basically downloaded in the coma sleep. And uh, about, a, about a week ago, um, I went to have a sleep. I was just overwhelmed by just exhaustion. I could keep my eyes open. So I went and laid on the bed about, I don't know, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I went into a coma sleep, the like of which even for me I've never experienced. And I got up after about three hours and I walked into the front room and I sat down and I, I was I was still coming out of it. I was really, I was really still in it. And I was I, I, I tried to stop, start a bit of work. No chance. I had to stand up and go back to bed. I was still in it. And I, I think it was another two hours I, I lay there in a coma sleep. And when I woke up, it took me a very long time to really come out of it. And ever since then, as the days have passed, I've had a stream of insights which has made what is happening and where it's coming from, how and why, more and more simple and crystal clear in my in my mind, so so this and 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 also I know a sequence because it's repeated over and over again. You I'm sure you must have had the same, whereby suddenly a subject will come into your life out of nowhere like for the first time. Oh, that's interesting, and then suddenly information about that same subject keeps coming to you from all angles from then on. This has happened to me so many times. Um, and uh, it's happened to me in, in the last 18 months, two years, in relation to this afterlife continuation of the simulation. Um, 
I, I came across it because of things that were happening in my life were very, very strange and paranormal, which I, I uh, explain in what they were in the book. Um, and then once that subject of afterlife manipulation and where the manipulation is coming from, suddenly it's coming at me from all angles. Um, so that, that's how it, how it, how it happens really. And in the end, um, the confirmation of accuracy of the information uh, is basically decided by what happens. So when I was saying about current events coming like 20, 20, 25 years ago, um, it was like, yeah, oh yeah, you're mad and all that stuff. Um, and, and then they happen and you, you think, well, I was, I knew this was going to happen. And the same sequence that I knew this was going to happen is the sequence that's led me to write the trap about this afterworld control system. And you're absolutely right in what you're saying about this light. I go into in the book what this light actually is. You see, light, what is light? Well, what is the simulation, first of all? The simulation at this level is electromagnetic light, light. And, you know, when uh, it says in Genesis about God creating the world in seven days, let there be light. Um, I, I think what's what's being described there is the creation of the simulation. Um, and uh, I explain why I think that in the book. Um, and uh, it's um, it's uh, an area that once you get into it, the mysteries of life, there are endless. Oh, so that's what that is. So that's why they do that. So that's what that really means. Uh, and uh, it's it's something I've come to recognize because it's happened for so long and it's happened in this case again. And, you know, one of the things that I've really been guided to by this synchronicity and information coming on the same subject is that actually AI, which is now becoming more and more of the control system in the third dimension, the human world, is actually an extension of the AI that's running the simulation. And it's running the simulation from what we call the lower astral. And it's my view, uh, as I explain in the book, that every human life, every soul incarnation, is monitored by... It's not the same as the one in our world, but it's the, the, the theme is exactly the same. By a gigantic um, AI operation. It, everything is being recorded in AI. And, you know, people say, well, hold on a minute. That's ridiculous. That's not possible. Well, it is possible. <laughs> What's possible and what you believe is possible is not actually necessarily the same thing. But I, what I do is I, I, I point people to China, uh, 1.5 billion people, and the scale on which 
AI, just human world AI, is tracking the population in enormous numbers in real time. Um, there's um, a, 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 an operation in America called the Sentient World um, Simulation, which is a real-time simulation of what's happening in, in, in the world, minute by minute. All the information is being fed to it, and it's changing as the information is fed to it. And, you know, these patterns of what is going to happen, if things don't change on the basis of what's happening now, this will happen. That information is available to this cult. So they are able to look at what is happening now, how people are responding and all that, and say, well, if things are left as they are, this is what's going to happen. So that's not exactly what we want to happen. So what we're going to do is we're going to tinker with, we're going to change the way things are now by our manipulation so that the projected outcome is the one that we absolutely do want. So they have that information to do that. This is where you're into, uh, you know, pre-crime and all that stuff, like you know, minority report, that whole concept. Um, and then uh, when I was writing the book, I got this, this, this overwhelming feeling again, and I was, I was looking at this whole area that we're just talking about. And what I got over and over, Akashic Records, Akashic Records, Akashic Records, look at the Akashic Records. Now, I came across the Akashic Records when, you know, like in 1990, 1991, when I was trying to understand what the hell was happening in my life. Um, but, but I didn't really look into it. And, you know, I was left it alone. And of course, it was popularized by Edgar Casey about the Akashic Records. So I started reading about the Akashic Records in, in more detail when I was writing the book and this was happening to me. Um, and I, I was reading uh, actually on the Edgar Casey website, um, how it was uh, being described in computer terms, in database terms, that the Akashic Records is like a database that records, um, everything, every conversation, everything that's ever happened, everything has an Akashic record, uh, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And, and I looked at it and I thought, what they're calling the Akashic Records is the frickin' database. It's the database. So, the whole thing, this reality, this simulation, it's not people, you know, it's not, you know, non-human entities sitting there on a bloody piece of, of, of technology pressing buttons. It's run by AI. The very AI that's coming in, the very AI they want to connect to the human brain. Hello? Um, and Everything is recorded. Everything about a soul's, quote, incarnation is known because it's on the database. So if you, if you believe in a certain deity, when you leave the body, AI in your reality will produce the deity. So near-death experiences say, uh, uh, a Christian will say, I saw Jesus. A Muslim might say, I saw Muhammad. Um, and you see loved ones. And the loved ones, you, you read all these things that near-death experiences talk about. You see loved ones and they, 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 they draw you into the light, the light tunnel. Now, 
what happens again and again? You, you, you read these accounts. They go through the tunnel. They feel this bliss. Absolutely a doddle to simulate, uh, through frequency manipulation. I, I, I met a mind controller in America some years ago and he said, I could get any two people to fall deeply in love with each other, even though in normal terms, they couldn't stand each other and would be repulsed by each other just by stimulating certain chemicals in the brain, which they do through frequencies. Mm. Right? So this manipulation is absolutely possible. So you see your loved one, and your loved one draws you up the tunnel. Now, what happens with their death experiences is... We had to cut it off here. As you know, David Icke would never censor himself, nor would we ever want him to, but what he is sharing simply cannot be said on this platform. So we encourage you to jump over to the Inspired Community on Locals to watch the full, uncensored, unfiltered, inspired conversation with David Icke. It is absolutely free of charge. All you need to do is create an account if you haven't yet. The link is in the description. Please listen with your spirit, watch with your spirit, and enjoy this beautiful conversation with David Icke. You know where to go for that, Rama? Mm, yeah, but... Not it, right now, but you can maybe finish it. We can play it next week. Yeah. All right. Well, what I wanted to say about that is that... About what he just was saying at the end there? That the... Let's say those AI controllers that control the simulation... That is coming from these ancient ET races who want to control this planet. And they're losing deeply with the fact that the light's coming in. And they want to play with what he's describing as you leave the body. Yet at the same time, we're not going to die. And unless we choose. Unless we choose. And I've had that, you know, in my astral travels, taking different kinds of spores and stuff. I'll say that. Oh, you mean mushrooms. Yeah. And peyote, you know. Yeah. Yeah, mescalito. Um you can see the light and it draws you in like a magnet and like that uh, um, other man said don't go there and I didn't go into the light what I called on was all the ascended masters and they showed up and it's where you put your point of view when you are in that kind of open frequency they can play with stuff, like he's saying. They have the technology, both on planet and off planet, yet the forces of light are here. This is what this giant battle is about. That as the old matrix a grid that was put in by Enkin and Will 13,000 years ago, as that is going down right now, that's what he's talking about, this AI. 
As that goes down, the Atlantean grid is already online and it's gaining steam. And I'll shut up. <laughs> well, let's do it to the next. Let's go to our yeah. next little story here. This is again. It's called the Hidden Black Kings and Queens of Ancient Egypt with Billy Carson. This is one hour and one minute, and let's get started. Okay. We are live, live, live. What's up? Billy Carson here. Forbidden knowledge. Let's see. One of these accounts is having a little problem connecting. Okay. Live on multiple platforms tonight. I literally just hop off of, off of a flight and ran straight to my computer so I could get online with you guys. I would have been here right at, right on time, but unfortunately I had a flight delay earlier today. <clears throat> and that flight delay turned into a canceled flight, which I had to hop on another flight. Then I had to fly to a different airport and you know, got got me all in the mix. But I'm here. I made it. I made it. So what's up to everybody in the chat? Thanks for tuning in. All right. I see some people here. Omega Red, Cryptician, Ghost, Anita, Kelly X. What's happening? All right. I see you guys filling up the chat on several different platforms. Raw. We're on several several Facebook accounts right now. Zion, humblest humblest woman, coastal designer. Um, we're on YouTube. One, two, three, four Facebook accounts. We're on Billy C. Carson, verified Facebook account. Forbidden Knowledge, verified Facebook account. Forbidden Mystery School, Facebook account. <clears throat> um, we're also on Anunnaki History. Facebook page and we are on, uh, coach Carson Twitter verified account and also the verified Twitter account forbidden knowledge. <clears throat> so we're everywhere guys. I'm everywhere. All right. So today, I mean, obviously you saw the title to the show talking about the black kings and queens of ancient Egypt. <clears throat> As I came up with the idea for the show and the need to talk about this topic. I realized it was so much deeper than just one uh, YouTube video. This is like a lot of information. There's no way to cover it all in one day because Egypt's history is so vast. It, it, it covers millennia, not one millennia, not two millennia, millennia is plural. And so we're talking about eons, eons of culture ruling in a region uh, of the planet and even taking over uh, the majority or spreading out over the majority of the planet. <clears throat> Uh, so it's a, it's a very, very long story. And, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with one section of the story, which still goes back about 3000 years from today and start from there and talk about this one special family line. Then I believe I'm going to come back and do a part two where I'm going to go into several other kings, uh, that started off in the new dynasty. But right now I'm going to go old dynasty and I think I'm even going to do one, which is going to be on my TV show, which is going to take us even further back than that. Okay. Going all the way back to Osiris. <clears throat> so it's going to be pretty interesting. Um, I have a little PowerPoint presentation ready for you guys today. So we're going to do a little PowerPoint. Uh, I want to have a little way to keep myself focused and guide on what I want to do. And also I wanted to be able to show you guys some images as well. Okay. So that you can see, uh, you know, some of these people's, uh, likenesses, 
whether it's a statue, a bust, um, in some cases, a torso of a statue, like of Nefertiti, uh, and even some depictions. Okay, so pretty interesting to see that. And um, before we get started, don't forget, guys, everyone needs to click that like button. Click the like button and share this video. Uh, if you don't have the bell on, make sure you put the bell. And also, if you want to get notifications from me by text when I go live on YouTube and other other accounts, just text me. That way, you can be on my text message list because we all know, for whatever reason, these platforms don't send out all the messages. Okay, they just don't do it. So 954-245-0086. You can text me. Uh, text hashtag live, L-I-V-E. I'm going to drop it in the chat right now. Text hashtag live to 954-245-0086. That will put you in my live, uh, you know, community for my text messages. And I'll be able to just send that text to everyone who wants to see me when I go live. And then you'll know. Here's the link. You click on it right from your from your phone or your mobile device, and it comes right to the live. All right, that way you can be involved and you'll get you'll get my notifications because for whatever reason, they just don't go, they just don't all go out. Um, also, if you didn't know, we had a video that I did with 19 Keys. Uh, 19 Keys has a podcast called uh, High Level Conversations. It's on the Earn Your Leisure YouTube account. Earn Your Leisure. It's like the largest financial literacy account online right now. They're pretty big. They've been, they've really, they've already blown up. They're, they're phenomenal. Uh, and so Earn Your Leisure has its own podcast platform, kind of like I do. They have their own podcasters on their network. 19 Keys is one of them. And his podcast is called High Level Conversations. And about, uh, 14 days ago now, uh, I interviewed with him and he released that on, uh, on the Earn Your Leisure podcast network. And that's a financial network. Now, what's interesting <laughs> is I went there prepared with my financial book. I went there with my woke don't mean broke book, right? Woke doesn't mean broke. And I'm all, you know, on the plane. I'm going over some of my topics and so forth. And I'm ready to answer anything he throws at me dealing with financial literacy. And we sit down. <laughs> I get mic'd up. And he starts asking me about ancient Egypt, uh, ancient Samaria, esoteric wisdom, Mystery school teachings, quantum physics, quantum mechanics, um, you know, sacred geometry, aliens, UFOs. <laughs> we never talked about financial literacy. And I remember I was going, man, I wonder if that uh, platform is going to like this kind of information because this is totally like to the left of what they're used to seeing on this platform. And long story short, that's the number one video in terms of views on the entire Earn Your Leisure platform right now with 1.3 million views in just a couple of weeks. It's the number one viewed video on the entire platform, and that's a financial literacy platform. And the reason why I bring this up is because not because I'm bragging. Um, of course, I'm happy uh, that it did that well, but it's because that platform is 90% black people. It's a global platform, but it's 90% black and what that tells me is there's a real shift in consciousness happening in the black community, whereas that would have never happened five years ago. If that was a financial YouTube account five years ago and my video dropped on that network, it would have been scrutinized. It would have been scoffed. It would have been, uh, you know, begged to be deleted and everything else. But this era and this moment in this time, 
was the right time. People want the knowledge. They want the knowledge. They're getting away from all this religious stuff. They're starting to break away. They're starting to realize, let me ask more questions. Let me, let me hypothesize for myself. Let me think, let me think about through these things logically. Cause some of this stuff I've been brought into just doesn't make any sense. And when they hear some of this alternative information backed by science is where I bring it. They then have to go, wow, let me sit back. I need to dig into this stuff. It becomes very interesting. It becomes a very interesting conversation, very interesting topics. And it makes for, uh, one to ponder thought. Okay. And so right now, it just happened to be the right time and the right place. And that video went uber viral. It's probably the most viral video that I've ever been involved in with uh, 1.3 million. It's actually at 1.3 million, 330,000 or some crazy number like that already. 42,000 likes and almost 7,300 comments, I believe, the last time I checked. And people are having great communications and great conversations in that comment box underneath the uh, the caption underneath the video, uh, which is pretty interesting. So the, the, the conversation is still going weeks later in the comments. Uh, pretty interesting. And the shares are just through the roof. So uh, hats out. Shout out to 19 Keys for giving me an opportunity to speak on this platform and on the Earn Your Leisure platform. Shout out to Rashad uh, and Troy Mills. Uh, so I appreciate the opportunity, guys. Thank you for letting me get on there and bring what I, you know, the piece of the puzzle that I'm best at which is bringing this type of information and knowledge to the world. All right. So it was amazing. It was amazing. All right. So now let me, uh, let me go here. I'm going to start this PowerPoint presentation so we can get, get this thing cranking guys. All right. Let's see. Who's this here? So poker Jones. Thank you, brother, for adding my TV show to your network. This is, us to us this is a dream come true y'all make sure you check out my tv show soul and blues live on forbidden knowledge tv all right shout out to poker jones all right appreciate you brother thanks for being on the network obviously he went through the you know the process he went through the content if you have anything that's worthwhile putting up on the network send the email to content at forbiddenknowledge.com content at forbiddenknowledge.com and uh it'll be reviewed by our team and if they deem it worthy, it'll go up on the network. All right. <clears throat> Great exposure for you. So, hey, thanks a lot. All right. Let me get, um, let me go ahead and get this PowerPoint started so we can get into this. <clears throat> I'm sharing my screen <clears throat> and, uh, we get this thing started now. Let me just make sure I got the right PowerPoint here. Yeah. This is it. And let's go ahead and make this full screen. All right. <clears throat> I'm going to get my shameless plugs out of the way in the beginning. <laughs> if that's what you're supposed to do. <clears throat> anyway, this is my book, Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. It is a bestseller now for three years in a row. It's a bestseller in four, five countries. This one is in five countries. The other book's in four. In five countries. All right. Uh, so this QR code, you scan it, it'll take you right to where you can buy the book. That's the Compendium of the Emerald Tablets, a beginner, beginner's guide by Billy Carson. And, um, this book, I mean, don't listen to me. Just go to look at the Amazon reviews and read them. 
then you'll understand why it's a bestseller. It's a five-star book with thousands of reviews. You can't just do that on Amazon unless you have something really good. It's almost impossible to get five stars, and you can't fake Amazon. That's what I love about it. You can't fake the reviews on Amazon. So it's all real. It's all organic. Woke doesn't mean broke. It's another bestseller now one year uh, in four countries. Okay, so if you want to know, learn financial literacy, this book is 688 pages. It's a tome of information. It's not just a little tiny thin book. The book is massive, and it's got a reference guide in the back. So you go to the reference section. You want to learn about eliminate student loans. You want to learn about building your credit. You want to learn about financial uh uh, you know, spiritual finance and spirituality mixed together. You want to learn about uh, how to invest in the stock market and, and options. You want to learn about what types of life insurance policies to get and why. You want to learn about all these different topics, anything you can think of dealing with in financial literacy. It's in the book. You go to the reference section in the back, find what you want to learn about, and go right to that section and then study that. Okay, kind of like how I have my my law book here. My law books have the same exact setup. <clears throat> Which, by the way, I'm waiting for my results, not from my bar exam. And uh, if you want to try Forbidden Knowledge TV, okay, you can use this QR code here or go to 4BK, 4BK.TV and get a free trial or scan this QR code. You can also go on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, the iOS App Store for Apple devices, and Google Play for Android devices. And you can also sign up through there for a free three-day trial to Forbidden Knowledge TV. This is our social media app, Unite the 99. Okay, it's a free social media app. And you can scan this QR code or go to Unite the 99 on your app store and get the app. Unite the 99 on your app store and get the free social media app. We're in there posting like crazy. There's thousands of us in there posting great content every single day. And uh, what's great about it is there's a premium section in there. You go to the premium section in the app, and there's a dating group in the premium section called Date Conscious. It's for conscious dating. So if you're looking to meet somebody that's on the same frequency as you that that's wants to talk about esoteric wisdom, meditation, chakras, yoga, UFOs, aliens, ancient civilizations, the land of Kemet, whatever you want to learn and talk about together, you can go in there and make friends with somebody who's who's going to be able to, to uh, talk to you about that stuff. Forbidden Knowledge is raising money still through shares. You can own shares of Forbidden Knowledge. You can earn while you learn. Uh, this is uh, We're in a Reg CF, which is coming to an end very, very soon. You can become a shareholder by scanning this QR code or going to ForbiddenKnowledge.com and clicking on Invest. All right, and you can learn how you can become a shareholder in Forbidden Knowledge. We just got the approval from the attorney to make the official notice, which we were, we were going to do it tomorrow on Elizabeth's show, but I give it to you here tonight as well. We are now officially making the official statement that we are going public in the first quarter of 2023. First quarter, we're going public. So all everybody who owns shares, everyone who owns shares in round one and round two, that money's rolling over into uh, the, the, the the NASDAQ when we when we go public. Great opportunity, guys. That's all I can tell you. If you don't have shares of forbidden knowledge, you need to get them ASAP. I think there's only 20 days left or 18 days left in round two. And uh, and that's it, guys. And it moves into a reggae plus, which we already have that set, those finances set. And then from there, we move into NASDAQ. It's a big move. It's a big move. And it's a great opportunity, ground floor opportunity for you to get involved with a company that's 
very, very, doing very well and going to be very, very good. It's, we're going to be massive as we now have over 6,000 shows on our TV network, documentary shows, lectures, workshops, guides, study guides, all on the TV network. And, um, and we're looking based on what we have going on right now, we should be close to around 10,000 shows by this time next year and a hundred thousand subscribers. All right. I'm doing a lot of free events this year. This is my event bright page. You can see all these free events. Uh, so you definitely want to be involved in this. Okay. And then to, to join all these free workshops, you know, all you have to do is go to my website, forbidden knowledge and go to workshops or if they're all on eventbrite, go to eventbrite.com and just type in Billy Carson. They'll pop up or you can scan this QR code. It'll take you right to the, my eventbrite page and all of them, all of them say, $0.0, except for the Black Knight Satellite movie premiere. If you're going to come to the movie premiere of the Black Knight Satellite, that's going to be June the 5th. You got to fly into town. Uh, all the information is on Eventbrite. It's at the Royal, it's in Royal Oak at the Imagine Theaters. It's a black tie affair, so make sure you dress to impress. You're going to walk the red carpet with me and take photos, shake my hand. I'll sign your books, whatever you have. I'll speak for an hour, and then we're going to watch the movie that I uh, produced. It's going to be a great, great night. So looking forward to that. Okay. Now, also, we're doing giveaways. The next item I'm giving away is this Apple TV. Hopefully, hopefully you guys can see it. I had it in my hand right here. 954 text giveaway. Text hashtag giveaway to 954-245-0086. That's hashtag giveaway to 954-245-0086. You might win a tablet, a flat screen TV, a MacBook Pro. We've given all this stuff away many times already. Uh, but we're getting back into our giving mind, our giving mode. So we're going to be giving this stuff away once a month. No, no purchase necessary. Nothing to buy. No purchase necessary. Just a random person gets, uh, gets pulled out of the text database and we send you a free gift. We pay for the shipping. We only ask that once you get it, you take a picture with it or at least, uh, send it to us so we can uh, put it up on Forbidden Giveaways Instagram account. And if you'd like to, some people would like, love to have them go live with us so we can at least get the response to reaction to the gift as well. Okay. All right. We're going to talk about the black pharaohs of Egypt tonight. Um, this is typically where a lot of the history seems to want to start off to talk about uh, black pharaohs. Now, what's interesting is when you go into, you know, I studied, I had to take a, a class at Harvard for ancient civilizations, which I got my certificate in ancient civilizations from Harvard. And as you're going through the information, a lot of it is really starting off in the new dynasty, like the new eras, you know, 25th and up. And what's interesting is um, you only find out about the pharaohs that are Roman, Greek. They really don't dig deep into this information. And so it leaves a lot of people around the world questioning were there ever, ever any black people in the land of Egypt? Were any, any black people that even ruled over Egypt and Africa at all? Well, the answer is yes. And it's well documented. It's well known. It's well stated. It's just that, unfortunately, a lot of the information we're given in our regular classes here in America, not in other parts of the world, in America, is played with. It's very curated. Let me put it that way. It's very curated, highly curated. And uh, it's set up to depict uh, a mental image of uh, a particular race ruling over the land of Egypt, when in reality, Egypt was ruled over by seven different races of people over thousands of years. Okay, 
it was not just only ruled by one race and then that was it. I've been there many times. I'm going back again in October. Some of the people probably listening to my voice right now will be with me in October. So I'm looking forward to that. I saw a gentleman uh, the other night at the Miami Heat game. He walked down to me. I was sitting in the front row. He walked out, tapped me on the shoulder. He said, hey, Mr. Carson, I'm going to be in Egypt with you in October. So I'm looking forward to it. A lot of people are going to this trip. I think we have 70 people going with me. Uh, so I'm going to be your private guide there. All right? It's sold out now, so you can't get in. But maybe in 2023, we'll do it again. All right? But this is where they kind of start off. They kind of start off here at this point. You know, the 8th century, which is about 2,800 years ago. Kushite rulers were crowned as kings of Egypt, ruling a combined Nubian and Egyptian kingdom as pharaohs of Egypt in the 25th dynasty. And those Kushite kings are commonly referred to as the black pharaohs in both scholarly and publications. So you look at, uh, you know, National Geographic, we'll name, we'll talk about this. Uh, several books that you go and study and, and records that you study for courses and classes in ancient, civil, ancient Egyptian civilizations. We'll also talk about this. So they do mention that there were black pharaohs uh, in Egypt. Unfortunately, they typically never make it into movies, documentaries, TV shows. They always show the Roman Greek, uh, you know, version of the pharaohs, which came much, much later versus the original peoples of the land of Kem, which is the real name of Egypt, the land of Kem, uh, the Kemetic people. What's interesting is the Dogon tribe, I didn't have a chance to get the images together for the Dogon tribe because of uh, rushing to get here. But the Dogon tribe is literally the first tribe to rule in the land of Kem. Uh, very, very, I'm talking about millennia, uh, you know, tens of thousands of years ago. We're going back far, deep antiquity. Uh, in the Emerald Tablets, both talks about uh, a great flood that covered most of the land, most of the land on earth. And uh, this flood had literally put people back into the Stone Ages. And we, we know this because he says that uh, the people had become barbarians that had started to live back in caves. So it must have been a couple of generations that had gone by when this flood had covered all the technology. All the temples were buried in mud. He's talking about now some temples starting to come up out of the mud as the waters are residing and starting to dry out. The barbarians are coming out of the cage. That's the terminology he used for them. Not that they were caving, but that they had lost their high level of consciousness and their technological capabilities. And Thoth says that he's going to help. He said, he tells them, I'm going to help you rebuild. I'm going to help you, you know, rise back up to a high level of civilization. He didn't say, I'm going to teach you how to become a high level of civilization. He said, I'm going to teach you how to get back to where you were before this global flood destroyed the planet. So we're talking about a race of people that were already high tech, that were already super advanced before the Great Flood, pre-diluvial, then post-diluvial, right? That means after the flood, we see both the Atlantean priest king, and this is around 36,000 years ago, now helping to re-kickstart civilization in the land of Kim, rebuilding, okay, rebuilding, not building for the first time, but rebuilding. And building, rebuilding with the Dogons in the land of Kem. And he laid out the architectural floor plan for the Great Pyramid, which is now at Giza. Uh, and so, you know, the pyramid structure in Giza is a combination of built by Kemetic people and Thoth. Thoth laid out the master architectural floor plan for the Great Pyramid. It doesn't mean he built every single pyramid, 
It doesn't mean he actually physically used his own hands to even build the Great Pyramid. But what it means is the architectural floor plan for that structure came from Thoth, the Atlantean priest king. He ruled over the land of Kim for 14,000 years. One man. That's not Billy Carson saying this. That's the Egyptians saying this. And if you don't believe me, take a trip to Egypt and read the hieroglyphs. They tell you right there. That's according to the ancient Egyptians. That's their record, not my record. That's their account, not my account. So for people that try to scoff and say, man, this guy's trying to say black people didn't build. I didn't say anything about black people not building pyramids. What I'm telling you is, is that this, the Egyptian people themselves, the Kemetic people in the land of Kem, before it was called Egypt, their records state that they got the floor plan and the architectural guide on how to construct and build the Great Pyramid from this entity named Thoth. He's been known as several names in Africa. Thoth, Tahuti, Jehudi, Jehudi, all the same person. All the same person, all right? So new archaeological discoveries have been recently proven that earlier Egyptian lineages origins flow from Ethiopia. It's also known as grandmother. So when you see that term grandmother in some of these ancient texts, they're talking about Ethiopia to Nubia, which is now called mother. Well, back then we used to call it mother. So in some of the African texts, they refer to Ethiopia as grandmother and Nubia, which is the newer, uh, well, well, still ancient, but now at that time newer, it was called mother, mother to Kemet. Okay. Because out of Nubia, then came, uh, Kemet. The people of Kemet came out of Nubia. Okay. These are all black people. These are all black people. The Sumerian tablets refer to these people as the black face people. In the Sumerian cuneiform, Akkadian and Babylonian tablets, which even predate a lot of the records that we have on file right now, including a lot of the African and Egyptian records, uh, it states that these people were the black-faced people. Uh, these original discoveries negate current Egyptology academics who insist that all great civilizations originated in Egypt and Mesopotamia. However, new DNA, archaeology, and anthropology studies conclude that these were not the first great civilization and that Egypt's roots of origin flow undeniably back to ancient African. Okay, back to ancient African. This is now being taught in mainstream uh, anthropology and archaeology. It's finally coming to the top, to the surface. The cream is rising to the top. Uh, you know, so a lot of this information, unfortunately, you still have to look at, you know, books from other countries. You have to really get books from authors that have, that are, that are, you know, have, uh, that are, are masters in anthropology, uh, doctors in, in different sciences and archaeology and so forth that have pulled together the data points and put them into books so that we can actually learn this information. It's slowly creeping into universities now, okay, and becoming part of the mainstream concept. But these are the facts. The facts are that the origins of the Kemetic people are black people, okay? And this is a, it's, it's a well-known fact. Let's start off with, I'm going to start today with, I'm going to talk about uh, the bloodline of uh, King Tut. King Tutankhamun, right? Tutankhamun. And let's start off with Thutmose IV, which would have been his great-grandfather. It would have been his great-grandfather, Thutmose IV, okay? Thutmose IV was the eighth pharaoh of the 18th dynasty of Egypt who ruled in approximately the 14th century B.C. And his pre-nomen or royal name, this is pretty cool, Menken Pure, Men, <laughs> Menk Epiru, 
it's hard to pronounce his name, Meng Ke Perur, means established in forms of rain. He was the son of Amenhotep II and Tia. So he was the son of Amenhotep II, who was also a black uh, pharaoh. And Tia is, or Taye is actually where you pronounce it, Taye. And another Taye came much later, which is, which is um, King Tut's grandmother, but it was spelled differently. But, but Taye was not a queen. That's why they didn't name her as a queen. Taye is actually, uh, was a concubine of Thutmose the fourth. And, uh, I'm, 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 I'm sorry, of Amenhotep the second. So Amenhotep was black and Taye, nobody knows her exact race and she's never, her face has never been shown, but she was a concubine of Amenhotep the second. And, um, she was not really his queen, you know, somebody with an inside, his side chick, his side piece, but gave, gave birth to a son, Thutmose the fourth, who did become a pharaoh. Okay. But this man was a black man. Now, his son, Amenhotep III, also known as Amenhotep the Magnificent or Amenhotep the Great, was the ninth pharaoh of the 18th dynasty. According to different authors, he ruled Egypt from 1386 to 1349 B.C. or from June 1388 B.C. to December 1351 B.C., we're talking about, you know, we're, we're going back now over 3,000 years ago in this range that we're in right now. We're talking about, you know, antiquity, deep antiquity. Um, after his father, Thutmose the fourth died. So he ruled after his father died. He was, his father was the eighth. He became the ninth. And I mean, clearly, obviously from this bust. Now these busts that I'm showing you here, by the way, this one here, Thutmose the fourth, and this one here, Amohetep the third, these are at the Cairo Museum, and now they're at the brand new museum that's opening up because that old museum has uh, been uh, everything been taken out and moved into a new museum, which is opening up very soon. But I've taken pictures of these with my own cameras when I went to the Cairo Museum in 2014. And so it's not a mystery to uh, the people that travel and go to these places. It's just a mystery to a lot of people in America because, unfortunately, they don't show these images on TV and in movies and documentaries. They just don't do it. Uh, you know, you always get a very skewed perception of reality when it comes to what happened in ancient Egypt and movies and, and so forth. And part of the reason is we're not writing any of those movies. We're not writing those stories. We're not acting in them because we're not casting ourselves and we're not writing them and then acting in them. And so when you let some, that's what they call history, his story, when you let somebody else tell the story, they're always going to put their own spin on it. That's just the way life is, right? Nothing to get mad at. It's just the way it is. If you're if you're seeing things that you finally wake up and realize, you know, uh, for example, like what we're talking about today, that your race seems to have been erased or left out of a particular part of history, and you wake up to this knowledge, then your job then there is not to cry and complain about it. Your job then is to uh, provide a solution or be a part of a solution. OK, how do you find people that can write? Can you write stories? Are you able to write? Uh, can you write, you know, movies? Can you write a script? Basically, can you create a script where there's a screenplay, you know, a playhouse play? Can you put can you can you participate in, in the um, in the forthcoming of wisdom and knowledge pertaining to some of the truths that have been kind of eradicated from history versus sitting around? And whining and complaining about it all the time. Can you, how can you be part of the solution? 
That's what it really, it's what it really comes down to. Right now, today, I'm part of the solution. I don't mind complaining about this stuff. I just say, okay, you know, people need to know about this. Let me go, let me go ahead and talk about it. You know, I'll make a I'll make a documentary about this stuff. I'll make an official TV, you know, documentary, high level quality documentary about this in the next year or so. Mm-hmm. Getting, you know, if you want to see this on, on the on the on the big screen, we have there's enough people that are watching this live right now. There's only one degree of separation on this planet. One degree of separation. That means that. Uh, because of our connectivity through the internet, it used to be six degrees. Now it's only one degree. Somebody here knows somebody that produces movies. Somebody here knows somebody that writes scripts and screenplays. Somebody here knows somebody that is connected to production in Atlanta or Hollywood. That's the answer right there. Put action behind the thought and make something happen. And then we can get these stories out. That's how you do it. That's how we can do it. We do it by action. We do it by being a solutions provider. And when you do it, when you think of it that way, you don't have the energy. Energy it takes to whine and complain, you put that energy towards finding solutions and providing the information to the world. And then all of a sudden you're happy and you feel good about it, right? Let's look at this. Now, Amenhotep third wife was Queen Taye, okay? Or Tia, depending on how you want to pronounce it, but I, I pronounce it Taye because I think that might be more accurate. Taye was the daughter of Yuya and Thayua, who, uh, she became the great royal wife of the Egyptian pharaoh Amenhotep III. She was the mother of Akhenaten and the grandmother of Tutankhamun. Okay, so King Tut. She was King Tut's grandmother. And in 2010, DNA analysis confirmed her as the mummy known as the Elder Lady, found in the tomb of Amenhotep II in 1898. So they confirmed the body. They found the body. They did a DNA test, and these busts of her are of her two slightly different ages but they're at the uh, museum in Egypt. You can go to the museum and you can see these with your own eyes. Now, clearly, I mean, obviously didn't take a chance to see that they're depicting a, uh, a black woman here. Now, she ruled as a queen, and I heard that she was kind of a stiff ruler, uh, but she was a queen. And so this was a black queen, Queen Taye. She was King Tut's grandmother. Okay, And so her husband was black. Her... Um, King Tut's uh, great-grandfather, which was Thutmose IV, he was black. And the father before him, his great-great-grandfather was also black. Okay, And this isn't even the oldest bloodline to rule over the, over the land. So the further back we go, which we'll go into another time, it's just going to take a long time to go over all this history. Uh, but I really want to talk about this particular bloodline because they had a special situation going on. Amenhotep III and Queen Taye were the first ones to start listening to Amun-Ra. And Amun-Ra, who was also known as Aten, the sun god, he was, he ruled, the reason why they called him the sun god or the sun disc is because he ruled from the sky. And according to the Sumerian tablets, this same person was the one interacting with these people and he would rule from the sky in the land of Kem. And he, um, he was trying to usher in monotheism. So his commandment to the pharaoh. See, after the great flood, according to the Sumerian tablets in the Sumerian kings list, which is located in the Ashmolean Museum in Oxford, England, uh, post-alluvial kinghood was then issued to uh, pharaohs, but the pharaohs were liaisons to these Anunnaki Atlantean people. So the Anunnaki Atlantean people were slightly above them 
and they would collaborate with the pharaohs, and then the pharaohs would delegate out to the people. That's how it worked. Okay. And they were listening to and worshiping Aten or Amun Ra. Amun Ra declared that he there would be no other god but him. Sound like the same verse in the Bible. He was a jealous god. Sound like the same verse from the Bible. He doeth the evil and doeth the good. Just same verse from the Bible. That came from Amun Ra's mouth. That's made it into the biblical text. It's copied from ancient Egyptian texts and Babylonian texts. And um he only wanted to be the one and true God, the one that all worshipped, and everybody said Amen when they gave thanks to him. That's where it comes from. That's where Amen comes from. Amen comes from him. Not to worship, not to say thank you to Jesus and say thank you to your Lord God and the won't he do with not no. That's not the case. The case is when you say amen, you're thanking one of the most brutal rulers of all time who ruled over from the sky and dominated the people on the planet. And Queen Taye and, uh, and I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna hold up the third. Listen to this guy. And I do mean guy because he wasn't a god and started to t- teach monotheism, one god religion. Okay. Throughout Egypt. This is long before Christianity ever existed, right? And so they started that whole process, and then they taught that to their kids. Okay? So who was their son? Pharaoh Akhenaten. So Akhenaten, who is a pretty strange character, because prior to Akhenaten, the people looked normal. When Akhenaten was born, he looked abnormal. He didn't look like a normal, typical Egyptian man. Something interesting about him, okay? His body type was very weird and very strange, very different. His face was different. His eyes were different. His skull was elongated. He had a very long skull. He was black. He's a black man. But he just didn't have typical homo sapien sapien features. He had some very odd features. Why? Nobody knows the answer. We don't know. We know that he became a zealot for Amun-Ra, for Aten, the sun god. He became a zealot. And he ordered everyone to start defacing all of the statues of other gods, you know, Osiris and Horus and, 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 uh, and Thoth and anybody, you know, Seth and all these people. He wanted them all chopped, chipped away, chipped away, chip away their faces, chip away the noses, chip away the ears. And so if you go to Egypt with me, I'm going to take you to the temples and take you all around Egypt where you're going to see that the majority of these statues and structures have been chipped under the order of Akhenaten, Pharaoh Akhenaten ordered that because he was told that there would be only one God, and that would be Aten, a.k.a. Amun-Ra, okay? A.k.a. in the Sumerian and Babylonian epics, Marduk. In the Jewish Torah, his name is Marduk as well. Same name, same person. <clears throat> so pretty interesting that this uh, this this man here really, like, puts his foot down after he learns this teaching and really becomes a zealot for this religion, this one God religion, and really tries to erase all the history of, of ancient Egypt and the people of Kem. And so what happens is the the people around him, their leaders and so forth, they're like, in general, they're like, man, wait a minute, this guy's erasing all of our freaking history. I mean, this guy's, this is not what we, this is not the way we've been raised for, you know, millennia. So, they find a way to kick him out of there. They all gang up on him. They kick him out. But before he leaves, he takes the Ark of the Covenant out of the Great Pyramid. It sits inside of a stone box inside the Great Pyramid. 
is part of the power source of the Great Pyramid. He takes it with him, which makes Egypt's power source turn off. That's why the Pharaoh chased after him in the chariots. He didn't cross the Red Sea. He crossed the Sea of Reeds, a much smaller, closer sea. If you read the text, if you go to the real text, not the mistranslated Bible, you find out what really happened. And um, that's where they chased him down. Pretty interesting story. Pretty interesting. So this is the gentleman that's really Moses. This is the Moses of the Bible, Pharaoh Akhenaten. Okay, this is him. This is his wife, or was his wife, Nefertiti. Um, interesting picture here. <laughs> this is her body. Okay, the head on this one was missing. But you can clearly see from the body that sister had it going on. <laughs> Man, she had it really going on. Very voluptuous, need I say. Uh, Nefertiti was a queen of the 18th dynasty of ancient Egyptian and the great royal wife of Pharaoh Akhenaten. Nefertiti and her husband were known for a religious revolution in which they worshipped solely the sun disk, Aten, as the only god. Okay? As the only god. One god religion. Monotheism. This is the beginning of won't he do it? This is the beginning. This is the beginning of won't he do it? Archaeologists found the statue that was later discovered to be the lower body of Queen Nefertiti. That's her lower body part. Okay? What was interesting about Queen Nefertiti, she also had one of these big, long, elongated heads as well. Pretty interesting. So you see the family bloodline here that we're talking about. We're talking about Amenhotep III. Uh, I didn't put Thutmose uh, IV up here. You see Queen Nefertiti, who's the, actually, she is the stepmother of King Tut. She wasn't the original mother of King Tut. King Tut's original mother uh, is still a question mark. We do know that after DNA test was done, there is some European blood in King Tut, even though he was black. But that means nothing because a lot of black people lived in Europe anyway. Like people have all over the entire planet. And then you see uh, Pharaoh Akhenaten. King Tut is here. This is These are all at the museum. You see him holding his staff. This is King Tut, the dark black man here holding uh, the staff. That's King Tut. And you see his grandmother, Queen Taye. Okay, King Tut statue from the Cairo Museum holding a staff, son of Akhenaten, stepmother Nefertiti, grandson of King of uh, Amohetep III, and Queen Taye. So that's the family bloodline right there. Very interesting family because this is the family that literally is responsible for monotheism on earth. That's why I started with this family first because it's just it's a crazy story. This family right here is the family that started monotheism, a one god religion. Prior to this, people believed in multiple gods, right? And multiple beings and entities and deities and so forth and so on. But the, the religion that is taking over the majority of the planet came out of Kim. And it started right here with these people right here. This is who started it. This is the origin of it right here. Uh, why is this like that? Let me see. I love the place. So let me go back. This is, uh, their daughter. Now they had six daughters. I wonder why the, the, it's supposed to be set up in a particular organization. But anyway, look at the, look at the depiction of the daughters. There's six daughters of Akhenaten and Nefertiti. They all look like this. They were all 
bald and they had these gigantic skulls and it wasn't skull binding. They were born this way. There's images of them etched into stone in the glyphs with them as babies already having these huge heads. Okay. Already having them. Um, there's no way for me to move this out of the way, but there's, there's five other photos behind this. All of them are, just, are depictions of the different daughters and each daughter has the same exact shaped head. Very bulbous. If you look from the front view, you can see how it kind of swells up on the sides. They had more brain mass than an average human being. In some strange way, they seem to have been slightly different. Starting with Pharaoh Akhenaten and, uh, and his wife, Nefertiti, who both had elongated skulls. And then looking down to their kids, their daughters all having these huge elongated skulls. Still being black people, but in some strange way, not quite the same as an average person having this extra brain mass, making them most likely very highly intelligent because more brain usually means more, means more intelligence in most cases. That's just a hypothesis. That's not a fact that I read anywhere. Just my hypothesis. Pretty interesting. I wish I could show you the other heads. I don't wonder why I covered it up like that. It's pretty strange. Then you have King Tut. King Tutankhamun, okay, commonly referred to as King Tut, was an ancient Egyptian pharaoh who was the last of his royal family to rule during the end of the 18th dynasty. That's the end of the old kingdom. During the new kingdom of the Egyptian history, his father, believed to be the pharaoh Akhenaten, identifies the mummy found in the tomb, KV55. This is really the end of like the old era, the end of, and but right before really the new era started to really begin. This is like the end of it, actually. And, um, What's interesting is this is King Tut's uh, x-ray of his skull. So you look at the x-ray of his skull, and it's pretty interesting because he also had an elongated skull, even though Nefertiti was not his mother. What in the world is causing their skulls to all of a sudden change to this shape without skull binding? Again, because we know skull binding takes uh, – it's done at birth, and it takes a very long time. The thing about skull binding is you don't get cranial mass. You actually shrink the size of the cranium with skull binding. We know Paraka skulls, which I have one in your house here. Uh, maybe I'll bring it down when I show you guys. I've put it online many times. They have more brain mass because the skull actually expanded. It didn't shrink. These skulls, um, King Tut, his sis, his, his five sisters, uh, six sisters, I'm sorry. His stepmother and his father all had these elongated skulls. It's like they just came out of nowhere. Nobody knows how or why. Interestingly enough, DNA tests were done on King Tut's body. Part of the DNA came back as non-terrestrial. It didn't say extraterrestrial. It didn't say ET. It said non. In other words, they don't know where the DNA comes from. Part of the human DNA in King Tut is non-terrestrial. Okay? That's a scientific fact. You can't deny it. You can't hide from it. You can't run from it. It's real science. It's in the books. Interesting. Pretty interesting. And what is the correlation between these skulls, these massive skulls, and monotheism? In some strange way, those two things occurred at the same time I don't believe in those kind of coincidences. There's something going on here. Eventually, I'm going to uncover it. I have my theory about it. I have my theory about it. 
Um, I believe that Akhenaten most likely is not the direct son of Amenhotep III, but more likely could be the son of one of these Atlanteans that his mom gave birth to and was raised by Amenhotep III. That's my opinion. The same Moses story situation. Because we know, I know the second part of the story is the same Moses story. Okay. So in the beginning story, it's most likely, in my opinion, that fact that I'm sorry, Akhenaten, Pharaoh Akhenaten, I'm sorry, yes, Pharaoh Akhenaten is most likely the son of Amun Ra. That's my hypothesis. That's not written down anywhere. That's not any fact in any book. That's Billy Carson's hypothesis. And how did I come up to that conclusion? I came to that conclusion because of reading the faithfulness of Akhenaten to Amun Ra and the fact that he, he actually, in one, one area, he states that that he is the son of Amun Ra, Aten. And I'm like, wow, I think this guy really is, um, you know, and this is why there's no mother. I think that this guy is the son of, uh, of, of Amun Ra and was raised by Amunhetep III in Akhenaten, his grandfather and his father. Um, you know, it's pretty interesting stuff. But these people are the ones that ushered in monotheism. The same thing that has spread around the whole planet. There's only one God and all this other stuff. Um, came out of here. And so when you go around Egypt with me, I'm going to take you to places that you're going to see the faces and the noses and the ears chipped away in some of these ancient temples long before any white man ever stepped foot in those places. So what I'm telling you is, I'm not saying that white people have never chipped away a nose or something, but the majority of these statues that have chipped noses and chipped faces and chipped away ears and arms and everything else, that was ordered by Pharaoh Akhenaten in ancient times, thousands and thousands of years ago, before any uh, Europeans even had a chance to set foot in that region. That's just another actual fact that you can't deny. And so my purpose and my, my goal is to spread real information, not fake information. Because I can sit up here and tell you, yeah, you know, all these faces was chipped noses was chipped off by white men. Actually, that's not the case. <laughs> that's not the case. The case is Pharaoh Akhenaten ordered it to be done. The truth is the truth. You can't escape it. Now, I'm not going to sit up here and propagate it. I'm not going to be like the people that talk about, you know, Noah's Ark and, you know, two animals went in side by side and keep propagating these fake stories all around the world. Like, I, I, I'm not going to keep propagating fake stories. The truth is Akhenaten ordered it to be done. And he got kicked out of Egypt for this. Okay? And almost got hunted down and killed when he took the Ark of the Covenant with him, the power source of the ancient Egyptian pyramid, the Great Pyramid. But uh, look at this head. Pretty interesting. And you can see these heads if you travel with me to some of these places I go to. Some people are going to have the benefit of traveling with me to Egypt. There's a brand new museum that has not been opened yet. with All this stuff in it and all these mummies in it. That it's not when we get there, it still won't be open. But just for me, because fortunately I have a lot of clout in Egypt with the tourism board and the people over there and the Egyptologists, the anthropologists, and I'm getting private access for our group and our group only. They're going to open the museum for us before it actually opens to the public. And we're going to go in and we're going to see these, uh, a lot of the stuff with our own eyes. When you travel, you get to see the other side of the story. You get to learn a lot when you travel. Oh, here it goes. Okay. I must have made a second slide and didn't delete the other one. So these are the sisters of King Tut. These are different girls. These are girls. These are women. Okay. And you can see their heads. Very interesting. 
Very, very interesting, which is also why Nefertiti wore that very big crown, that thing that covered over the, the entire skull. And these girls also primarily were bald, didn't have hair, and um, and were depicted as such. And you can see how bulbous the head, how wide it gets in the back. It's not skull binding. It's, it's enlarged, which means they had larger brains than us. These people were super highly intelligent. Yeah, these were black people, but these were highly intelligent black people. They were at another level. Their brains were massive. Massive. Okay. Um, which is probably could, uh, be one of the reasons why a lot of technology came out of the land of Cam, came out of ancient Egypt. Chemistry from the land of Cam, Cam, chemistry, Cam, alchemy. All right. All the sciences, sacred geometry, pi, phi. Uh, quantum physics, quantum mechanics, philosophy, all this stuff comes out of the ancient land of Kem, Nubia, and these other places, Ethiopia, grandmother, they called it. So I'm running out a little bit of time tonight, but I'm going to come back on and do a part two. I'm going to talk about the kings of Kush, Pharaoh Kashada. Okay. I'm going to talk about, uh, Shabaka, uh, Tarhaka, and Tentamani, all right? So those are the pharaohs I'm going to talk about next time. The next time I come back and talk about the black pharaohs of Egypt, I really wanted to spend some time on uh, on these uh, pharaohs and, and this bloodline of family, this family bloodline in particular, because they had a huge impact on today's belief systems around the world. They're a huge impact because the majority, 85% of the world is religious, and out of that 85%, 70% of them believe in this one God religion, whether it's, uh, you know, Christianity, whether it's Muslim, whether whatever it is, but typically there's one. And a lot of that stemmed from this ancient, uh, teaching that came out of the land of Kem by this particular bloodline, this particular family line of black people. Pretty interesting. Uh, so we're going to talk about the first pharaoh as well from the new dynasty next time. All right, it's going to be pretty interesting. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I'm going to try to see if this place, this is the Black Knight Satellite um, premiere. It's about one minute. I'm going to see if this actually plays. For some reason, it was acting crazy last week. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go on my phone and see if it spins at the same time, if it actually plays for us. Because I really want you guys to get a chance to see this preview. If not, you'll be able to watch it. Um, on the, on the YouTube channel. It's up there right now. It's one of my videos that, that are already up there. Okay. Let me just see if this plays. I'm going to go ahead and play it now.
saw that or not. It looks like my phone was a little staggered again. I don't know why it's doing that. It should be smooth on this stream yard, but maybe I'll try it next time with a Zoom live. Anyway, uh, if you want to come to the event, you can scan this QR code. It'll take you to my workshops page. On my workshops page, you'll see the Black Knight Satellite movie premiere. You can come to the movie premiere and uh, meet me in person. I'll be speaking there. We'll show the movie. We'll answer questions. Some of the people that are in the documentary will be there as well. And there'll be some celebrities there. We'll shake hands, take photos, walk the red carpet, and have a fantastic time. You can scan that QR code. And uh, I'd love to see you there June 5th from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All right, let me get back to the live screen here. Anyway, thanks for hanging out with me tonight, guys. I appreciate you. Um, that's been a quick hour. Thank you for the donations, anybody's donations that came in tonight, any chat donations. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's a big topic to talk about when we're talking about these black pharaohs and these black kings and these black queens. There's so many more I want to talk about, Queen Nefertari and and and, and just, just so many more I want to go into. But it's not just something you can talk about in, in just one hour. It's something that I would dig into. I could probably talk for 15, 20 hours. On this. So I'm going to do some parts on this. I'm also going to create a highly produced show that's going to air on Forbidden Knowledge TV, high-quality Discovery Channel level, Netflix level, brought uh, you know, uh, production, and I'm going to start writing that now so that I can have it possibly up, maybe even by the end of the year. Okay, so we're going to go to a studio and we got to go do some on-site stuff, and it's got to be highly, highly done. I want it very nicely done, but I will keep coming back on YouTube and talking about these black kings and queens. But today I want to focus on that one family because I thought out of the majority of the families that are out there. This one particular grouping, this small group of people, has such a huge impact on the planet versus the belief systems that are going on right now. And they claim that they were told to do this by Amon Ra. Pretty interesting. Pretty interesting that uh, this happened and that it was able to literally go around, circumvent the entire planet and dominate the entire planet. So we'll come on again. I'll talk about this some more. But yes, there were black kings and black queens, black pharaohs running Egypt, running the world. And at some point, I'm going to talk about how black people ended up spreading out around the planet. I'm going to go even further back than this one family. I'm going to go further back before them. I just want to start with them today. And we're going to talk about, uh, you know, black people circumventing the planet, getting to other continents and meeting up with aboriginals and so forth. And what, why did they even go to Australia and I'm going to talk about that too. So it's a lot, it's a lot of information that you just can't talk about in an hour. Thank you for all the donations. These chat donations go to help underprivileged children, as you guys know. So I really, I really appreciate your support. Thank you, Real Brothers Live. Um, thank you, DJ Quicko. Uh, appreciate that. Much love. And by the way, if you're ever watching any of my videos and you like what you see and you want to give a donation after a live, they, YouTube has now allowed me to add a thank you tip button to all the videos so you can just add a tip or go into the system and then that money will be dispersed to help with book bags or whatever else we gotta do for these kids all right so that by, by that method you can contribute you can participate anyway i appreciate you guys i love you guys again i'm forbidden knowledge 
Don't forget, if you want to be involved in buying shares of the company, all you have to do is go to that uh, QR code that I showed you earlier, or you can go to ForbiddenKnowledge.com, and I'll drop the link here in the chat before I get out of here. Don't forget, round two is going to be ending very soon, and we are going to be going to NASDAQ first quarter of the year. I've, I've now been given approval, official permission to make the announcement. We're going to be on NASDAQ. Everyone who involved in, who's involved in owning shares of the company, congratulations because you made a fan, fan, phenomenal decision. I can always, only tell you this as a financial, I'm not a financial advisor. I must always say this. And any investment you make is always going to be a risk. There's no guarantee. Okay. But, um, congratulations to the people that invested in round one and round two, especially the round one people because they bought them shares for a dollar. Now they went to a dollar fifty. Uh, and, uh, round two, I can just tell you that our valuation looks to be right now higher coming in, excuse me, higher than what it is right now. <clears throat> so since it's coming in higher than what it is right now, most likely the share of value is going up as well. So, hey, sometimes you just got to take, take a leap of faith and sometimes things just work out. So congratulations. So I'm going to drop in forbidden, drop this in the chat very quick before I get out of here. That link is now in the chat. You can check it out. You can download the uh, offering statement. You can look at the financials. You can look at everything because it's all public knowledge. All of my expenses, everything we do here is all publicly available to everyone because it has to be when you move in this way. All right. So, look, I appreciate you guys. I love you. Again, yes, there were black pharaohs, black kings, black queens, and people ruling and dominating over Egypt in ancient times. I just showed you one family tonight. That one small bloodline of people that had a huge effect on the planet's way of thinking, seeing, feeling, and religious beliefs on the planet today. They're still having a direct effect today on how people see God. Okay. And it all started there in the, in the land of camp. All right, guys. I'll catch y'all later. I got to hop on a live with 19 keys. So I'm going to go Instagram live with 19 keys on Forbidden Knowledge Instagram account right now. I'll catch you over there. Peace. Oh, my. We have talked about this before from the Secret Places of the Lion book. Yeah, he, I didn't get, I got the impression Uncle Otten was such, wasn't such a nice guy. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know either. He, uh, there was uh, a mission. Mm-hmm. About talking about one God. Yeah. In a pantheon of gods. And, uh, I, the, the, Agnaton didn't get along with Nefertiti. That's yeah. for sure. They what separated I, and had different kingdoms and everything. What I can say about the elongated skulls is that he didn't say they were ETs, but they were ETs. Yes, they were. But let's play this next one. This is very interesting. This one's uh, The Origins of Positive Affirmations by Billy Caution, and I think he's going to bring in Ma'at in the conversation. Here we go. This is 24 minutes. Hello, hello, Billy Carson here popping in one more time. 
Let me put on my better ones so I can see a little bit better. All right. How y'all doing? I'm coming on live one more time. I'll try this again. <laughs> uh, trying to go live without any latency issues. So, and while we're on here, I'm going to be talking about the origins of positive affirmations. Okay, that's the topic for today. The origins of positive affirmations. And uh, while we're, you know, while we're just getting started here, I want to make sure that this chat is working properly. Uh, can you guys hear me? How's my sound quality and how is my image quality? Am I, um, am I consistently streaming or is there any, are there any dead stops? I'm trying to see in the chat here. Okay. I'm going to move to the chat. Just make sure that we are doing good before I start. Let me just check it right now. Can you see the chat? Okay. Sounds good. So far, so good. Sounds good. Okay, great. Excellent. That's what I like to hear. Perfect. Okay, guys. So basically, the origins of positive affirmations. Okay, so we're going to talk about the ancient god named Mayat. M-A-A-T. Mayat is actually the pronunciation she was the wife of Thoth, both the Atlantean priest king. He actually built a pyramid in her honor, and that pyramid is at Teotihuacan, and that is in New Mexico. I'm sorry, that is in uh, Mexico at the Teotihuacan complex. So at Teotihuacan, you have uh, you have the the three major pyramids pyramids there. The pyramid of the moon, the pyramid of the sun, are the two major ones. The pyramid of the moon. Thoth built for his wife, Mayat. And that's actually eight pyramids. So the Pyramid of the Moon is eight pyramids stacked on top of each other, in case you didn't know. He used a fractal architectural uh, type of a construction technique to stack eight pyramids all together on top of each other. Uh, pretty interesting stuff. Uh, Thoth talks about and uses the number eight a lot in a lot of his writings, his stories. And now we know in the physical reality, in the case of this pyramid of the moon that he built for his wife, Mayat. She's the wife of Thoth. She's a goddess of justice. The ostrich feather is in her hair. That's how you can identify her. She helped at the weighing of the heart, and she's a goddess of truth and harmony. Notice that Thoth uh, refers to his wife as a goddess and not as a queen. Queen is a term, if you go back in time to analyze the name queen, it really means the king's whore. And so instead of using that term, the better way or the more proper way to address a woman would be goddess. Okay. Just in case you didn't know. <laughs> now, Mayotte refers to both the ancient and Egyptian concepts of truth, balance, order, harmony, law, morality, 
justice, and personification of concept concepts as a goddess. And she's also known for regulating the stars, seasons, and the actions of both mortals and the deities who set the order of the universe from chaos to the moment of creation. So we're talking about a powerful woman, powerful goddess, that has influence over people of power. That's really what all that means. She had a lot of, in that time frame, in that era, she had a lot of influence on people of power. And so one of Mayotte's famous quotes is, know thyself, know thy soul, know thy heart, and know thy purpose. Mayotte is the concept of truth, justice, law, integrity, uprightness, correctness, righteousness, steadfast, unalterable, reality, order, stability, continuity, equilibrium, balance, measurement, and reciprocity. That's what she is known for. May, which is the beginning uh, of the name, M-A-A, stands for the concept of right, true, real, genuine, upright, righteous, just, and authentic. And then you have morality, karma, dharma, uh, which is all really the same thing. And her personified names are May, Mayet, Mat, Mut, Amos, Mayat, Mait, Mayet, and Mut, depending on which part or region of Africa or the Middle East that you are from or they were from in that time. In Greek, she's known in the Greeks as Matisse, Dyke, and Phineas. Those were the names that the Greeks had given her. And so you probably heard of the 42 ideals of Maya. Now, this this is the uh, the text where a lot of uh, interesting religious contexts come from in regards to how to live on this planet. Uh, you know, they're called commandments. And also positive affirmations that you can speak out loud to yourself. And these positive affirmations are just as powerful as any of the ones that we use today. These are some of the original positive affirmations. And what scientists found now is that if you say positive affirmations out loud to yourself for 21 days, you literally can rewrite your DNA. So if you're a person that's talking negative to yourself, if you're doubting yourself, if you're saying, I'm no good, I suck, and you're doubting and you're, and you're really, um, really what you're doing is you're cursing yourself when you're doing those things. You're telling yourself that you can't do something. Okay. You got to take that T off the end and say can. And so when you say these positive affirmations, if you're able to read these positive affirmations out loud for 21 days, three times a day, what you're going to find is a couple of things. The first thing is your outlook on life, yourself, and other people is going to change. Uh, the next thing is you're going to become more um, confident. Confidence is going to build and grow in your own personal self and your own personal experiences and what you're capable of doing. And the third thing that's going to happen is you're going to literally rewrite your DNA and that rewriting of the DNA, it takes out and starts to clip out a lot of the epigenetic memories that have been stored from past ancestors that were had different types of um, um, torturous mental states uh, of, of PTSD, of enslavement, of fears and hurts and doubts. All of those get passed out through the RNA into the body and write themselves in as code. And so by saying these positive affirmations three times a day out loud, you begin to cut out and clip out those pieces. 
There's a whole workshop where I do that shows the science behind this, and it's real peer-reviewed science. This is stuff that they teach at MIT, one of the top technological universities on the planet, okay? So we're going to go through the 42 ideals of Mayotte. I'm going to actually read these right now out loud, um, and uh, we're going to uh, – well, today I can't really send you one. Usually I send this out to my people. But you can also you can look these up and you can actually download them and then you can keep a copy in your phone. Okay. so the 42 ideals of Mayotte. I honor virtue. I benefit with gratitude. I am peaceful. I respect the property of others. I affirm that all life is sacred. I give offerings that are genuine. I live in truth. I regard all altars with respect. I speak with sincerity. I consume only my fair share. I offer words of good intent. I relate in peace. I honor animals with reverence. I can be trusted. I care for the earth. I keep my own counsel. I speak positively of others. I remain in balance with my emotions. I am trusted in my relationship. I hold purity in high esteem. I spread joy. I do the best I can. I communicate with compassion. I listen to opposing opinions. I create harmony. I invoke laughter. I am open to love in various forms. I am forgiving. I am kind. I act respectively of others. I am accepting. I follow my inner guidance. I converse with awareness. I do good. I give blessings. I keep the waters pure. I speak with good intent. I praise the goddess and the God. I am humble. I achieve with integrity. I advance through my own abilities. I embrace the all. Those are the 42 ideals of Mayotte. Powerful, powerful stuff. If you can get a copy of this, you can probably find it on Google online. Just, just basically type in 42 ideals of M-A-A-T, Mayotte. And you should be able to go to Google Images and find those exact affirmations and find a way to utilize those in your life because those are really, really powerful affirmations. Okay. And to be honest with you, uh, just by saying those things, even now me just reading them out loud, it reinforces good behavior. It reinforces good thoughts and reinforces great intentions. And it also reinforces confidence in myself. Because I'm, I'm identifying myself as I do this, I do that, and I will do this, and I will do that. So you're identifying self consistently. And by doing that, what you're doing is you're building up this, uh, this real internal feeling that you're going to actually do these things. So it's almost like you're talking yourself really into it. Not that you wouldn't have done it anyway, but it just really is a reinforcing uh, factor. Okay. So say these positive affirmations out loud every single day for three, three times a day for 21 days. 
I also have a song online called Affirmations by Forbidden Knowledge. Look up that song. Listen to that song. I did that song because it covers so many different aspects of affirmations on top of music. And so I know that when you listen to words on music, they become easy to, to memorize. I wanted a way for people to memorize these affirmations without actually um, struggling every single day to try to figure out what they want to say. And so if you memorize this song, you'll memorize the affirmations. And the next thing you know, you can speak these to yourself consistently at the drop of a dime. And you can actually give yourself that boost that you need and you actually deserve. Remember, there's nobody coming to save you but yourself. And that's the power behind affirmations. You are literally the one that becomes your own savior. Okay. So I want to just drop in here tonight and, uh, and drop that on you guys. Um, you know, didn't want to take up too much of your time. I appreciate every single one of y'all. Uh, and now that I have been approved for the chat, the super chat, anyone that makes donations in the super chat, that money will go to help underprivileged children. So I appreciate you guys from the yesterday's premiere of uh, one of my podcasts that went live, Biohack, uh, Your Best Life. I was a co-host on that with Elizabeth Hoekstra. And we had some super chat donations, which we will be uh, buying some school supplies and dropping those off at the, uh, the local pack mail so that they can get distributed to underprivileged children who need school supplies for these upcoming um, school, this upcoming school year. All right. So I appreciate every single one of y'all. Thank you so much. Again, guys, remember to do your positive affirmations and share this information with other people. A lot of people uh, will come up to you and start having a conversation with you. And the first thing that they'll do is they'll come up with a negative statement about themselves. We're all guilty of it, including me. You have to have, they need somebody like you. They need somebody, even I need somebody that, that continuously puts me back in check and makes me realize I, my mindset on a particular thing is wrong and I need to change it in order to get a result. Somebody comes to you and they have, uh, they're consistently coming to you with bad news about themselves or they're consistently putting themselves down or they're consistently uh, doubting themselves. You need to constructively in a nice way, in a very delicate way, tell them they need to say positive affirmation. They need to stop talking down. They need to stop feeling down. They need to stop um, doubting themselves in whatever area of their life that they are. And you need to tell them that there's affirmations and give them some some words of healing. Give them some positive affirmations they can start to say right away and tell them, look, you need to say these out loud. Because why? That's thymatic frequency of you saying it out loud. It creates a cymatic frequency. Cymatic frequencies literally emanate through space, time and alter our realities. Also, the thing about cymatic frequencies, they have a direct effect on water. And so cymatic frequencies backed by intention can alter the state of the water in your body since human beings are 70% water. So by saying these positive affirmations, you're directly affecting the, the majority of the molecules that are in your body. Okay. You're directly communicating to the molecules because water is a molecule. Okay. In case you didn't know, you're directly affecting those molecules in a positive way. Scientific studies have been done that show that saying positive affirmations or writing positive words with positive intentions on jars of water can alter the crystalline state of the actual water molecules. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, if your body is made from mostly water, right, then saying these same positive affirmations out loud with positive intent are going to alter your own molecules. And 
if you're teaching somebody this, it's going to help them to learn how to modify their molecules. Okay. So you have to really uh, be that support person for someone else that's talking down on themselves. That's not believing in themselves or not believing that something can happen great for them in a certain area and stop them gently and kindly, not abruptly and harsh and say, look, man, you're better than this. You got this. What you, what you need to do is just speak positive to yourself. Whatever you think and whatever you speak into the world, into the, into the ether of space time is going to become your reality. If you keep saying that you can't do something, if you keep saying that you suck, if you keep saying that, you know, you doubt this and doubt that, then that's what's going to happen. Let's reverse that thinking. Let's think positive. Let's start thinking this is going to happen for you. You're going to be able to accomplish this. You're the best at this. Let's switch the way of thinking around. Let's get into existence. Let's, let's speak positive things to one another. You ever have a friend that contacts you and every single time that person contacts you, they have bad news. <laughs> I have a friend like that. And unfortunately, I mean, I love him. I've known him since high school. And I can't say that about many people since high school because there aren't that many of us left, unfortunately, from high school. But I, um, I can't answer every single one of his calls. And he knows this. I had to text him. He texted me the other day. Can you give me a call back? And I texted him and said, I can't take any bad news right now. I'm working on getting ready for my workshop. I can't have any negative input into my life at this moment. You know, I didn't let him know, you know, and when I finally did get back to him on the phone, he was laughing because he knew exactly where I was coming from. I said, man, you can't call me all the time with bad news. You have to give me positive news sometimes. I can't take all the negativity. People who always have bad news, they don't realize that they're projecting that bad news. They're creating their own bad news mm-hmm. and serious problems by continuously talking about the problems that they have to everyone. They're literally creating a mirror and they're projecting that holographic mirror out and it's duplicating and replicating over and over again as the law of attraction works in both ways. It works in positivity and it works in negativity. So if a person is always having uh, calling you or, or you see them and you say, how's it going? And they always got another sob story. They are creating that reality moment by moment by moment with their own consciousness and their own vocalization. You have to let these people know, like, you have to stop doing that. Stop contacting me only with bad news. Every time I see you, you never have anything positive to say. You have to change that around. You're creating this negative environment for yourself. It has to be at some point you have to realize you have to start focusing on the positivity. If you don't have any, if things are happening to you that are negative, then start looking for solutions and then focus on solutions. And instead of talking about the problem, talk about how you fix the problem. Talk about how you create, you, there was a problem, a situation that was created that you solved and fixed. And then you came out smelling like roses or everything worked out because you came up with this solution. You see, you got to flip things around. And when you do that, your life is going to be much better. All right. A lot, lot better. So anyway, that's the, the word I want to drop on you guys today. Don't forget about Meditation Monday. That's going to be uh, Monday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm going to put a premiere to go live up on here probably tonight. You'll be able to uh, re- get a reminder on that premiere uh, video. And I'll premiere that I'm going to be live uh 6 a.m. on Monday morning. And then we have the Global Meditation the global meditation is going to be uh, August 22nd at 2.22 p.m. for 22 minutes and 22 seconds. And that meditation is going to be a meditation for peace and healing. And so that meditation, you can go to 4 Knowledge with the number 4, 4 com, 
and click on workshops and that meditation will pop up. You can register right there or on this YouTube account. You can find the premiere for the global meditation and you can put the reminder on on this exact here, this YouTube account right here. The global meditation is set for a premiere for August 22nd at 2.22 p.m. for 22 minutes and 22 seconds, a full guided meditation by me, okay? I appreciate you guys. I see all the positive, great comments. I love every single one of y'all. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be a part of this community. I'm glad that you guys have decided to follow uh, this account and subscribe to this YouTube channel. Please share this video with someone who needs to hear this, who needs to know more about affirmations. You may have not been able to find a way to reach them or talk to them in any kind of way to get them to understand that they need to change the way that they're they're talking to themselves and the way they see the world. Share the, share this video with them. Maybe my words can be a little bit more encouraging. Sometimes if you hear something from the same person too many times, uh, they kind of ignore it. You know, kind of like how you can tell your kids something so many times and all of a sudden a stranger comes up and says the same thing and they and they and they run with it. They believe it and they actually execute behind it. So uh, it could be the fact that maybe sometimes you're hearing your same voice over and over again. All right. So share this video with, with everyone and encourage them to like and subscribe to the account. I'm going to pop in here a lot more, a lot more lives in between my podcasts and just jump on here and start talking and trying to share and spread some knowledge and some wisdom and understanding. Um, I tried to go live a couple of times earlier. I apologize if those didn't work out. There were some connectivity issues, but luckily this time I was able to get a smooth connection and hop on here. And uh, bring you guys a word tonight. All right. So I appreciate you guys. Again, I'm going to run now because I got to hop on Instagram live sh- shortly. Uh, but I want. Okay. That's good for that. We've got one more coming up here. Just one more. This is called How the CIA Recodes the Body. Uh, five, 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 one, five. And in parentheses, that number is the pain perception gene. You know about it, then you can, uh, transmute it. All the pain and suffering defeats them. Very long, strange world we've been walking through, everybody. The CIA revealed in one of its declassified documents from 1977 that the code 55515 can be used to reduce pain. Anecdotal reports state an almost immediate reduce in pain after using this method. Could it be a placebo effect or recoding your body? As I dug further into it, it turns out that 55515 is a gene related to pain perception that was discovered in 2000. A NCBI page on this specific gene writes, These channels have been implicated in synaptic transmission, pain perception, as well as mechanoperception. Mechanoreception is the ability to respond to certain kinds of stimuli. This gene is expressed predominantly in the pituitary gland. Interesting, right? To better understand how the actual method for reducing pain works, let's take a look at this declassified CIA document. Restriction. The material contained herein is intended for the personal and private use only by those who have completed the first session of the Gateway Program. 
The attempted application by others may result in undesirable and uncontrolled effects detrimental to any such unauthorized user. Repeat this affirmation in your mind. I open this channel of communication only to those whose knowledge, wisdom, development, and experience is equal or greater than my own. I restrict such contact and communication to constructive purpose and reject all other. I open such channel only when I so consciously desire. At all other times, it will remain closed. One, do your resonant breathing exercise. Inhale deeply, pulling in energy from all parts of your physical body up to and then into your head. Hold your breath for a comfortable length of time, eventually holding it to the count of 10, swirling the energy around in your brain. Then exhale slowly through your mouth as though you were slowly and easily blowing out a candle. At the same time, imagine that you are expelling stale, used-up energy through the bottoms of your feet. After the first inhale-exhale, your brain is filled with the new, fresh energy. On the second inhale, bring the new, fresh energy to your upper chest and arms, and exhale the stale, used-up energy from the abdomen down. On the third, bring the new energy to the abdomen. On the fourth, to the pelvic region. To the thighs and knees on the fifth, and on the sixth, to the lower legs and feet. It's as if we are filling an inverted jar full of new, fresh energy in six steps. Two, place all your problems and distractions in the security repository box. Three, say the affirmation while bringing back your strong desire to expand yourself and explore, know and understand, control and use the non-physical energies most beneficial for you and those around you. To reach focus 10 from consciousness number 1, C1, relax deeply in lying down or sitting down position. Feel yourself drifting into deep relaxation. When you can drift no more, say to yourself on an exhale, 2. Notice that you drift down a little more. If you do not, wait until you do. Then say 3, and so on until you reach 10. Ten may not feel the same each time, or even feel that it is the same depth each time. If you are dissatisfied with the level of relaxation at your ten, start again with five, or even two. To return to C1 from focus ten, count slowly in your mind from ten to one. Emergency return to C1. Think of any part of physical body. Move that physical part, finger, foot, tongue, etc. You all know who today's sponsor is, Skillshare. I initially joined Skillshare to take classes on video editing and then also found myself taking classes on personal development. Recently, I took this class, Modern Meditation, Discover Your Potential, Power, and Purpose by Justin Michael Williams because I felt like I needed to balance myself. Even though I've always believed mindfulness and meditation are beneficial to me, I often put it on the list of things I will do someday. So, I decided to take this class, and I'm glad I did. By taking this class, I was able to identify the areas of my life that needed the most attention and break through self-sabotage and fears. This made a huge difference. It really helped. Therefore, I strongly recommend taking this class. Once you're done, you'll have a practice you can use on your own without any guidance. 
Skillshare is an online learning community for creatives where millions come together to take the next step in their creative journey. The first 1,000 people to use the link on my description box or my code will get a one-month free trial of Skillshare. Now let's get back to the video. Energy bar tool. Purpose. To stimulate and focus non-physical energies. Method. While sitting or lying down, relax thoroughly. Perhaps counting to 10 slowly in order to reach focus 10. Then, no matter how vague it seems, take your energy bar tool from wherever you keep it Hold it close, and then tell yourself, on. With command, the bar lights up and becomes thicker in your hands. Then say, off. The light goes off, and the bar becomes thinner. Do this very slowly for a while. The tool probably should have a shape that makes it easy to hold. Some see it as a magic wand, others as a fluorescent tube, and still others as the tool out of Star Wars. Whatever shape appeals to you is best. After turning it on and off slowly, say once every second or two with intense concentration. Begin to speed it up slowly. If you find yourself breathing in time with the ons and offs, consciously disassociate the breathing from it. Also, disassociate the words on and off from the process. Speed it up even more. Hold the intense concentration. You will notice a subtle or not-so-subtle sensation in the solar plexus area, pulsing in time with the ons and offs. When you can hold the concentration on the energy bar tool on and off enough to speed them up even more, up to a slow, stroboscopic speed, do so. Later, take it up to a faster, stroboscopic speed. But make sure you are definitely turning the energy bar tool on and off and that the sensation in the solar plexus, or perhaps all over the whole body, is in time with the ons and offs. Eventually, you can get the ons and offs going so fast that the bar appears to be on continuously, and the sensation in the solar plexus is one of exciting, charged, electrical warmth. The whole body feels more energized. This may be a subtle feeling at first, or quite strong. Achieving and maintaining this feeling while holding on to the EBT is the objective. After this exercise becomes easier and more familiar, you will notice that when you first grasp the EBT, it will begin to charge itself, and you along with it. Later on, you will find many uses for your EBT. It becomes a multi-purpose tool. When you have completed an exercise with your EBT, put it back in the place where you always keep it, so that later you will find it waiting and ready to be charged. Living Body Map. Purpose. One, to locate areas of imbalance in the physical body. Two, to provide a channel for focusing energies onto specific areas of the physical body in order to balance and strengthen them. Three, to provide a channel for focusing energy on the whole physical body in order to charge it, give it energy, increase its vibration while increasing the muscular relaxation. First method, go to focus 10 and charge the EBT. Take out a two-dimensional silhouette of your body, a silhouette that looks like a paper cutout. Place your physical body behind the cutout and look at it from the front. The cutout or silhouette is white. Your physical body is emitting a great deal of light that shines through the silhouette making it glow and sparkle. 
But you may notice areas within the silhouette that are dim or flickering. These are areas of imbalance and or weakness. Take your EBT and aim green energy at the area in order to balance the energies. Then aim an ultraviolet type of purple at the area in order to add a high energy, strengthening energy to the area. If the image or thought of the silhouette, the living body map, is not clear enough to perceive any dim or flickering areas, aim the green and then the purple energies at areas you know are weak and not in balance. When you have completed this exercise with the white silhouette or map, turn the map red. Now the energy from your physical body will make the map a very bright, glowing red. Again, look for the dim and flickering spots. If you see any, you will know that there is an imbalance or weakness in the circulation system in that area of your physical body. Rebalance them with the green energy and charge them with the purple energy from the EBT. If you know of any difficulties within the circulation system, you can balance and charge those areas of the map. Then, in order to look at the nervous system, turn the silhouette blue. For the muscle and bone structures, turn it orange. And for the organs and glandular system, turn it yellow. White is a composite of all the systems in the body. When you have completed all this, turn the silhouette back to white and charge the bright white silhouette with the purple charging energy in order to charge and raise the vibration of the whole body. Notice the silhouette becoming brighter and whiter under the purple ray. To reduce pain signals, look with your closed eyes at that part of your body which is the source of pain signals. As you look, repeat in your mind the number five. Come here, Rama. Quite sure that that happened there. Or five, 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 one, five. When you do these two things. The pain signals will slowly reduce until they are no longer important. Second method. Go to focus 10 and charge the EBT. Now, instead of locating the paper cutout silhouette, find a translucent movie screen that you store in focus 10. You can unroll it from the ceiling or have it permanently set up in an area of focus 10 or whatever you like to do to generate this image or thought. The screen is white. Place your body in a standing position behind the screen. Then have it walk right up to the screen while you watch from the front. Your body is emitting a great deal of light that shows up as a bright, sharp, two-dimensional silhouette on the screen. From there on, the exercise is the same as the first method, turning the screen red, blue, yellow, orange, and white. Emotional body map. First method. Complete the first method of the living body map exercise. Place the LBM silhouette back wherever you store it in Focus 10. Behind the LBM silhouette is the emotional body map, EBM, silhouette cutout of material finer and thinner than the LBM. It is a cutout silhouette of your emotional body. If no image comes to you of what shape your emotional body is, start with the image of your physical body, realizing that in time this shape may evolve into quite a different form. It may not. Now place this EBM over your emotional body, or if you prefer, 
place it over your physical body with the understanding that the EBM silhouette is glowing from the emotional energy coming from your body. Look for the dim and flickering spots. Balance and strengthen them with the green and purple EBT energies. Then cleanse and strengthen the whole emotional system by sweeping the map slowly from head to foot with the high energy purple light from the EBT. When the silhouette is much brighter and much cleaner, turn the EBT off and store the emotional body map back behind the LBM. Second method. Complete the second method of the LBM exercise. Pull down or use a second translucent movie screen behind the LBM. This screen is finer and thinner than the LBM screen. Place the emotional body behind the screen. Now, look at the screen from the front in order to see the sharp, bright, two-dimensional silhouette made from the glowing emotional energies of the emotional body. Complete the exercise as in the first method. The more you consciously perform and use the methods listed above, the easier and more effective they will become. Okay, everybody, that's that's the meditation. Oh. Well, I would like to just take a little moment to read Tanya Gabrielle to come. Really quickly here uh, to prepare for when we bring our brother Richard on for a look at the stars. So this is what Tanya has to say. She says, and this was for yesterday, yet it's pertinent still. Two Mercury meetups reconnect you with all that is. Just a note to tell you about two big Mercury moments the next couple of days. Mercury, the winged messenger, communicator, and ruler of our thoughts, meets up with Neptune. Inspiration, compassion, dreams, spirituality, and Pluto, empowerment through truth, transformation, and purging. These Mercury meetups inspire you to communicate in a more authentic and inspired way. On Sunday, tomorrow, Mercury is opposite Neptune at 24 degrees. You are making internal adjustments by adhering to your highest ideals. As you feel disillusioned, make a conscious reconnection with your guides or with beings of the highest frequencies of light and love. Fill your thoughts with the love and the light that springs from source, all that is, the universe. Any therapeutic practices are helpful in allowing energy to flow through you with ease. So much creative energy is available to us now. In order to access it, don't focus on all that is broken, all the negativity. Instead, feel your, feed yourself with higher quality thoughts. I think this is what I've been listening to with all of us together all afternoon. Thoughts that help us to expand, to thrive, to connect. Neptune fills you with love. So you are as unconditional and compassionate as you can possibly be. Then Mercury's second meeting is exact the next day. On Monday, 
Mercury trines Pluto at 26 degrees. A trine is very harmonious and puts you in a heart-centered place. So you have access to higher dimensional wisdom. Pluto trying Mercury enhances your intuition in a big way. You will notice when you get that intuitive insight in that moment, you'll have a sensation sensation that is very clear. Pluto's trying to Mercury empowers you to take action on the impulses when they come. So pay extra close attention to those inspirational downloads. You'll receive receive strong nudges to create and build things, like looking up in the night sky and seeing a couple of starships blinking at you. You are building up your stamina, just like you would daily with daily exercise. In this case, you are sensing quickly when you are not in the flow and have a greater, have a greater awareness of your energy in any given moment so you can raise it and stay there, stay there longer. Pluto brings profound truths to our conscious awareness. Truths that help us to release whatever has and make and make course corrections rather than feel bad or guilty for finding yourself in a lower vibration. This Mercury-Pluto trine is a celebration. It celebrates the fact that you are more conscious of what you've previously barely noticed. You are more conscious of where you are in any given moment. The more you appreciate your growing awareness, the more aware you will be in every moment. Mercury opposite Neptune reminds you to dream, to decide what you want to create. Mercury trying Pluto inspires you from within to thrive and to know that you can be successful and create wonderful, profound new things. You are learning the secrets of deep inner fulfillment. Fulfillment and joy are the domain of Jupiter. And what better time than now to unlock your three Jupiter wealth zones. And so she says, then she offers some ways to do that for her, for us with her joyful blessings, Tanya Gabrielle. And so we will take a break now and we will Come back with music and some words of wisdom from our brother Richard uh, as he looks at the stars. And then we will have our Kate Pacha and our Tanya Gabrielle as well. So we'll see you at in, in a little while, about 10, 15 minutes. So namaste for now, everybody. Namaste. After talking sick to you, Richard. Thank you, sir. Good evening, audience. Whoever happens to be out there, it's the 20th of August, 2022. And I'm looking at this chart. I don't know. Let's do the, let's do the, uh, the, the red lines first. Okay. This, the sun, the sun is up to 28 Leo. So we're going to move into Virgo here this week. 
and the sun is opposite Saturn over there in Aquarius at uh, 22 degrees, and Saturn's retrograde. So sun opposite Saturn. All right, Earth is in between. And right now in my town, Saturn is rising, and it's above the horizon. And, it's, uh, and then we've got Mercury over there on the other side in Virgo. It's way, way ahead. It's uh, Mercury is up to 25 Virgo. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to go retrograde here in a, in a week or so. But Mercury is opposite Neptune with the Earth in the middle. So that's interesting, you know, on the, you know, depending on, on where those two guys are in your chart. I mean, it, it could be, it could be, it could be easier tough. Could be easier tough. And then Uranus is still down there at, at 19 Taurus. So it's uh, the the old square to the sun is going away because the sun is up to 28. And Saturn being retrograde, its square to Uranus is uh, becoming... Uh, more efficient, more effective. Uh, you know, this is Saturn and Aquarius is like birthing pains. You know, if you're trying to build a new civilization, so that's what's going on. Let's see. Oh, we got uh, Venus. Good old Venus up to twelve degrees Leo. That could be, you know, wherever that falls in your chart, wherever Leo is in your chart, you know, that's that's a good thing. Venus is always a good thing. It's a cosmic feminine love energies. You know, uh, I've been working on I've been working on the Secret Doctrine by Blavatsky. And I'm in the I'm in the very very end of it. She's got a, a long agenda of about uh, seventeen additional topics, <coughs> and she she touches on astrology a little bit, but most mostly she's talking about how the the scientists in her day are refusing to acknowledge the life aspects of planets, atoms, you know, elements, you know, mineral kingdom. They don't think the mineral kingdom's got any consciousness in it at all. The, the chemists back in the day, you know, they didn't they didn't know the whole the whole catalog of elements as we as we know them today. So she she's kind of you know, in a friendly sort of way, saying, "I wish you guys would wake up and get on the, you know, get on the plan that everything's, everything is of God and everything is conscious. You know, depending on its place in the evolutionary, in its own evolutionary path, right? So, uh, okay, what else? Oh, uh, well, the moon tonight is in uh, nineteen. 
Gemini, so it's square that Saturn. Mars is in one Gemini. Let's see, Mars and Gemini. Uh, more arguments. They got a month, a month or more of Mars and Gemini argument, argument, argument. Instead of intelligent, peaceful conversation, you know, Chiron's at uh, arguing about what? What are we arguing about for a whole month? <laughs> We're arguing about everything. Um, I mean, it's uh, they're arguing about anything that has a, the number three in it, or uh, uh, or a uh, uh, correlation, right? Right. The laws of analogy, yeah. The law of analogy, as above, so below, as within, without. You know, as the little, the big. Yeah. So yeah. Okay, I'll be quiet. That's that's quite all right. We're almost done here. So what did I say? We got Chiron at at uh, sixteen Aries and Jupiter at eight Aries. They're both at retrograde. Neptune's at twenty five Pisces, and it's retrograde. And uh, good old Pluto up there all by itself in Capricorn, trine Mercury. Trine Uranus, that big old grand blue blue trine there. And Mercury is trying Uranus, but that's gonna that's separating now. And Mercury gets further into Virgo, it won't technically be trining Uranus. But anyway, so the other thing is we got we got this pair of inconjuncts connected with the Sun opposite Saturn and Mercury opposite Neptune because of the because of the degrees going on there you got Sun in conjunct Pluto and Mercury in conjunct Saturn and so they're going Mercury is headed towards a trine to Saturn, and the sun is heading towards a trine to Pluto. So that that's coming up in a in a in a few weeks, uh, about uh, in about a month. In about a month, the the sun will be sun will be trine Pluto. Yeah, I don't even want to think about that right now. So that's that's it for now. I've, I've covered every everything that you need to know. The, all you rather, all the only thing you really need to know is where your ascendant is, so you can twist this chart around, you know, and and set it on your own set it on your own chart, you know. Like Pluto is at the bottom of my chart, so all this, most of all of this stuff is on the right hand side of my chart. Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius, and for the most part, Capricorn are all empty, right? Mercury is 122 degrees away from Pluto, 
And so that's, you know, that's the, the empty part of the chart. Libra, Scorpio, Sag, and Capricorn. Except when the moon visits. And the moon is opposite Sag right now. All right, let's see what Kaipacha has on his mind this week. Back to you. Got a great big lion on the front of his of his uh, report there. Here we go. Here we go. This is Kaipacho with the weekly Pele report, and I've uh, made it here to Montlivet in France, from Turkey to Greece to Italy, and finally, not only to France, but as you shall soon see, the great Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> August 17th of 2022, what a month this is, and it is not over yet, but we do have, I think, a little bit of a break. There's a little calm in the midst of the storm. Um, We have a number of different aspects going on. The sun is moving through the tail end of Leo, and we'll be entering Virgo next Monday. I'm going to be talking a lot about that transition because it's very powerful. The other transition that's happening is Mars. Mars has been in Taurus for a while now, but that's nothing compared to where he's going to be in Gemini. Goes into Gemini on Saturday, goes all the way up to 25 degrees by October. Goes retrograde back down to 8 in January, goes direct and basically is staying in Gemini until March 26th of 2023. Very, very long time of a Mars in Gemini. Let me climb up a little higher here, get a better view of our surroundings. The moon in the meantime now is moving through Taurus and uh, on Thursday, going to conjunct with, uh, you know, her own north node in Taurus, which is still conjunct Uranus. They are separating. And then she's going to move on to Mars, okay, and cruise on into Gemini um, on Friday. Yeah. So, really, it's uh, like the moon and Mars are going to be entering Gemini together. There's something there for a little while. Um, In the meantime, the beautiful thing that we can talk about, and why I say there's a little break in the energy, Venus trine Jupiter going through early Leo makes a nice trine to Jupiter in early Aries. And that is exact on Thursday, tomorrow. Okay, so you want to take advantage of that good energy (laughs) because... Yeah, the other thing that's happening then, of course, is the sun 
as, as, as the sun goes into late Leo, it does an inconjunct to Pluto and an inconjunct to Neptune, which makes what we call the yod. Yes, the fickle finger of fate. The yod is happening with the sun, Pluto, Neptune energy. I can be talking about that a little bit. And last but not least, uh, Mercury. Very strong in Virgo because Mercury rules Virgo and is coming into an opposition with Neptune on Sunday and a trine to Pluto on Monday. So we're in the, uh, you know, basically the, the fourth quarter. We have the uh, moon squares the sun on Thursday and comes into that final, uh, you know, balsamic closing phase of this lunar cycle. And we're not going to have a, a new moon until the next Pele report. I'll talk about that. So let me just, uh, yeah, look, look at the camera and talk to you. All right, everybody. I feel like we've been going through this little bit of what we call an initiation. And uh, it has to do with this fixed cross. The fixed cross, the bull, the lion, the eagle, and the human. Yeah, the four gospels even have that. It's, it's you know, it's in the Bible and everything. This, you know, there's references to this fixed cross. It's, it's, it's highly activated. So, you know, last month, you know, late July, Mercury goes through Leo and Squares the nodes, Uranus opposes Saturn, and it moves on. And then the, the sun came along last week, and it came in and squared the moon's nodes, Mars, Uranus, and, you know, opposed Saturn, and now it's moving on. Venus is just coming along now. After this trying to Jupiter this week, she is going to come into, you know, next week she will oppose Saturn, square the moon's nodes and Uranus before she moves on. So we're getting this, you know, Mercury, then Sun, then Venus, you know, crossing through this point of. <laughs> and what is this? I mean, and what is the fixed cross all about? It's it's a, it's very powerful. I'm I just think of the lion. We'll start with Leo the lion. We have Taurus the bull. Don't forget, fixed is I associated with Vishnu. Okay, and that is sustain, maintain, hold on, be centered. And with Leo the lion, the king of the jungle, the queen of the jungle, the lioness. It's the top of the food chain. Okay, you go out there and you're not, you know, you're not going to, well, even humans don't want to mess with lions in the wild. No. It's, it, they, they, they don't even, you know, I don't want to talk about what they're doing now in Africa oh. to the lions, but they're caging them and it's, it's, it's insane. But the word pride came from a pride of lions is this family of lions. They are proud. They are strong. And they are fierce. It's very interesting that Leo is this fiery fixed sign 
ruled by the sun, the center of the solar system, the solar purpose and power coming through as the life force and life energy, and rules the heart as well as the spine. So it's really something to have this fierce predator, the only carnivore in the zodiac. Yes, the bull is vegetarian. Okay, well, the eagle, uh, the eagle is also, uh, you know, in a, a meat eater, but the lion is definitely a predator. And Leo has to do with desire. And I think that the, the, the whole fixed cross has a lot to do, okay, with this passion and desire. And with Taurus, it starts out very, you know, very simple, very basic, worldly, sensual, financial, uh, uh, things, owning things. And then it comes around to this Leo, which is the fullness of our creative expression, like I've been talking about. We create and we create and we are the throne and we are the center of creation and we are the sun and life is coming through us and it's just like this super high point of the individual, right? And it gets humbled in Virgo. I'm going to talk about that. The sun is now moving into Virgo. This is a threshold, an evolutionary threshold. The quincunx aspect, 150 degrees, is definitely a humbling of the proud lion specialness energy of Leo, even more so then comes around to Scorpio, our third fixed sign. And Scorpio also has to do with power, but it's not fiery power like Leo. It's not so much self-oriented power. Now it is about merging, okay? The desire for, you know, something outside myself to make myself more powerful and stronger and wiser and richer so there is this alchemical transformation that happens in Scorpio, but it actually ends up, what, kind of killing off that individual specialness of Leo becomes kind of merged or melds or kind of melts down into this, you know, we, from me to we, Leo to Scorpio. And then to, you know, to finish it off, Aquarius, Aquarius. Okay. I call it outer space. It's not even fixed air. Okay. There's no air in outer space. It is above, outside, beyond. And in some way, shape and form, I think it has so much to do with rising above, witnessing our desires, witnessing our pride, witnessing our lion, witnessing our bull, uh, you know, witnessing our serpent, snake, eagle, whatever you want, you know, I mean, but this is, this is almost like the mastering, you know, going beyond, you know, going beyond desire, going outside. It is the, the liberation from desire. In preparation for what? The last sign is Pisces, right? So there's this whole evolution that's always happening as we cycle through the horoscope. 
And uh, Aquarius has to do in so many ways with this non-attachment and detachment. Now, Saturn is moving through Aquarius right now. And it's the collective consciousness. It's the social. It's the desire of the community. It's the desire of the collective, which far transcends above and beyond the needs of the individual, because the individual is greatly outnumbered. (laughs) Even the strongest lion, okay, is not going to take on a herd of elephants. (laughs) And that elephant could be City Hall. (laughs) Yeah. Or any other global or governmental institution that that I don't want to get into right now. But I'm just, you know, I'm just really uh, playing with and wanting to share this sense of this lion and how powerful it has been is, you know, as the sun moves through. And I think of like, you know, I grew up in Illinois and they had these corn, you know, we had a, a farm full of corn and the corn would go grow way high over the tops of our heads, you know. Oh, three meters tall, big, huge, golden ears of corn. I mean, this is the season. This is the time, okay, of the ripeness, okay, of the flowering, of, you know, of the great grandiosity of, of nature blooming. And then comes Virgo. We're now in this phase and we're moving, okay, into this phase of humbleness, into this phase of let's let's really consider these things, because it has to do with the sun going into Virgo. Mercury already in Virgo makes Mercury very strong. Mars now moving into Gemini for seven months puts another emphasis on Mercury. Right? Mercury rules both Gemini and Virgo. Mercury rules the left brain. This linear, logical, rational thinking and these ideas and these ideas and this and that and the other thing. <laughs> and this is where it gets tricky. Because the way I see it, the ego. The ego is very smart. And it is... You know, a small part of our consciousness, we have this subconsciousness, and then we have the individual unconscious, and then we have the collective unconscious. So, you know, it's like the ego is this little tip, 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 tippy, tip of the iceberg, but it's really trying to, like, manage, okay, the whole iceberg. (laughs) So, so you know what we do, and this is what Mercury does. We tell ourselves stories. Now, I'm not doing sun sign astrology. We are all Taurus. We are all Leo. We are all Scorpio. We are all Aquarius. We are all Virgo. We all have these planets and these signs constellated in a special way for our unique soul destiny. So we all have a lion or a lioness in us. Whether we've got planets in there or not, it rules a house. And we all have the sun somewhere, okay? So we all have this solar purpose. We have this desire to be special, to be unique, 
to create something that's never been seen before, done before, heard before, danced before, you know, fought before, whatever. <laughs> Played, I mean, you know, that wants to play and gamble and romp and have love affairs and romance and, I mean, desire, passion, passion, fiery passion. It's like, rawr, I want to gobble you up and just climb all over and roll in the sand and whatever. Wild. We all have this wild lion, lioness in us. So we all have these desires. And I'll tell you what, there's a, a bunch of these desires that are not socially cool. Not socially acceptable. Whether it's your parents, whether it's your partner, whether it's your boss at work, whether it's your next door neighbor, whether it's whoever, you know, you know, the, the religions and all this kind of stuff, the government. There are just, you know, there are desires that rise up within the soul. And we know we have a soul because we have desire. Yeah. And, and, and this, you know, powerful, these passions, these desires that are about pride and are about self gratification and are about, you know, making me bigger and wider and stronger and more powerful and conquering. And this is like, we've all got this energy that wants to be special and outrageous. And like I say, it's not always acceptable. It's not cool. It's not, you know, it's just like, no, 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 no. Don't, 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 don't be, shrink. Shrink yourself down. Don't talk so much. Don't be so dramatic. You know, it's like no drama, no drama. I mean, there's just like so many, you know, downers, 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 downers to the Leo that just wants to like play, 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 play. (laughs) So what do we do? This is where Mercury comes in. We tell ourselves stories. We make things up. We we justify. We find, the ego finds these sneaky ways, you know, of justifying that, you know, I want to take your money, okay? <laughs> and I know it's not right on a deep, unconscious soul level, okay? You know, it's just like, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's stealing basically, but I'm going to come on with this layer and that layer, you know, that, you know, you owe me or, you know, you know, you're guilty of that. And so I, uh, and so, I, you know, we, the mind is very, the ego is very tricky at making these rationalizations to justify us going after and wanting to fulfill our passions and our desires. And the thing is, we believe a lot of these stories that we tweet, we make them up. We tell ourselves these stories and we believe these stories and we say that these stories are not stories. These stories are real. This is the reality. This is the way it is. This is the way it is. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Until what? Scorpio. <laughs> well, Virgo in some ways. Virgo and Scorpio both have to do with humility because love is humbling. 
relationship is humbling. Uh, you know, uh, we, we, we cannot be the star of the show, the center of attention all the time, 24-7 for our entire lives. You know, the show must end. The curtain closes. Okay, you know, it's time to, you know, Virgo is, you know, refine, repair, retool, reflect, and improve our show. Improve ourselves, improve our health, improve our, you know, our bodies. Uh, you know, become an apprentice to something bigger, greater than we are. All you know, as it is, in preparation for Libra, right? In preparation for relationship and partnership, we need to really look at it and get it together. But Scorpio, especially, I'm speaking of this now because not only is Saturn in Aquarius, which is society and other people, but the south node of the moon is in Scorpio with that north node of the moon in Taurus. So from January of 22 to July of 2023, I've been talking about these moon's nodes. The north node moving through Taurus is becoming self-sufficient, breaking codependent relationships Okay, stepping out of, you know, conditions and situations, it's a lot of letting go. It even has to do with letting go of people, death, dying, the end of security, the end of who I thought I was, the end of illusions. And here's where it's the end of some stories. It's the end of some stories. And what I'm saying here is that love, right? Love is the teacher and the purpose of life. Love exposes us. It's really when we come into relationship, intimate relationship, loving relationship, that the other shows us our projections, shows us our stories, shows us our how we have lied to ourselves I, you know unconsciously i mean I, i'm not i don't want to you know call you a liar don't don't don't, don't get mad at me <laughs> but we deceive ourselves it's called you know self delusion <laughs> we delude ourselves in so many different ways and this is where now mercury in opposition to neptune okay this has to do with illusions and disillusionment, particularly what? Yeah, the trine to Pluto. So yeah, I would say that you know this is a week. It's very nice to have Venus in trine to Jupiter. That you know, and and, and this is how the, how uh, the trick, the big trick in life for me, the way I see it, is keeping the heart open and loving again. Because love is like waves on the sea that crash us against the rocks. And we say that we want to open our hearts. But life breaks our hearts. Like eggs for an omelet. I'm going to break your heart open. And you're going to see what's inside that heart. And you're going to see your truth. You're going to see 
the yoke, <laughs> right? And then you're going to see the white lies. <laughs> That's right. I got to remember that one. You know, but but it's like it's all in there. It's all in the heart. Who we truly are. Who we really are. And this is the path of evolution. The path of self knowledge. So love is our great teacher. Love shows us ourselves through loving partnership and relationship. Because the more you love, the more intimate you get, the more naked you get, the more vulnerable you get, the more you are seen and the more you are cracked open and the more, the more of a shit show you get to witness of yourself. And this is why there's so many people that are afraid to love and they close their heart and they shut down and they are not going to go there again. They got their heart broken when they were so, so old and then, or they got their heart broken two or three times or they've got, you know, that my heart's been cracked open and broken open, you know, and I'm not going to do it again. You know, I promise. I, I, you know, it's, it's shutting down. But Leo is not shutting down. Leo, Leo is staying open. Leo is the sun never stops shining. And Gaia, the earth of Virgo, never stops supporting and never stops healing us. And so this is our challenge, the way I see it, you know, is to come to terms with, you know, so come to terms with ourselves as we are, not our stories, okay, not our assets, okay, you know, money, good looks, charisma, social position, whatever, you know, these are all superficial. I'm talking about, when we're talking about the North Node in Taurus, conjunct Uranus, which is sudden, shocking, often traumatic revelations around our worthiness around our ability or inability to love ourselves as we are, not love ourselves as we want to be or think we are or have told ourselves that we are, but no, 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 no. Now we get, yeah, we're going to be getting some, you know, Mars and Gemini, Sun, Mercury and Virgo. We're going to be getting some criticism we're going to be getting some refinement. We're going to be getting some opportunity to up the bar, improve our game. And the challenge will be to remain in a state of self-love and to remain in a state of acceptance that, yes, I can, you know, I have failings. I have things that I can improve. I'm not going to let that stop me from keeping my heart open, from entering into relationship, from, you know, going forward, from, you know, risking. The lion and the lioness is adventure, taking chances, gambling, trusting itself. We have to continue to keep on trusting ourselves, even though we're getting, you know, some negative signals from this Saturn up there in Aquarius. You know, it's going to be, uh, you know, in Aquarius opposing Leo till March of 2023. March of 2023 is really big. Pluto goes into Aquarius. 
Mars leaves Gemini and goes into Cancer. Saturn leaves Aquarius and goes into Pisces. So there's a big, you know, kind of a wave happening here that is building up towards the end of the year and then crashes down on the beach. Yeah. Next uh, spring in the Northern Hemisphere. But anyway, don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I just really want to tune into, you know, this stage of Leo and how the heart mind, the heart mind, okay, you know, is really about honesty. It is about truth and being clear with ourselves and being able to listen when other people come in with perhaps unpleasant reviews. And even, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's all bad. I mean, you know, you can, you can, this can also be a time, you know, well, Venus, let's look at Venus, Jupiter a little bit. That's a little lazy. The Venus trying Jupiter is a little lazy. This can be where the lion just wants to sit there in the sun and not do nothing. <laughs> And so there, there may be like hustle and bustle around you and you just kind of want to, you know, uh, you know, have a drink or have a, you know, a nice, cozy, comfy lounge chair, <laughs> lay on the beach or something and just let life go. But I suggest you don't. This is, you know, the more that you can engage now, particularly, like I say, it's really as of next Monday that the sun, uh, you know, goes into Virgo and Things really, it's time to get back to work. So that's why I said this is week is a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a week off, but you know what, boy, by next week, sun goes into Virgo, Mars into Gemini, you know, Venus coming into the, the Grand Cross. It's, it's going to get intense again. So what you want to do now is take a big breath and I would say, yeah, you know, as much as you can, relax now while you can. <laughs> This too shall pass. So, uh, you know, make the most of uh, Venus trying Jupiter, man. It's a good one. It's a good one. So the mantra for this week then is love is more than I have been told. It's the teacher and purpose of life. It breaks my heart open again and again. Exposing my truth and my lies. Love as the purpose of life. My, my personal feeling is that, you know, I've, 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 I've often wanted this to be my last life. <laughs> it's like I'm done with this planet. I'm done with this reality, this 3D Saturn bullshit. <laughs> I want out. And, you know, the way out for me is to is, is through love. Yeah. And when I am able to love absolutely everything, everybody, every dynamic, every principle, every idiot, every whatever, that's the that's the that's the key to the exit so love is the purpose of life if we can keep the heart open 
to everything and everybody, we ultimately will experience the law of one, the oneness of all life, and that is the moment of ascension, samadhi, nirvana, however you want to, you know, whatever words you want to put on it to me, it's just like uh, returning to source. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and, and love, like I say, I'm, I'm relating this all to the heart, to Leo, to the sun and its final degrees, Venus coming up into the middle of the heart of the lion. And I wish you a lovely week. <laughs> yeah, baby. You have a lovely week now. And just remember that love is more than I have been told. It's the teacher and purpose of life. Yeah, baby. It breaks my heart again and again, exposing my truth and my lies. Sit with that one for a little while. Maybe you'll find yourself repeating it a few times this week. But yeah, I think there's a lot, uh, there's a lot in that mantra. And I, uh, certainly wish you the best evolution, self-knowledge, discovery, and love. Namaste. Aloha. So much love. Lion just hanging out with us the whole time. That's talking sick to you, Richard. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking <laughs> at next Saturday's chart here. Um, just a few words. Uh, Mercury this week is moving away from its opposition to Neptune and moving into an opposition with Jupiter. Those two guys are about uh, 13 degrees apart, Neptune and Jupiter, 25 to 8. And Mercury's going to be at 2 Libra next Saturday night. Uh, Venus is moving this week into its opposition with Saturn and that'll be that'll be increasing all week and it'll be one degree from exact next Saturday night. Venus will be at, at twenty Leo next Saturday night opposite 
Saturn at 21 Aquarius. And Mercury will still be trying Pluto. And it'll be trying Mars. Mars will be at 5. Mercury will be at 2. So we'll have Mercury trying Mars. Uh, moon will, we're going to have a new moon uh, Friday or Saturday morning. And that's about all that sticks out. Saturn at 21, still square Uranus at 19. And that's it. So um, a little bit easier this coming week as Mercury gets away from that ugly opposition to uh, to Neptune. So that's it. It's all I've got except to wish you all a good good safe week. Yes, and we'll have a little listen to Tanya here. Okay. Here we go. Oh, Richard, you, yes. What? I just wish you a little bit more sunshine after three days of rain. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I did manage to uh, pick a car, um, a colander of green beans uh, this afternoon in between the rain showers. So I've got some green, fresh green beans to cook tomorrow. Mm. And I'm still getting a few tomatoes. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the bean plants are old and raggedy looking and the tomatoes are, you know, they're just doing what late tomatoes do. Mm-hmm. I got them climbing, you know, I put them in cages and then they, they grow up out the top of the cages and then they flop over and I prop them up with sticks and stuff like that. Anyway, I'm still enjoying fresh tomatoes. That's a good thing. Yeah, they're the best. They're the best. <laughs> Namaste. 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 All right, here we go with Sister Tanya. Hello there, it's Tanya Gabrielle here, Wealth Astrologist. Welcome to Star Codes. This week we're going to look at the Virgo New Moon. And as usual, we're going to approach it from both the astrology and the numerology. Now, the Virgo New Moon takes place at four degrees in Virgo. And it's an extraordinary new moon because the sun and moon will be at four degrees Virgo and Mars will be at four degrees in Gemini. And both Virgo and Gemini are ruled by the same planet, Mercury. So this is going to be a major Mercury event and Mars event as well. So sun and moon, four degrees Virgo, the sign of healing, the number of manifestations, so manifesting healing, manifesting your true purpose through the messages that you share, Mercury, the messenger. And so 
Let's dive more deeply into the code. First of all, let's look at the time of this new moon. It happens at 9.17 a.m. Universal Time in London, and that's 4.17 a.m. Eastern Time, New York, and 1.17 a.m. Pacific Time, L.A. Now, 9.17 Universal Time, when you add those numbers up, 9 plus 1 plus 7, it adds up to another 17. And 17 is the immortality number. So that indicates with all these 17s that there's going to be something around this new moon in your life that you will perceive, understand, manifest that will leave behind a legacy. And so this is a very important part of the numerology code. The other part is that the four degree placement of the sun and moon and four degree placement of Mars square the sun and moon in Virgo. Four and eight, 17 reduces to eight, are in the manifestation triad, two, four, eight. And four and eight are considered in numerology two numbers that can indicate destiny, karma. And so karma, not in a negative sense, but basically what you have focused on will come to pass. So this is a pivotal moment in the year to really take stock of how you have been approaching your life, from what perspective, what has been on your mind, because whatever you are focusing on is basically what you are going to be immersed in energetically and the universe will return the favor, right? So this is an important part of the code. And then also the fact that Gemini is activated as well. Gemini and Virgo both being ruled by Mercury. So this will create a lot of energy because Mars, Gemini is a fast moving sign. Mars is a fast moving planet and Virgo is an earth sign. So there's going to be the sense of trying to move from a more stable sense, like having flexibility and security at the same time. There's going to be a real push to move, to create movement, and to not overreact. Yes, you're going to have unresolved emotions that may need to be aired or shared, but you need to do so with utmost care. So sun and moon square to Mars can stimulate a sense of competitiveness and also possible conflict. So if you feel yourself getting irritable or impatient, just Seek a compromise. Be confident and calm. So use the Mars energy for forward momentum in a secure way. Mars is very confident and Mars, of course, goes for it. So you want to seek a compromise if you find yourself in a situation that pits you against someone else. And you want to abstain from engaging with those who want to rile you up right, coax you into some kind of conflict uh, argument. So just take a pass, say no, and just know that you have Mars's energy at your disposal in a positive way because Mars stimulates you to act, to move your body, to exercise. So channel the fire of Mars that will be very strong. Channel it into walking, swimming, moving your body, right, You can do it with music. Whatever gets your heart rate up, you want to focus on that because it'll help you release any of this pent-up 
fiery energy that just wants to be creative. It wants to create. It wants to be put into action. And so if you put it into action, you won't have a knee-jerk reaction if triggered in some way. Now, there are a lot of lovely aspects from Venus. Venus is square to Uranus, and Venus is also opposite Saturn. And a square to Uranus usually indicates a lot of creative energy, so that'll add to the Mars creativity as well. And so an opposition to Uranus usually creates some kind of instability. So in this case, because it's Venus, there may be some changes in an intimate relationship, could be business or personal, or, and, and this is, especially if you feel sort of confined or smothered in any way, you want to break free because Uranus is the freedom planet. Uranus rules Aquarius, this sign of our age that we're moving into, the new 2000 year age. So anything that works with Uranus is important. You know, Venus is about pleasure and abundance and love. And Saturn is about diligence, responsibility, uh, timing and work. So when they're in opposition, you want to lay low a little bit, maybe take the weekend off because this new moon actually happens on a Saturday. So not work so much and keep it easy and allow your mind through Mercury being the ruler of the new moon to go to places that are surprisingly creative, surprisingly evocative in terms of where you can head with your career, with your ideas, with your relationships, with your health, because Virgo governs health. And to help matters, Mars, the planet square to the new moon, is actually sextile to Jupiter, Jupiter and Aries. And that's Mars's sign. So there's a really big enhancement of Mars through Jupiter. And that gives an even stronger desire to move forward and create success, right? There's a desire here, a deep desire from Mars and Jupiter enhancing Mars through the sextile to create success. So you have this positive outlook that impacts your manifestation rate, your ability to focus on your attentions and focus on the frequencies that you want to align with joy, creativity, peace, love, abundance, and it's basically the frequencies that bring you joy because Jupiter is the joy planet and in the sextile to Mars fires up whatever brings you joy. So just know that financial flow is enhanced with Venus and Jupiter both activated during this new moon. Your initiative, your ability to take initiative is very much enhanced. Mars is all about initiative and you're going to benefit from wonderful opportunities in order to invoke these qualities. Now, Mars is also trying to Mercury, the ruler of the Virgo new moon and the ruler of Mars's sign where Mars is currently moving through. That is Gemini. So Mercury is going to really inspire you, right? There's, there's going to be a, a real uh, yearning to act on your inspirations with confidence through Mars. So you have increased concentration powers. You can focus on meticulous projects, which is also enhanced through Virgo. Virgo is also about being very meticulous. You're innovative, magnetic, Mars. Your message is magnetic. 
you are you feel attractive and you come across as attractive and maybe ideas that you've kept to yourself can now be shared openly you feel comfortable with that you feel passionate about the ideas and want to share them now one other thing to look at here in the numerology code is that this new moon is happening on august 27th i hope i mentioned that before um but the whole date the universal date is 23 so 8-27-2022 adds up to 23. 23 is the royal star of the lion number. And this is a very powerful number. It's considered the most powerful in numerology. It's about courage and leadership and freedom. And 23 reduces to 5. 2 plus 3 equals 5. Now, August in 2022 is a 14 universal month. 14 also reduces to 5. 1 plus 4 equals 5. So the number 5 also plays a role in addition to the number 4 and the number 17, 8. And 5 is the shift number. It sits on a rocker. It faces left and right. It's the middle number between 1 and 9. And it basically is you're making some decisions because you're changing. There's change in the air. So when we have the 23 and the 14, both reducing to 5, uh, both activated during this new moon, that means that you are ready to make the shift to understand that everything you do that is meaningful comes from your connection to source, to all that is, to the one energy, the one creative energy. So this is a time to connect to that energy, to source. And one of the easiest and most magnificent instant ways to do that is nature. And Virgo is an earth sign. And the four-degree placement of the sun and moon with four-degree Mars, triple four, this is a very powerful activation of the number four. And earth resonates to four. We have four directions, north, south, east, west. We have four seasons, and these are indicative of how Earth is connected to the number of security. It's, it's, a, it's an Earth, when you say an Earth sign, for example, in astrology, those are the signs that are very secure. They lay roots in the Earth. So one way to do that is to just stay grounded in your natural state. Don't allow yourself to be manipulated, for example, through technology, through being on your phone too much or online too much. Read a book, get out in nature, and really honor how you were made by source. Honor your body, exercise, eat well, right? Virgo is very much about health and healing. So, again, four manifests very quickly. Virgo is also a manifestation sign. Virgo is an earth sign, four represents the earth. So one of the biggest things we do on this planet is to learn to master our feelings, our emotions. And healing comes when we are touched on every level. And and here's the thing, touching is physical. Being physically touched is absolutely vital. And also being touched spiritually, emotionally mentally and when you look people in the eyes so that's again put the technology away to have time to literally sit there and be physically present 
and spend time with the people who you are connected to, like literally, physically, and feel their energy and look into their soul. So this is how you then master the emotional side because you are connecting to source and you're not privy to this crazy thought stream constantly running, giving you regurgitated information because it's definitely not inspiration. So this code of the 17, the five and the four is combining to really get you grounded, excited about forward momentum out of your head and into creative fired up energy. That's the, the real, I just can't wait to do this or, you know, work on this project, whatever the case may be, or read this book or take a walk in nature, whatever the case may be, you are comfortable opening your heart and sharing in the process of, of your amazing relationship with all that is with the light. So this Virgo new moon is powerful in so many ways. And it also ends August. It's on the 27th. So then we move into September when many things tend to get started, schools, colleges, fiscal year, you know, so it's a wonderful time to take stock, take that weekend and really focus on your self-care, your inner life, your body, your connection to earth. So have a beautiful Virgo new moon. And remember that you also have a star code. Your birthday, your birth certificate name, they resonate to specific numbers that carry great meaning, your life purpose, your destiny. And all is revealed in a free masterclass at starcodeclass.com. And in that free masterclass, we will look at your destiny. Basically, you're going to come face-to-face with your star code. And we'll look at the astrology and the numerology. There's a handout. You can also look at other people in your life so you understand them more deeply and have such compassion and non-judgment for them. And it is just a wonderful way to ground your energy. So have fun with that free masterclass. It's about 90 minutes long. It's really fun. And it's all about you. (laughs) So go to starcodeclass.com. Have a beautiful Virgo new moon, and I will see you in next week's Star Codes podcast. Lots of love. Okay, Rama, mm. we need our phone numbers to go to the conference calls. Uh, 720-716-7301, and the PIN code is 353-863-POUND. Okay, everybody. So we'll see you there for the next hour. And then we'll be right back here on BBS Radio at the top of the following hour. 
Best Radio. And again, it's Station 2. Last night it was Station 1. I have to keep remembering that. On Friday nights, we're going Station 1 now. We're linking Station 1 and Station 2 and expanding the Sara Now energies to a wider audience. So, won't it be? So, we'll see you on our conference call, everybody, tonight. Looking forward, and we'll be back here in just about an hour. Sat Nam. Namaste. See you on the conference. Now, Rama. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. We haven't heard that one for a long time. Yeah, I just... This is a Hawaiian man. I don't remember how long ago. Maybe 30 years ago now, right? He left in 1997. 1997, 2017. Yeah. 20, 25 years. Okay. That was five years ahead. But uh, I'm just going to say that the whole island of Kauai got out there and cheered him on. They did a performance in the sea yeah. with their canoes. Whole thing. He was just 38 when he left. That young? Yeah. Wow. 38 when he went over the rainbow. But he was just, that spirit in him was just very sustaining for the people. But um, we're going to go to Ascension, Twin Flames and Soul Contracts is the name of this presentation. And um, as we connected across lifetimes with the people, are we connected, excuse me, are we connected across lifetime with the people we know? Based on her work with the Akashic Records, Debbie Solaris returns to Beyond Belief to guide us through different types of soul contracts and karmic relationships that we all may have across lifetimes with our family and friends. These agreements with other souls can be soul mates or even twin flames connected to our karma. Solaris explains that the soul contract exists to help us go through experiences together, reincarnated through one lifetime after another. In this process, we help one another ascend on an individual level and ultimately guide Earth to a higher, fifth dimension ascended state. She describes how humans with starseed origins may also have soul contract connections with ET beings from other star systems. When our soul contract is completed, our higher selves can move on from that karmic lesson. Debbie Solaris is an ET contactee and galactic historian whose reading of the Akashic Records helps her clients transform their lives. 
Her previous interviews on Gaia are cosmic connections and collective destiny. Arcturians, Pleiadians, and Lyrans, Galactic Akashic Historians. Okay, so this is George Nury with Debbie Solaris. 46 minutes, here we go. The Akashic Records, can we rewrite them? When souls are formulated in the beginning of time, they're very large. They might have to split. Everybody makes these soul contracts. Can you break the contract? Yes, you can break contracts. That's probably not a good idea, right? How do we know this is a soulmate? Oh, that's uh, that's a question I get a lot. A lot of times I have clients that say, you know, I think I'm being abducted a lot. I'm not sure if I have a contract with gray aliens. Is there a guiding force that kind of overlooks these agreements? Well, welcome to Beyond Belief. Debbie Solaris with us, an ET contactee and galactic historian. Now, through her connection with the Akashic Records, she receives downloads of galactic history. Debbie, welcome to Beyond Belief. Thanks, George. Thanks for having me back. And um, we got to stop meeting like this, though. It's, it's, it's the best place to meet, though. I know. It? it is. Yeah. It's, and we're still getting a lot of response from your last presentation some yeah. time ago. Yeah, absolutely. So. What is a soul contract? What is that? A soul contract is an agreement that one soul will have with another soul in order to learn lessons or to go through different experiences together. As souls, we're very expansive. And uh, this is something that I work with a lot through my Akashic Records um, work that I do. So give me an example of a soul contract. Uh, for instance, uh, a lot of people know the terminology soulmates. Uh, that's an example sure. of a soul contract. Uh a soulmate is usually somebody that we've had past lives with, um, usually romantic, not always, but um, uh, but usually we feel this familiarity when we meet a soulmate, you know, even in this lifetime. Or at least an emotional connection, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Very much so. So many people, when they break up with a soulmate, think it's the end of the world. It's not, is it? Not at all. There's a, um, unlike twin flames, which we'll also talk about. Soulmates, uh, we have many soulmates, you know, so there is an endless amount of soulmates. So not just have. one. No, you not at it. all. No. That's good. Now, yeah. why is it so important during this time period to have the soul connection? Uh, the reason why soul contracts are very, I think, um, I think popular these days, people are really looking at them. Uh, when I do Akashic readings, people are always asking me about their soul contracts is because, um, We've gone through many lifetimes where we're learning lessons through these soul contracts that we have with others. Sure. And so we go through, you know, many, many lessons with the same, you know, the same same souls. Uh, so in this particular lifetime, because we're all here to help Earth ascend to the fifth dimension, we are all trying to clear out our soul contracts and work through those old lessons in order to help Earth ascend to the fifth dimension and also to help raise our consciousness to the love consciousness. Um, so we're clearing away, you know, the feelings of resentment, hate, uh, 
grief, sadness, depression in our contracts in order to achieve that um, that higher love consciousness. Is this a contract? Is this a deal with God? Um, it can be, yes. Uh, I think as um, as all, we're all soul shards of source, you know, so we're all pieces of God. Um, that's what I believe anyway. And so um, part of us separating from source is to have different experiences. And we all want to have a multitude of experiences with our soul contracts. And even uh, we learn a lot of times um, our most valuable lessons, even through some of the so-called negative experiences we might have with souls. Sure. So, um, so yeah, I think it definitely is part of a contract we have with God or uh, source or the higher intelligence. Does everyone have that soul contract ability? Absolutely. We do. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody has uh, a soul contract. Um, some of us might have, different soul contracts, depending on what lessons we've chosen to have in our incarnations. Uh, usually we make decisions about soul contracts in um, that in-between life state where it's called bardo in Tibetan Buddhism. So it's uh, between uh, death and, and reincarnation. Uh, so in between that time, we usually go through a life review and we're setting up um, decisions that are made during uh that we're going to have in our our next incarnation so right. so yeah they definitely uh you definitely making uh so everybody has this uh makes these soul contracts um can you break time. the contract yes you can break contracts that's probably not a good idea right um actually in some cases it is a good idea oh really oh yeah yeah i think so um sometimes we might repeat old lessons over and over and over again and it's no longer serving our highest good. So um, so sometimes, you know, you might want to do an Akasha clearing or, you know, maybe some shadow work to release those contracts that are no longer serving your highest good and uh, contributing to your soul growth. Do people generally make contracts with friends, loved ones, employers? Who do they oh. make it with? Oh, with um, there's a multitude of different types of contracts. Uh, uh, there's twin flame relationships, there's soulmates, which we mentioned before. Sure. And uh, a lot of people are very focused on the twin flame right now. Um, and what is that? A twin flame is a soul, and you usually only have one, uh, that is the other half of your soul. So a lot of times uh, when is souls... Is it your doppelganger type thing? Um, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but... Uh, it's kind of like the other half of your soul. So when souls are formulated in the beginning of time, they're very large. So when a soul chooses to incarnate in physicality, they might have to split. And usually they split as a father God consciousness or a divine masculine expression of the soul and a mother goddess consciousness or a divine feminine expression of the soul. So you might have a twin flame that's more masculine and another one that's more feminine, even if they are the same sex, you know. Um, but uh, but usually with twin flames, it's usually romantic, but not always. I've known of twin flames that are maybe brother and sister or grandmother. But, but there is a close relationship. Absolutely, yeah. Very, it's very magnetic relationship. Um, you learn a lot of lessons with your twin flame. What is that connection? Debbie, when we find our soulmate, how do we know this is a soulmate? Oh, that's a, that's a question I get a lot, um, especially when I do Akashic readings. Uh, 
A soulmate is somebody that we just feel that instant connection, that familiarity. Uh, we feel like we've known them for lifetimes and many lifetimes. Oh, many lifetimes. Yes. And, uh, and we usually feel like there's a connection there. There's a soul connection. There's, um, many, uh, like a contract with them. Uh, usually the contract might be we might share missions or we might share our lifetimes. It's sure. usually somebody that we end up either marrying or somebody that we might have a long-term relationship with. And it doesn't have to be romantic. Not at all. Yeah, out. no, there's many types of soulmates. On the Gaia Show Open Minds, Ariel Ford talked about soulmates and how soulmates can recognize each other. Oh, this is amazing. fascinating. Oh, very cool. So my definition of a soulmate is that it's, First and foremost, somebody you can completely be yourself with, somebody with whom you share unconditional love. And when you look into their eyes, you have the experience of being home. And if you accept that definition, then I want to expand it even further because we're going to be talking about romantic soulmates today. But your kids, your parents, your siblings, your coworkers, your best friend, your cat, your dog, all are also soulmates if they fit that definition. And to take it even a step further than that, I would also say a soulmate is somebody that you feel emotionally and physically safe with. We have a tribe and we have recognition when we connect with our tribe. And I do believe when we're planning to hook up in a particular lifetime with a soulmate that we go to a place that they call recognition school. Mm -hmm. And we plan out the coincidences and the synchronicities so that we can recognize each other. We can fall into nature's trick and be crazy in love mm -hmm. and see this so that we can get together and grow and heal each other as a couple. Debbie, what do you think of what you just said? I love what you just said. That's exactly the same way how I feel about soulmates. Yeah. Um, the beautiful thing about a soulmate relationship is that it, it's it's uh, we oftentimes embark on those uh, contracts in order to learn self-love. So when we get into a relationship with a soulmate, they're reflecting love to us. And so we're learning, hey, this person loves me. So maybe I'm not so unlovable. Maybe I can love myself. And uh, so we get to see ourselves mirrored in that and in, in that other person. Can we be cutting contracts and we don't even know we're doing it? Uh, sometimes, yes, I would say I've seen that happen before with some of the uh, Akasha clearing work I've done with clients. Um, but usually I think it's a higher self. Uh, our higher self kind of takes over at that point. So the higher self will, will say, OK, we no longer need this contract. Let's go ahead and, you know, um, and dissipate the contract. So what causes the disruption between soulmates when things fall apart? The relationship falls apart. Right. The friendship falls apart, whatever it might be. There's many reasons why that might happen. Uh, I, I've, a lot of times when I do work with clients, um, we're looking at their Akashic records in order to see where the disillusion of the relationship what happened occurs. To it. Yeah. yeah. What happens? Maybe it's caused by a past, uh, maybe an old trauma signature from a past wife. Maybe it's because the the other party in the contract doesn't want to learn their lessons, you know, so sometimes, you know, the relationship just falls apart. Interesting how this is done. Yeah. And it's been going on since the beginning of time. Hasn't Absolutely. It? Yeah, I know. That's why 
And during this timeline, you know, here on Earth, um, the reason why so many of us are trying to clear and work with our soul contracts is because we all want to ascend to the fifth dimension, you know, at least those of us that are on the spiritual path. So um, a lot of my clients now are, are coming to me and they're asking a lot of questions about their twin flame, soulmates, uh, karmic partners, et cetera. So. Can you have a relationship, a contract with someone you don't get along with? Oh, absolutely. That happens too? How does oh, yeah. that happen? That's a called a karmic partnership. And I deal with a lot of those too with my readings. Uh, a karmic partnership is usually somebody, uh, it's usually uh, a contract where we didn't learn a lesson from a previous life. So then we contract with a master soul. Usually it's a master soul sure. that actually loves us, but they they choose to play the bad guy in our life in order to help us master this lesson in this life. So the quicker we can transcend the lesson, the quicker we can close out that that soul contract and move on to more positive relationships. Back to Open Minds again, where Nicholas David Nagan discusses what you've just talked about, yeah. these karmic relationships. Oh, wonderful. That's interesting because a lot of people experience this, especially yeah. in their personal relationships where they have this internal conflict all the time. But then when they're apart, they think fondly of each other. Yeah, because they're not in the, what I call the cauldron of karmic rela- relating, which is how yeah. a lot of initial relationships are, to bring our attention to our patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that happens is, for example, if I had a, say you had physical karmic sevens, which are about healing the heart and opening to show your true feelings and thoughts in the world. And I had physical talent sevens. Okay. My positive energy would go into your physical talent gateway up into your physical karma and it would help you heal the heart. So that's called what called a karmic lock. So that is actually what draws people together. That's actually the tractor beam effect that actually pulls people. That's what happens when they're falling in love. Yes. A lot of the time you just get pulled in and say, what's happened? Yeah. What's happening? Okay. Mm-hmm. It's because you're getting the positive frequency that you need is a perfect match. Mm-hmm. And so you will grow much faster by going through that. But you have to feel your way through a lot of more of the negative karmic issue initially. But if you stay with it, then you'll find, oh, I don't have that feeling of heartbreak. I actually feel more decisive, which is what a seven is all about. Mm-hmm. I feel I want to show myself. In fact, I'm opening and I feel safe. And so those sort of relationships are where people grow much more rapidly than they would by themselves because they're getting this transmission, you know, 12 hours out of seven days a week. I have a friend in St. Louis, Debbie, whose wife died a couple of years ago, and he's been brokenhearted ever oh. since. And I got a text from a buddy of mine last week who said, Steve just died. <gasps> and the doctor said it was broken heart syndrome. Oh, my gosh. That's tied into all of this. Oh, absolutely. That happens actually quite a bit. Um, I also have a friend recently who uh, her husband passed away, or I would say her partner passed away because his his brother passed away two weeks earlier, and he was very close to his brother and uh, felt that um, he was so heartbroken that he ended up having a heart attack two weeks after his brother passed. So it's very common. There's something that it affects the heart physically, doesn't it? Yeah. This emotion. Yeah. These contracts, uh, how important are they? 
I would say they're extremely important, especially during this timeline, because this is our apex life as far as um, a lot of us have chosen to be here on Earth during this time because this is an evolutionary And these time. are interesting times. Oh, they What's sure that are. saying? The best of times and the worst best of, of times? times? Oh, yeah, definitely. Here we are. Yeah, here we are. Yeah, so we are having some interesting experiences, and uh, even on a global scale, you know, a lot of these contracts are being played out. Um, even with some of the world events. Do children make contracts? Oh, absolutely. With adults and oh, parents yeah. and stuff like that? Absolutely. At a young age? Yeah, it's it's all determined even before they're, they've incarnated. Uh, children will often have contracts with their parents, with family members. Um, a lot of times when I'm doing Akashic readings, you know, um, I'll have parents that ask me about their children and their connection, their soul contracts with their children. So very much so. Some people do contracts with the devil. Is that the same thing? <laughs> that is more what I would call spiritual suicide. So when uh, what spiritual suicide is, is when you're turning away from the light, you're turning away from the light. Intentionally. Path. Intentionally. Yes. Why would somebody want to do that? Maybe to gain power, fame, money. Um, there's many Can't reasons. Can't you do it by not doing the evil end of it? Can't you cut a deal with an angel or God to do the same thing? Why do you have to cut a deal with the devil? Um, I don't know. I think sometimes uh, when you go the dark path, you get that more instantaneous uh, gratification. So sure. some people want things faster. And sometimes they the devil can't will wait, promise no? it. Oh, they can't wait. No. What, Debbie, is a walk-in or parallel soul agreement? That's a really interesting soul contract. It's not one I see very often, even with my work, but I have worked with walk-in souls. That is a contract where um, a person is born, and they're born with a soul. And then As some, we all are. Yeah, like I we hope. all are. Yeah, we all have a soul. And that soul decides to, to walk out. But another soul, usually a more advanced soul, will walk in. And this usually happens during an accident or some sort of traumatic event, maybe a near-death experience, sure. you know. So, um, but it's a contract that's made even before, you know, the, 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 the physical body is um, incarnated. So, one soul will oftentimes, and there's many reasons why they agree to this. So, but one soul will walk out, the other one will walk in. Usually the walk-in soul comes from a more advanced star system. So now when you say walk in, are you talking about literally walking into the physical body? Oh yeah. Of yeah, the other individual? Yeah, oh yeah. Is it like possession? It's a little, it could be seen that way, but it's more like they're taking over. So it's like, the other soul the walk-in is taking, taking over. over. Yeah, it's just kind of taking over the contract with with that particular lifetime. Is that done with the individual's acceptance? Oh, absolutely, on a higher over? level. Yeah, on a higher level. Um, the, it's usually done maybe not consciously on the 3D uh, person's level, but on the fifth dimensional higher self level. Yes, that is an agreement. How do you break a contract? There's many ways you can break a contract. Uh, some of my clients will choose to break contracts through doing an Akashic Records clearing. Um, some of them will do shadow work in order to break a contract. 
sometimes when they learn their lessons with that soul, the contract is then broken. So there's no, no longer right. an attachment of some sort. So there's, there's different ways you can break a contract. It lived out its agreement, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting take on all of that. Generally, in terms of uh, male, female, who cuts the most contracts or does it matter? You know what? I don't think it even matters as far as sex. Um, I've had, I have as many women break contracts as, as men, so um, it's it's not a gender thing. It's more of a soul a soul decision. Do we as humans cut deals with extraterrestrials? Oh, absolutely. That is a question I get a lot, and uh, we have we have soul contracts with with both benevolent and malevolent um, extraterrestrial beings. And where are these beings from generally? What star systems? Uh, Sometimes we'll have contracts with um, with extraterrestrials of star systems that we have a connection with, such as maybe the Pleiades or Lyra. Or well, we've heard a lot about those, those systems oh, yeah. too. Oh yeah, um, and some people might even have contracts with beings from Zeta Reticuli or even Draconian beings or benevolent or I would say benevolent beings from from Orion. Are the contracts different depending on the star system? Uh, yes, they can be different. Yes. Uh, usually with a malevolent race, uh, it's usually some sort of agreement where they're working out shadow aspects of themselves. You know, so, you know, maybe a soul has chosen to to delve into dark aspects of themselves. And so they make contracts with dark beings. Um, uh, most of us, however, I think, choose to have um more uh, light, you know, or more benevolent contracts with higher dimensional beings. Uh, a lot of times what I see with more of the benevolent beings is that maybe for some reason we've chosen to help them, you know, through, because uh, I get a lot of abductees. You or know, they you help know. us. In a way, yes. In a way, yeah. yeah. It's like, or, or we're helping them and they're helping us. So it's How do we know, Debbie, that we've made this connection, this soul agreement? Uh, usually you have a sense of it. So um, a lot of times I have clients that say, you know, I think I'm being abducted a lot. I'm not sure if I have a contract with, you know, gray aliens, you know, for instance. Like, you know, I'm, you know, I remember, you know, in my childhood I'm getting abducted. And so, so what we do is we look in their Akashic records and we'll say, oh, yeah, you definitely have a contract with them, you know. So that's why you keep getting abducted. Um, and maybe it's because, They've agreed to let them use their DNA or they've agreed to let them experiment on them, you know, so so that so we can definitely have those types of contracts as well. Is there a guiding force that kind of overlooks these agreements and settles in on them or is everything done on an individual basis? I would say there's probably a higher reason for it, but I would say it's more individual because we are free will souls, you know, so we all can make, you know, so we're all able to make our own choices. So as souls, we can choose to have negative experiences or or positive experiences. What's a guiding force? A guiding force would be like your higher self or your higher guides, um, which are basically um, our aspects. Oh, absolutely angelic or 
our, our star families might be a higher force or even ascended masters or any types of higher dimensional beings that we have connections with. I keep thinking to, about that wonderful Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, I love Where that. Jimmy Stewart was contemplating doing himself in. Yeah. And his angel was sent down to save him. Exactly. And uh, do they get involved that way, really? Because yeah. that sounds like a soul contract that he tried to break. But they wouldn't let him break it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I've had that happen even with myself where, you know, there was times where I was down and out and there was uh, an angelic being that showed up even in my life that, you know, prevented me from doing any harm to myself. So, yeah, so I've, I've, I've experienced that personally. And what kind of harm could come to somebody who breaks a contract like that? Usually they end up having to repeat the lesson. So uh, in a different life form, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like a reincarnated situation. Yeah. yeah. So um, a lot of times it's it's more it behooves us, to, I think, to go ahead and as difficult as some of these contracts might be, it behooves us to get through that lesson in this lifetime and master it so we don't have to keep repeating it. Yeah. How did you get involved in this? Um. I think we talked about this in some of our prior shows, yes. but uh, new people here all the time, Debbie. Yeah, I know. It's like uh, I I was actually, um, you know, I, I was a, a ET abductee myself, and uh, during the time of my abductions, I learned quite a bit. Um, I just got a down bunch of downloads of right. information about spirituality, about Akashic Records, about um, our connection with the universe. And also because I do a lot of Akashic readings, um, particularly a, a galactic Akashic readings, I, um, I've, I've seen patterns in you know, people with certain star lineages or patterns with certain uh, um, soul groups, you know, so, um, so this is a topic that's really, I'm very, very fascinated with. So I love working with soul contracts. Now we read another guy, a series called Initiation yeah. and the host, Mateus De Stefano talks about the Palladians as you have yeah. and the Arcturians oh, very good. as humanity's first guiding forces. Very, very good. So the purpose of Palladian people is like being those high masters and guides in the matter that tells us why we are here and what we can do to improve ourselves, what we can do to enlighten ourselves, to understand reality, how we can transform matter and time in every reality that we have created. So they are the guides of the spiritual world in the material worlds. And the Arturian people are the ones taking care of the matter, of the structures. They are like the doctors and the, the scientists of the galaxy. They were the ones trying to bring all these enlightened concepts of spiral and understanding this, the, the importance of these spiritual patterns into the physical ones and put them all together. So they discover how spirituality moves through DNA through evolution and they evolved in their own planets trying to take much power as possible from the spiritual world through the physical bodies. So both of them are kind of the same looking in different perspectives. 
the Pleiadians has the goal to bring heaven on earth, and the Arcturians has the goal to bring that earth to heaven. But it's not a goal that they want to leave the the material world, but they want to create a physical world that is exactly the same as the ethereal one. So improving this reality, improving the matter in order to create civilizations and create beings aligned with the light that is within the structures of the three-dimensional realities. So, Debbie, how does this star lineage that Mateus is talking about affect all of us? Oh, that is something that um, I am particularly in- particularly interested in with the work that I do. So um, it's a lot of what I teach um, through even some of my trainings. Uh, um, As as souls have had experiences in other star systems, uh, we come here to Earth to learn certain life lessons. We we come here to learn uh, the human condition. Uh, When we come from, you know, systems such as the Pleiades or Arcturus or Sirius. And we might, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say during this timeline, uh, I would say the majority of us that have been born during this particular timeline since World War II um, are mostly starseeds. There might be some younger souls still here on Earth that have only had Earth incarnations but I would say the majority of us at this time are star seeds. Um, but we have forgotten. So, um, and we have purposefully forgotten so that we can go through the earth experience and learn certain lessons, including those with our soul contracts, uh, and our relationships with others. Um, as far as the star lineage, um, I do see patterns with certain star lineages. Mm-hmm. So, um, for instance, somebody that comes from the Pleiades, um, I do get a lot of clients who are Pleiadian starseeds, and I see patterns with some of their relationships. Uh, Pleiadians in the Pleiades, um, because they're such a, such a high vibrational star system, they have perfect relationships. They have rela- many relationships. and Is there a perfect early. relationship? Um, they, they do in the Pleiades, but on Earth, there certainly isn't. Okay. So we're, 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 we're playing out our 3D, you know, lifetimes. Why do they have a perfect relationship and we don't? <laughs> because they've, they've, uh, mastered their lessons. They've ascended you know. a little higher. They're, they're, yeah, definitely more ascended than we are. Um, I would say quite a bit, probably quite a bit more ascended. Um, but for us here on Earth, you know, and sometimes even as star seeds, we might choose to have, those karmic partnerships or those twin flame, you know, uh, relationships in order to learn certain lessons. Um, For a Pleiadian star seed, what I usually see is that because they're so empathic and they're so open hearted and so um, they look at the the bright side of a relationship, um, sometimes they'll get in codependent situations in with their relationships. Um, They tend to attract at least until they get more well integrated, they'll attract narcissistic types that might try to take advantage of them. Um, oh, that happens too. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times it's because the Pleiadian soul will look at the, the individual that they feel an attraction to and say, oh, my gosh, that person has so much potential. It, it, maybe if I just love them a little bit more, they will um, they'll become this great human. You know, I just need to love them. 
And uh, a lot of times that doesn't happen. A lot of times what happens is the Pleiadian soul will just give, 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 and the narcissist will just take and keep taking. Um, until Almost the, like they feed off of it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, the, so the Pleiadian soul will oftentimes uh, do this until they finally learn that they just can't keep giving all the time and they need to take a stand for themselves and start setting boundaries. And so once they master this lesson, hmm. they usually end up um, breaking off that contract and attracting more healthier relationships in their life. And getting another contract. Absolutely. How many contracts can one take in one's lifetime? Oh, a multitude of them. It's, it's, it's endless. It's uh, I can't even put a number to it, George. It's it's um, we we can have many different types of contracts. Is it a good thing or a bad thing to break these contracts? I would say in most of the time, if it's not serving your highest good, um, it is a good idea to break the contract. It is. Yeah. And how do you know it's not working? A lot of times what my clients will describe to me when I'm, you know, doing Akashic Records work with them is that they feel like they're, they're, they're in the stuck pattern. They feel stuck. They keep repeating the same patterns over and over and over again. And, and they're frustrated because they want to move forward. Um, and so a lot of times what we'll do is, you know, when I'm doing an Akashic Records clearing, for instance, we'll look at, you know, some of their contracts and, um, and sometimes I'll tell them, hey, I think you need to keep this contract. I think it's working for your highest good. But sometimes I'll look at it and I'll say, you know what? I don't think this is working for you anymore. Let's break it. And so we do that. How do you see their contract? How does that happen? When um, I'm doing the Akashic Records clear, uh, reading or clearing, uh, I'm able to access that person's soul journey. I'm able to access uh uh, other souls that they have connections with. Mm-hmm. So we're, you know, like you were mentioning before, we're all part of, you know, soul families. And, um, so I can take a look at their past lives with certain souls and we can see, okay, have you learned your lessons from this, you know, this ongoing soul contract or have you transcended those lessons? But for whatever reason, you're not able to break that contract. Um, so. Um, so, it's, you know, so you can you can uh, you can actually access a lot of information from the Akashic Records. You mentioned past lives. Do you do that and find it in hypnosis? Um, as far as me being in hypnosis or you, you hypnotizing people, do you do that? Oh, no, not at all. Not, um, I just have a direct connection to the records. So I don't need to hypnotize people. I do all the work. So I, I just download. Does it ever get tiring for you? Um, yes, Akashic readings can be very tiring. Um, a lot of people don't realize that when you're in the Akashic records, you're using um, all of your clear abilities. So you're using clairvoyance, clairsentience, clairaudience. Um, and so you're getting information from many different types of avenues. And, and at the same time, you might be talking to the Akashic guides or talking to their guides. So it can be very exhausting. So that's why I can only do a certain amount of a uh, certain number of Akashic readings a day. It doesn't sound like a great idea to break these contracts, though, does it? Um, and for the most part, I would say uh, there's a higher reason why we've chosen to have these contracts. So um, a lot of times we just need to play them out. But I have seen situations where people keep repeating old contracts and it's because maybe on a higher soul level, they don't know how to close them out. So if it's for their highest good, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely close it out for them. 
generally, when you've met someone that you really like, can you tell that they've got good contracts out there? As far as with other people? With other people, with the, with themselves. Can you have a contract with yourself? Oh, absolutely. I, I would say that's the biggest contract we have is with ourselves. Good. Yeah. Good. And how do you compose that? How do you put it together? Well, I think a lot of times in our lifetimes, you know, particularly when we're in a third dimensional uh, incarnation or reality, uh, we're we're playing out certain lessons uh, that we need to learn in order to accelerate our spiritual growth. And so um, so certain lessons might be, you know, even if I'm separated from source, can I still love myself? Okay. Um, even if I'm separated from source, can I, can I still have unconditional love for others? And so throughout these certain, uh, you know, different soul contracts that we have with other people, um, we're able to replay those, those lessons over and over again in many different, um, variations and nuances. Um, and it ends up becoming a beautiful tapestry of experiences that our soul will have while we're here. And, helps us to ascend even further. Is it healthy for us to ascend this way? I would say, yeah, Physically. definitely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I would say, uh, I mean, I, I would think as souls that come here to help um, the planet ascend and also to help humanity ascend, it is very healthy to play out all of these different types of contracts and to have these experiences so that we can um evolve and move forward. Do you find that people who have these good contracts in place are generally happier people, healthier people? Oh, definitely. Um, I would say uh, people that are awakened or on the spiritual path that have a certain level of self-awareness about themselves, about others, um, generally, I think, uh, tend to be people that are emotionally more um, healthier, they're, uh, they're, they're more open, you know, to maybe looking at themselves and seeing what part they play in some of the contracts they have with others. So yes, I would say definitely yes. The Akashic records, can we rewrite them? Uh, yes, to a certain degree. Yes. I do that all the time with Akashic records clearings. Now, when you say to a certain degree, what restricts us? Uh, there are certain things that are more in concrete. So there might be, for instance, you know, some of our past lives, you know, they're very concrete. But when we're talking about future probabilities, we can rewrite those all the time. And sometimes we can even rewrite a certain timeline, you know, through maybe neurolinguistic reprogramming or through Akashic Records clearings or through QHHT, where um, maybe the contra- you know, the records aren't exactly changed, but our response to the records have changed. So maybe our response mm-hmm. to a past situation changes. And so then we're able to grow and heal from that. When uh, Kelly Jones was on our program, she talked about how to rewrite the Akashic records yeah. and how to unlearn our human conditioning. Oh, wonderful. We rewrite our records Take off the all the time. Well, and how we do that is by shifting the matrix of our perception of that which we perceived as, as having experienced. So, for example, if I look back in, you know, in childhood or somebody's experience in childhood to say, you know, what was my mother or father doing or what were they thinking? What was the truth 
of their behavior and their actions. And when that information is brought forward, the the energetic um, space within one's beingness shifts. They have a whole new perspective and understanding of what transpired, let's say, in childhood. And in that, the records, their perception is rewritten. Truth has been revealed, and they know it. There's an internal feeling that says, yes. How soon in one's life do they start? A little baby? When? So it's really since we decided as soul to individuate from source. So that could be almost at any time. The records are always there. And so we it, it's called the, the recording of our soul's journey through lifetimes. So it's every lifetime that we've experienced. And I, I feel like what you're speaking to might be a little different, um, which has to do with innocence, which, which has to do Pure with the innocence. truth of who we are. Exactly. And so we overlay, um, shall we say, the personality or the ego, which begins to um, judge or mask the, the pureness of who we are, and we start being conditioned by the human condition. And what we're learning to do is actually unlearn the human conditioning. And so we can access the Akashic Records, which brings forth that wisdom that assists us in understanding even the, 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 the deeper pieces or the lessons that we came here to learn. And so um, those are vital, and they're important to our soul journey, Absolutely. and they're recorded in the records as well. When people come to you for assistance, are they troubled? Some are. Some uh, are just curious. So it just depends on what that person's, I guess, intention is for their, their reading at the time. How do they find you? I mean, how do people wake up in the morning and say, I got to talk to Debbie about my soul? Uh, how does that happen? I guess I've been out there for a while. Sure. Um, I have a YouTube channel. Your name's and, out there. Yeah, so my name's out there so people know what I do. But I have a lot of people that want to have readings with me at this time, and uh, which is, I think, a real blessing because it shows me that people are awakening. They're getting interested in working on themselves and on their soul and their contracts. So, um, uh, so the, people can generally find me through my website. You know, So I do have a website. Which is? DebbieSolaris.com, D-E-B-B-I-E-S-O-L-A-R-S.com. And I do offer trainings in soul contracts, you know, so they can, they can definitely go to my website and sign up for a training. Or so they, they can, can do their own readings? Um, well, not so much their own readings, but it teaches them how to recognize soul contracts that they might be having. So with others, with others, absolutely. And, uh, and how that connects to their star origin. There's an old saying, Debbie, that, uh, in order to heal something, you have to look within mm -hmm. and see what yourself is. Absolutely. Yeah. That's basically what we've been talking about tonight. Oh, absolutely. Um, the best way to heal our soul contracts is to work on ourselves and to work on our own spiritual growth and our own spiritual evolution. If somebody cannot connect, cannot connect with contracts, cannot connect with themselves, are they headed for doom? I wouldn't say they're headed for doom, but they might be headed to repeat some of these lessons in, in um, future lifetimes. What has been for you one of the most astounding cases you've ever dealt with that you just overwhelmed you? As far as an, an individual who came to you. Yeah. Um, 
I would say the most interesting one that I've had was a walk-in experience. Uh, I had a lady that was uh, a walk-in and her soul actually came from a different universe and Ooh, it was like whoa. a triangle headed beings. And it was really, I mean, when I saw her records, I was just like, I was amazed. I was just amazed at the, the depth of her soul and um, even just the contract that the, the walk-in soul had with her at that time. And I will never forget that case. It was amazing. And you can actually, if you go on my YouTube channel, you can actually uh, hear about, hear her reading because it is on my YouTube channel. How long does it take you to analyze somebody? Usually uh, when I start doing a reading, it's almost instantaneous. And it, it's not really coming from me. It's coming from the Akashic guides. It's coming from the Akashic records. Anything coming from the gut, your gut? Um, yeah, I do use my intuition. So I always tell people that, um, yes, I'm doing your reading, but I'm also doing it from my frame of reference, you know, from my intuition. So if something doesn't resonate, it might be because it's my interpretation of the records. But the records never lie. The records are always based in truth. How many contracts can an individual handle? I would say a multitude. Um, I think it depends on different souls. Like some souls may choose to have fewer contracts. Some souls may choose to have a lot of contracts. Sure. Me personally, I have a lot of contracts. Do we have contracts with everyone we're in touch with? In a, in a, in a, in a way, yes. Um, even if it's, uh, seems like a casual connection, there might be a certain level of a contract with that individual. If an individual dies that you've got a contract with, mm -hmm. does that kill the contract? Not necessarily. No. I mean, you can have an ongoing contract even for lifetimes. Um, so even if that person physically dies, you more, more than likely might even see them again in future lifetimes. What is your next project? Uh, right now, um, I am working on uh, some more webinars. Uh, we're going to do a webinar on star seeds and health, you know, so so certain trends that we see with certain uh, star lineages, you know, you know health conditions, uh, you know, so those types of uh, so those types of things, uh, how to navigate through today's reality with COVID and everything else. And I'm pretty excited about that project, sure. actually, because I'm somebody that uh, has been able to transcend and improve my own health. So, Debbie, thanks for being on Beyond Belief. Thank you for having me, really George. Really appreciate and it. Really awesome to have, be here with you. Truly remarkable how you can cut contracts with people you care about and people you don't care about. And the end result, of course, mm -hmm. is making you a better person. I'm George Norrie, and thanks for watching Beyond Belief. Remember, <clears throat> we had lunch with George Nury, and <clears throat> he was with another lady. I don't remember her name, but this was back in Santa Fe, back in 1999. Mm -hmm. uh, they were attending the Prophets Conference with us. And I don't know how that all happened, but the four of us ended up going to that. It was an organic restaurant. It's not there anymore. Mm -hmm. But it's like yesterday. I'm just remembering that because of the the nature of that conversation. Soul paths and twin flames and soul groups and, and uh it's 
yeah, there's a lot of joy in what we're doing here. Mm. To uh, awaken each other to more love, higher, more, more, um, and deeper. Uh, how's that? Deeper, deeper energy. So we're going to take another timeline jump. This is called the Empires of Atlantis. Plural, the Empires of Atlantis. What is the evidence of the lost continents of Atlantis? And who were the Atlanteans? Researcher and author of the book, The Empires of Atlantis, Marco Bigato, shares his insights from 15 years of research into the esoteric and archaeological evidence of Atlantis. He suggests that the fall of Atlantis thousands of years ago was due to the advance of materialism and the loss of spiritual science, but that the remnants of Atlantean knowledge were preserved in the human civilizations that grew out of their advanced culture including the building of the pyramids at Giza. Well, we know that they weren't built here. They were brought here. They were already constructed on Aldebaran, which is in the Orion. Is that right? I got a look at a star chart. Aldebaran is adjacent to the Orion constellation, somewhere up there. <laughs> um. And then they were brought in a starship. It was. The others the same way? Cheops mm-hmm. and... Khufu. Khufu. There's one more. Yeah. Um, Billy Carson said that that big pyramid in Mexico was built to his twin flame, Lady Master Mott. Billy Carson didn't say Billy Master Mayot is his twin flame. No, that's those. That was, yeah, that. Built the pyramid in Mexico. We gotta talk to Mother about all that. That's. That's a very curious story. Yeah. We will, <laughs> we will discuss and discuss that and talk back about that next week. Anyway, mm. we're talking here now. Uh, Researcher and author of the book, The Empires of Atlantis, Marco Vigato, shares his insights from 15 years of research into the esoteric and archaeological evidence of Atlantis. He suggests that the fall of Atlantis thousands of years ago was due to the advance of materialism and the loss of spiritual science. That makes sense but that the remnants of Atlantean knowledge were preserved in the human civilizations that grew out of their advanced culture, including the building of the pyramids of Giza. Again, they were built on Aldebaran and they were brought in starship and and brought to Earth. So we'll just see what thunk up itself here and see what they say. Regina Meredith discusses her own experiences of past life regression in to Atlantis with Vigato making connections from Bigato's work to other researchers, such as Freddie Silva's study of the Shining Ones, 
Bigato and Meredith share their knowledge, share knowledge of human civilizations throughout, periods of destruction. As we rediscover the knowledge of Atlantis, we can learn more about humanity's future. So this is another 46 minutes, and we're going to start this right now. Mm. Here we go. search for Atlantis was uh, starting with the evidence of it, the physical evidence. We forget it's not just about a lost continent of mythological proportions. It's about us. These are Atlanteans who were human divine hybrids. They had a physical body, but it was possessed uh, divine, highly spiritual souls. If we only stick to the literal interpretation, we are never going to really get to the core of the esoteric meaning of the spiritual truths that these people try to communicate to us. Yeah, it's a sort of a catastrophobia. Yes, catastrophobia. I do believe that the pyramid might originally have had some functional purpose. Which of the places you've been to blew your mind and was far more than you ever expected when you went there? Atlantis has captured the modern imagination for millennia now, beginning with accounts from Plato. Today, far more evidence for this lost civilization is available than back then. When placed alongside esoteric accounts, we begin to piece together what life on that magnificent continent may have been like. Toward that end, Marco Vigato has dedicated 15 years to documenting the evidence, and he's here with us today. And welcome, Marco. Thank you very much, Regina. It's the first time we've met. Yeah, this is wonderful. Pleasure being here. Thank you. What's wonderful about what what you've done here with your book? You're a very good writer. um, Wonderful research amazing pictures. You have put your body all over the world um, in uh, search of this story. But you also do put together some of the esoteric elements of it. I would like you, before we even get going, to lay the framework of why your deep curiosity about Atlantis and how these two sides of you come together. Yeah, I think there are always two sides to the Atlantis story. On the one hand, you have the scientific Atlantis, the search for physical evidence of Atlantis. But then on the other hand, you also have uh, the esoteric Atlantis, mm-hmm. uh, that of the esoteric tradition. And uh, for me, these two sides, they were always coexisted, like living next to each other. Um, what really prompted me on this search for Atlantis was uh, starting with the evidence of it, the physical evidence of visiting, uh, as I say, hundreds of archaeological sites around the world. I started getting the picture that uh, the way we're told history, the evolution of civilization was uh, fundamentally flawed. There was a missing episode uh, in our past, in our mm-hmm. history. And uh, that's how we made the connection with these esoteric traditions of Atlantis uh, and really came to the conclusion that Atlantis was really the missing piece that could make sense of all these uh, inexplicable, unexplained structures and advanced science that you find in ancient times at these archaeological sites. And similar symbolism, similar similar mm-hmm. artwork, but in parts of the world that theoretically had no connection with one another at the time, but in fact all had a connection with one big item sitting right in the midst of all of these different uh, continents and also cultures. And it's true, everyone was left scratching their head. How did that thing in the Yucatan 
end up with the exact same symbol we saw on that piece in Ireland, for example. Yeah. yeah. So Atlantis is the piece. Absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, this is something that is largely missing uh, in our modern scientific worldview. I think there is a strong push uh, towards uh, specialization, and we have specialists in so many different fields, which uh, it's it's a great thing uh, in many aspects. But in a field like the study of our past, of our history, I think one needs to also piece together all these different uh, pieces. Uh, One needs to take a much more holistic view, because otherwise one runs the risk of not seeing the forest That's true. And I I noticed this as I've interviewed quite a few people that look at the archaeological evidence and have devoted decades of their life to doing so. But what I'm also finding is I interview other people who, for example, um, in their regression practices, um, their hypnotherapy practices, have people suddenly popping through and talking about a time that they identify as Atlantis and technology they were using in the day. Now, there's a lot of this out there now. Mm -hmm. It's not uncommon for this to pop up in any random housewife's regression, right? Mm -hmm. And um, when I say housewife, I mean someone you would kind of least expect to be pondering Mm -hmm. the theme when you got a bunch of kids around. So that's common now. To me, the story of our past, because it's about us, Mm -hmm. we forget it's not just about a lost continent of mythological proportions. It's about us. Mm -hmm. Um, That's where the story is getting interesting. And you and I are going to have a story taking both of these elements into account. So first of all, you, you live in Mexico City mm-hmm. now, but your background, you you were in Harvard Business School at mm-hmm. one point. So people say, how did you end up from there to studying Atlantis? <laughs> yeah, I think I've always had uh, this passion mm-hmm. for ancient civilizations uh, since a very early age of uh, visiting archaeological sites uh, throughout much of Europe, uh, the Middle East. So we always have had that uh, to, to the side. And uh, more recently, particularly also after I moved uh, to Mexico, started getting uh, very interested in the archaeology of Mesoamerica, Central mm-hmm. America, South America as well, visiting many of the archaeological sites there. So that's really what started piquing your curiosity even more about Atlantis, right? Yes, yes. yes. I think uh, that curiosity about Atlantis started also earlier, but that gave me the opportunity mm-hmm. of really uh, trying to go on the field and looking for right. some of the evidence, like the physical evidence for that. And you're originally from Italy? Yes. Where? Yes, from Milan. From Milan. Okay. Wonderful city. <laughs> I love the Duomo. Of course, everybody loves the Duomo there. Um, okay. So first of all, let's begin the story with the peopling. Let's assume that Atlantis exists, existed, and is now under the sea. You have maps mm-hmm. of what happened during the various phases of Atlantis and its final, up through its final destruction. Mm-hmm. And in these maps, you'll see how far north mm-hmm. Atlantis reached. To me, what's always been curious about that was the nature of the beings or humans mm-hmm. that occupied that land at that time. It was a very different reality. Mm-hmm. So explain to us your understanding in, into the Hyperborean mm-hmm. story as well of the people that were incarnating to that continent, mm-hmm. the upper part of that continent in particular, the northern parts. Yeah, absolutely. So you have to think about Atlantis as a huge continental landmass that stretched across much of the Atlantic Ocean, mm-hmm. or even the North Atlantic Ocean. Mm-hmm. So it would have had a very broad variety of climates and ethnicities as well, of different people that inhabited Atlantis. 
Now, something that is suggested uh, both by the esoteric tradition as well as uh, by some of the latest anthropological and scientific evidence uh, is that uh, modern humans, or what we consider as anatomically modern humans, mm-hmm. may have uh, first appeared on a now sunken mid-Atlantic landmass. So Atlantis mm-hmm. is really, in a way, the place of origin of all of mankind. It's the first place on Earth where, if you believe in the accounts of the esoteric tradition, some higher spiritual beings uh, incarnating by taking bodily form on Atlantis. And this is what also prompted the cycle of uh, physical as well as mental and spiritual evolution of mankind, eventually giving rise to our modern humanity. So I really believe, and that's what it suggests in the book, that Atlantis was a true cradle of uh, the human race. And from there, humanity spread uh, to all these other continents. Yes, and our audience, uh, a lot of our audience, are versed in different aspects of Atlantean information, a knowledge of Atlantis um, from different traditions, but also are versed in as much as anyone knows, right? Mm-hmm. In Lemuria, yeah. which was now, at one time it was thought everything was sequential, mm-hmm. you know, now is thought to believe that Lemuria in the people there who you say uh, in early Atlantis were a little less substantial in nature. We're going to get to that. The same thing was going on there, as many accounts say, that you had uh, them existing simultaneously Mm -hmm. or concurrently. So here you have people that you say are were advanced in their knowledge and understanding Mm -hmm. that were insubstantial. When now, what do you mean by that in the book when you say insubstantial? Yeah, I think uh, there is a lot uh, in the esoteric tradition uh, about. uh, the, the idea that some spiritual beings or entities uh, incarnated on Earth, they took on a bodily form. Yes. Now, you can call these entities however you want, as advanced souls, some multidimensional beings. But there is this very strong suggestion. This is something that uh, we find uh, since uh, the earliest times. So, so even even in Plato's account of Atlantis, he talks about uh, this incarnation of a divine principle. So from the very beginning, these Atlanteans who were sort of human divine beings, human divine hybrids in a way. They had a physical body, but it also possessed uh, divine, highly spiritual souls. This is a key part of the Atlantis narrative. Yes, a key part. I mean, that's a critical part for us today. Mm-hmm. We are the progeny of that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this is a this is what you call the um, the conflicts we have inside that are called mm-hmm. having a dual nature. You can really go right back to that time Mm -hmm. where that new kind of hybrid being was created of sorts. Mm -hmm. I think it's always a cyclical repetition in a way, in the same way as Plato suggests that the uh, original Atlanteans were these uh, semi-divine beings that were still very much attached uh, to their spiritual roots. So then what happened and what eventually led to Atlantis's downfall was a fall into matter, a fall into materialism, which is very similar to what is happening today to our own civilization, to our own society. We're losing sight of our spiritual origins. So we're falling into these uh, uh, materialism, uh, like the cult of science uh, in a certain way. Uh, and uh, that, that's probably one of the reasons, if not the main reasons, why the Atlantis story resonates so much with our modern audiences. I agree with you. There's this deep curiosity we have. In fact, I think at Gaia, whenever they do research and kind of look at what people are interested in, Atlantis comes out almost number one most of the time. Mm-hmm. It's way at the top of our audience interest. Why is that, right? Well, 
perhaps it's because many of the people who are watching that, many of the people who are researching and writing, um, were there in the day. Mm-hmm. If you look at that, where souls continue on their own cycles of learning and reincarnation and so forth, um, it would make sense that we'd have an intense curiosity mm-hmm. about Atlantis, but also something else, an intense fear and propagation of the story of mass extinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a sort of uh, catastrophobia. That's yes, a catastrophobia. You should find it. And I think, uh, as we say, there are many different uh, explanations for that. The one possibility is that we still keep a sort of genetic memory yes. in a way of these times. It's it's part of us. Uh, as we, our ancestors, at least, they live through all these events. And right now, because the circumstances, of, uh, you can call them the cosmic cycles, so, or the point where we are in the path of uh, human evolution, sort of mirrors uh, the circumstances that existed uh, back then, we're forced in a way to relieve uh, all of that, or that triggers an activation, in a right. way, of these uh, uh, genetic memories. On the other hand, uh, there's also the very strong suggestion in many traditions that uh, uh, or a belief in reincarnation that souls that lived at that time are reincarnating again today. Uh, yes. So uh, that that makes me believe uh, that uh, uh, in a way our civilization were at that place at the time in history when we are repeating many of the events that occurred in the Atlantean past. Uh, I'm on the same page as you. Okay. So as we tell this story, um, I think let's begin first with as you said, you had these beings. Let's talk about the Hyperboreans, mm-hmm. okay, and who they were, what they were, what the nature of the beings were. Mm-hmm. Well, in the esoteric tradition, uh, going back to theosophy, the Hyperboreans were considered to be the first uh, uh, human race, uh, in a way. So, you know, theosophy had this system, this very complex system of multiple different human races. Yes. And races. So Root the, races and, right, yes, uh-huh. right. So the Hyperboreans were really the first, they were still spiritual race, meaning they did not have uh, a bodily form, a body necessarily that would be identified as purely spiritual souls or multidimensional beings. And uh, according to the esoteric tradition, they settled uh, in a now lost uh, northern land uh, that was called Hyperborea. Mm -hmm. Now, this is particularly interesting also for the Atlantic's uh, Atlantic's story, because uh, there is actually a possibility that this Hyperborea later became Atlantis, or was in a way a northern Atlantis, where this incarnation first uh, took place. And then because of geological upheavals, uh, that originally northern polar land was displaced towards the mid-Atlantic Ocean. Yes, and I love how clear you are in your articulation of this because most people don't go this far on it you know you kind of stick to there's this land mass and this evidence and there was carving over here i love what you do so taking that story forward you had then an embodiment as it was mm-hmm. called an embodiment into a uh, human form mm-hmm. what became the human being the homo sapien homo mm-hmm. sapien sapien now one account of that is that those beings those original mm-hmm. spiritual beings were from a, what you would call a higher or less dense dimension of earth itself coming into this lower dimension of or this physical mm-hmm. third dimension of earth edgar casey talks about the various reasons everybody has their reasons for why these beings did it some said it was adventure it was simply to look into mm-hmm. something to experience the senses for the first time so we can speculate as to why they chose to do it but they chose to do it mm-hmm. yes yeah. so they came to choose to be part of this incredible incredibly diverse, beautiful, physical creation. 
maybe not fully understanding the implications. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you have to ask yourself the question why it happened at that specific time. Yeah. Right, and I think the answer is because it was at that time that uh, a bodily form became available for yes. these spiritual beings to incarnate yes. and take on that bodily form. So in a way, uh, I think uh, the, the theory of uh, evolution, this idea that uh, um, like our, our bodies are like body form evolved uh, uh, throughout millions and millions of years is fundamentally correct. What these uh, forget, however, is the parallel process of spiritual evolution yes. as well. What is it that really triggers civilization? What makes us human? It's not necessarily just our bodies. Right. It's our mind, our soul as well. And this uh, is uh, what uh, came from uh, these uh, uh, the, and according to the esoteric tradition, we're essentially spiritual beings, multidimensional beings that uh, uh, guided, in a way, also the process of yes, physical evolution. Absolutely. And so now we have physical beings that are being that are embodying these these souls mm-hmm. with advanced knowledge. Um, but now you're down into a complex of time, gravity, mm-hmm. um, survival, even survival, and that's not perhaps. Wherever that part came in may not have been the immediate part, but the reality is ultimately the human, the human, the physical reality here has a time stamp on it. Mm-hmm. These other beings did not have that. These beings were able to live because they were non-physical for vast, vast expanses of time. So now you have these two together in this northern part of Atlantis. What happened? This that lasted for many, many, many thousands of years. Mm-hmm. What happened that that you can understand from archaeological evidence that created the collapse of the first upper part of Atlantis? Mm-hmm. Well, as you say, there were like spiritual root causes that had to do with the fact that the primitive Atlanteans were dual beings. He had yes. this spiritual and this physical component. So even Plato himself suggested that the cause of the decadence of Atlantis was a fall into materialism. In the end, yes. the physical aspect of these beings took the upper hand, and this is exactly what caused ultimately their their downfall. Now, from a more like archaeological and geophysical <laughs> point of view, around that time, we have the first Atlantean cataclysm. So we're talking about the time around 35,000 years ago. This is confirmed by a number of different sources, a number of different accounts, like Kingsley's ancient chronologies, as well as just it was at that time that a major terrestrial upheaval occurred, which was identified, for instance, in Babylonian accounts, the first great flood, the first deluge, which uh, uh, caused uh, uh, the downfall of uh, the first Atlantean Empire mm-hmm. and trigger a new age uh, or a new time period in the history of the world, which was the second Atlantean Empire. Which there was foreknowledge of. Again, mm-hmm. these beings had foreknowledge. They had the capacities for even telepathy and for... Uh, precognizance and so forth. So there were those who left, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. They left and they took that knowledge with them. So not all was mm-hmm. lost just because the landmass went down. So let's talk about that for a moment. And I just want to say one thing. Even though the material, animalistic part of the mind took over for its own survival and started blunting mm-hmm. the effect and the information uh, coming from spirit, we are still that dual mm-hmm. nature. 
We just aren't yeah. letting it talk to us so much because survival has mm-hmm. been at stake. So let's talk about what happened when that went down. Yeah. The beams. Yeah, absolutely. So according to the esoteric tradition, two different factions developed on Atlantis uh, when it was still attached to the original spiritual roots uh, of uh, these early Atlanteans. And another one that was uh, uh, much more materialistic uh, was uh, rapidly uh, degenerating. So a war ensued uh, between these two factions, which is what triggered uh, the first mass migrations uh, outside uh, of Atlantis. It was uh, in part caused by geological upheavals, mm-hmm. so the first uh, major sinking of landmass in the mid-Atlantic Ocean, but was also triggered by this intense warfare between these two different What was factions. that warfare like from, from the Vedas and uh, uh, other mm-hmm. documents you've been able to discern? Well, there is the suggestion that uh, uh, these uh, warfare involved uh, the use of devastating weapons, uh, what we would call today weapons of mass destruction, in a way. Uh, and so it was quite possibly as a consequence of this war, of this war, that the first major sinking of Atlantis occurred. Such as an atomic explosion of sorts, with uh, some other technology. Sorts, of sorts. Right. Uh, and there are some suggestions. Uh, you mentioned the Vedas, uh, for yes. instance, in the ancient Hindu text, uh, that it was in fact the case uh, that weapons of mass destruction were employed by these different factions uh, that uh, uh, through some sort of a technological imbalance uh, in a way that we do not necessarily understand that actually triggered the first major sinking of Atlantis. So according to what you've been able to discern roughly around 35,000 mm-hmm. years ago, then culture started receding itself. Mm-hmm. Now, let me look through this. Uh, you call it something like this great vast period, I think after the second destruction, mm-hmm. was it? Long period of time where there's nothing. Yeah. Can't find anything. Mm-hmm. Now, timing, you know, timing is always the most difficult part of mm-hmm. all of these things. So what happened then at that 35,000 year mark after the first, the top part broke off and sunk? Mm-hmm. Now you have the middle Atlantean yeah. period, which still had very sophisticated mm-hmm. technology and beautiful technology. Yeah. So let's talk about how that was receded. Yeah, so that's that's a time period that lasted for over 20,000 years. Mm-hmm. And is, as you say, immediately after the first Atlantean cataclysm, there was sort of a hiatus in a way in which uh, we do not have many records. So it's as if uh, Atlantean civilization uh, receded uh, or almost uh, uh, went back uh, to a stage of uh, um, much lesser development and sophistication. But it's also a time in which Atlantean civilization spread to other parts of the world. Yes. There is evidence around that time, uh, a second center um, of uh, civilization developed in Central Asia, in the region of the Gobi Desert in mm-hmm. particular. There was in a way antagonistic to the original Atlantic or mid-Atlantic center of uh, Atlantean civilization. And so you have uh, these uh, two same factions that were responsible for the first downfall of uh, Atlantis around 35,000 BC that uh, uh, continued uh, in a way these uh, struggle, this warfare, uh, but from two different centers. So on the one hand, you still had an Atlantic center located on what was left uh, of uh, the Atlantean landmass in the mid-Atlantic Ocean, but then you also had a new center of civilization established in Central Asia, and that this two culture, which, by the way, uh, this Asian center was what in the theosophical doctrine was called uh, the center of Aryan humanity. Aryan, yes. The fifth, uh, India, out of India, yes. And Correct. Yes. 
Correct. And so you have to imagine you have to picture this struggle between mm-hmm. the remnants of Atlantis, which in time were also able to reestablish mm-hmm. a new Atlantean civilization, what they call the Second Atlantean Empire. Yes. And this new Aryan humanity that detached itself from the main body of Atlantean humanity to give rise to a wholly new civilization in Central Asia. And now, let's for just one moment, we're going to just go back and finish up the story of the North because we went there and didn't finish it. And that is the more uh, spiritually oriented, uh, highly knowledgeable, understanding laws of nature, harmony with nature, and so forth. Those people were able to emigrate elsewhere. And a lot of this happened on uh, the western coast of the UK and even going up somewhat into uh, Scandinavia, mm-hmm. right? So that knowledge was kept and in some... Uh, Circles, it's in Fred Silva's work, for example, mm-hmm. is called the Tuatha de Danan, who mm-hmm. ultimately later became the Druids, as some knowledge is lost, but still much retained. Mm-hmm. So you have that knowledge still going both directions and being maintained mm-hmm. and probably taken to many other places around yeah. the world as well, right? So yeah. that knowledge still exists. Now we have the reestablishment from the remnants. Technology, technology has been, um, in a sense, uh, has overtaken wisdom and spirituality by this time to an mm-hmm. instance, and you go into this destruction at 35,000 years. Now, it starts reestablishing with some of those higher principles again, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So uh, there is the suggestion that at that time you had uh, once again the incarnation of some spiritual beings. Same we beings. were called mm-hmm. uh, some spiritual guides of mm-hmm. mankind. In the Hindu tradition, for instance, the, uh, the Manu of that age uh, that... Uh, uh, pre-incarnated on Earth in order to help guide uh, humanity towards a path of survival, of spiritual evolution after the cataclysm of the first Atlantean period. But then you see again a repetition. So you see how history is cyclical yes. again. So. And the same kind of beings described the same way um, mm-hmm. show up all over, all yeah. over the planet after cataclysm. Mm-hmm. And, and indigenous peoples all over the world talk about these beings, these magnificent advanced beings who came and helped them get back on their feet mm-hmm. again. So the same thing was happening in Atlantis. And so now we have a life, what kind of life from what you've seen emerges? And I'm going to share with you a piece from a couple of regressions mm-hmm. with Dolores Cannon and what I saw from that era, which was at the very, 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 very end, very unpleasant end, I might add. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a towards the end of that second Atlantean period uh, that uh, another cataclysm occurred. Now, uh, in this specific case, we're talking about a time uh, around 13,000 years ago, around 11,000 BC, there is a suggestion that this cataclysm had uh, uh, a cosmic origin. It was probably the impact of a comet, like something completely beyond the control of the people that existed at the time. Yes. Uh-huh. But it had uh, the effect on the one hand of uh, once again causing these uh, civilization to collapse, to go back uh, to a much lesser stage of uh, evolution and uh, sophistication. It caused a further exodus and migration from Atlantis yes. to other lands. large spread. exodus. Yes. Because the destabilization of the land was taking place over such a long period mm-hmm. of time, it was known this was coming, this, mm-hmm. this seismic or whatever activity you want to call it. You diagram it in yep. the book, actually. So what I've been trying to figure out all these years is after having this experience, totally unexpected uh, regression experience with Dolores Cannon, I ended up right in the middle of that. And I was one who was 
mm-hmm. still among those who could work well with the mind. And we were working with the mind and our energies to subdue the mounting disruption that was going to happen. And everyone knew of it. This wasn't uh, a secret. Many had already left. Some were still working with it because mm-hmm. of the concern for the loss of knowledge, technology, and everything once again, because that's painful, right? And there, what we were not aware of is we'd only heard rumors of the ones in the city who were working with the high technology. This is, you know, pyramidal, crystalline, and other types of very advanced focused technologies. And our understanding was they were trying to play God and mess things up and it blew. When I was able to speak with my own group of beings later on on that, they said, no, you misunderstood because you were myopic doing just what you did. You didn't have full knowledge of what they were doing. They were doing the same thing, but with technology. Mm -hmm. I think this has been misinterpreted and misunderstood historically, unless I'm in the wrong destruction, unless it was the first, and I don't know which one it was. I've never known Mm -hmm. which one it was. I just know what earth life was like then, which was pretty sophisticated and Mm -hmm. magnificent on many, many levels. But when that went down, these other people with technology were trying to subdue it the same as we were. No one wanted to see this this landmass loss mm-hmm. again. And what I also noticed is that there were beings from other places. There mm-hmm. were you could see little uh, spaceships in near atmosphere. They were working with humans too. Everyone was trying to stop this, and there was nothing that was going to stop it. And so, with the ramping up of that technology that was used from the city center, it became a very violent end. Mm -hmm. And I remember everything blowing. It was horrible and Mm -hmm. fish were boiling and it was just, and the thing I said to Dolores, oh my God, we're going to sleep for a very long time. We've lost Mm -hmm. everything. Now that's the part you write about in the book is this long fallow period, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, It really sounds like it was almost a second chance that was given to mankind after the first Atlantean cataclysm, after this time of decadence. And they did well with it. They were using technologies mm-hmm. in a beautiful way. It wasn't all corrupt. But then again, those are from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, this is uh, probably what happened during this second Atlantean period, when um, Atlantean civilization itself uh, transitioned from uh, a mastery of what uh, in these other traditions called the life force, so mm-hmm. certain things that, that came naturally mm-hmm. in a way to the Atlanteans because of their spiritual and mental faculties in earlier times that did not require technology. Right. Transition towards a technological type of civilization. Right. And technology was almost a development uh, that uh, was required in order to compensate for the loss of exactly. some of the spiritual faculties. And even even though it was high technology and even though it was used for beautiful purpose in terms of healing and growing and so forth, that is stepped down from what was originally mm-hmm. done where you could just use the mind, pretty much use the mind and work with soils and work with, you know, work with elements and so forth with mind only. So here we have it stepped down, still lovely, way beyond where we are now. So what do you think? What was the lesson then? Was it still trying to assist humanity or suggest to humanity, let go of the technology and go back into the true knowledge? Mm -hmm. Do you think that's what was attempting to be, to express itself? 
I think the same forces that caused the first destruction, the first fall of Atlantis, they were still at work uh, in a way. So for for a time, uh, yes, Atlantean civilization did uh, resurrect uh, in a way. It also went back uh, to the original purity, but then the same uh, forces, the same materialistic forces uh, came back. And uh, that's uh, what probably led uh, towards the second cataclysm, the second fall of uh, Atlantis. Okay, so that was then about 13,000 years mm-hmm. ago, right? Yes. So then the fall or the great deluge that Plato mm-hmm. um, recounted in his day, when was that? Well, there were many. Plato mm-hmm. himself uh, says uh, there were many destructions of humanity by fire and water. Will mm-hmm. you remember the last fire one? Fire and water, so yes. The, the, the cataclysm that Plato alludes to is uh, probably this last Atlantean cataclysm that ended up uh, with the sinking of the largest portion of uh, the Atlantean landmass. But there were certainly others before that, uh, which are recorded in a number of uh, both esoteric and historical traditions. So what Plato describes is a very specific point in time in human history, uh, which is uh, called, to use a more scientific language, the Younger Dryas yes. cataclysm. So this is a time... Uh, 11,600 years Right, ago. correct. Mm-hmm. This is a time around at the end of the last ice age, and now, interestingly, scientists are coming up with the idea that this was, in fact, a dual cataclysm. It was probably an initial, a first cometary impact at the beginning of the Young Dryas around 13,000 years ago, which was followed by a second impact around 1,500 years later, which mm-hmm. remarkably uh, points to the same date given by Plato around 9,600 BC yes. for the final sinking and destruction of Atlantis. Now, again... At this time, there were people who were able to get out, take knowledge yeah. out. I mean, technology was lost. Uh, basically, technology mm-hmm. was lost, except for those who still had the spiritual mental technologies. Mm-hmm. And so we had civilization developing. You right here at that time, 16,000 BC seemed to have been an important time in development, mm-hmm. right? And you have here in, uh, in uh, Egypt and South America, but also Sardinia. Yep. where we went on an adventure mm-hmm. here at Gaia and looking at the Nurage mm-hmm. and such of that area and going into and in, in, uh, psychically tuning into what had happened in these places mm-hmm. at that time. So tell us what about 1600 BC was really important for uh, distribution of that knowledge in these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, when uh, you think about the fall of Atlantis, this was not a point in time episode. Uh, it took thousands long, of years. It was a, a process uh, during which Atlantean civilization and culture spread uh, to other lands uh, around the world. So towards that time, Atlantean civilization did in a way become um, almost like a colonial type of mm-hmm. society because of geological instability in yes, the Atlantic very Ocean. Unstable. Yes, very uh, unstable. Massive migrations of people were triggered from mm-hmm. that uh, uh, mid-Atlantic homeland towards both the old world and the new world where civilizations were established modeled on that of the motherland, modeled on the civilization of Atlantis. So that's the time when the first uh, pre-dynastic Egyptian civilization uh, appeared in Egypt. Some of the earliest megalithic monuments in the European continent were constructed. You have a great surge of construction in South America, for instance. Think of these uh, incredible megalithic ruins of Peru and Bolivia. These are all relics from that time. And pyramids everywhere. It could be a ziggurat, which has a different Mm -hmm. purpose than a smooth side. Everywhere, whether it's in Egypt Mm -hmm. or South America, you can have smooth side ziggurats. 
stepped pyramids and the like. So this was that same technology from Atlantis that had been um, brought brought into these other regions mm-hmm. through those who emigrated. Yes, yes. So they spread their technology, their science. Yes. Uh, and that's the reason why you find uh, the same symbols pretty much all over yes. the world. So starting from uh, the pyramid, and I do believe that the pyramid, uh, they might, it might originally have had some functional purpose, right? Yes. But then it became a symbol as well of the cosmic mountain. And so that's the reason why we find it in so many different places around the world. Many of these monuments were actually built on a very specific points on the Earth's surface, uh, characterized by uh, certain uh, uh, levels of terrestrial energies, so particular hotspots of activity. Ley lines and so forth. Yes, yeah. these type of things like mm-hmm. ley lines, uh, uh, telluric currents. Yes. And so you have this idea that these people were really engaged uh, in uh, creating a world grid of ancient sites, uh, locating pyramids and megalithic monuments, a specific places, uh, specific points on the Earth's surface uh, in order to produce uh, some sort of uh, effects uh, that have to do with the advancement of consciousness, the advancement of knowledge. There's also the suggestion that this global network may have served uh, the purpose of uh, generating energy well, as well. I was going to bring that up next. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Energy generators. And many, many people who've been in regressed states have seen that that these were energy generators and for the very earliest people that used them, perhaps generating their own personal mm-hmm. or sustaining their own personal energies as well as well. And so here you have things, then things start getting bastardized where mm-hmm. you start building a pyramid because, hey, they were in the hot spots of the great cultures of the day. But it reminds me of, of more like the Mayan cultures mm-hmm. where you have these awful blood sacrifices yeah. uh, at the feet of these amazing pyramids who were not, necessarily built by them. Mm-hmm. They were built far, far, far in advance, and all they have is a distant memory of the, the powerful beings that once occupied it, and then it descends into something as barbaric as, you know, sacrificing yeah. someone to serve that intelligence force. Mm-hmm. So this is a lowering of consciousness. Yeah. So how does that work with all of this, the waves of rising and lowering consciousness? Mm-hmm. Well, the purpose of many of these structures was no longer understood, and yeah. that's why um, some practices like human sacrifice mm-hmm. just degenerated uh, over time. Yeah. So because of, uh, for instance, if you think about uh, the Maya pyramids and many of these uh, of these yes. structures clearly built in uh, specific hotspots, uh, there might have been uh, still a memory of uh, some of the uh, scientific practices uh, and that were performed at these places. They might have had to do with the release of energy yes. at these spots. But uh, in the degenerate practices of later cultures that took the form of human sacrifice, so yes. the real meaning of many of these rituals or operations that were conducted at these places and was lost. That's why it gets so confusing when people are reading history the Mayans built these pyramids and they have them with blood, you know, dripping down the sides of their altars. And it's like, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't quite make sense to me that those people built those. And this is true all over the world. We have these same kinds of stories as we have a degeneration of knowledge, memory mm-hmm. and consciousness. And so what I'd like to ask you now, um, the pictures in your book are amazing. You've been all over the place and you took some fabulous photos and you're in a lot of selfies at a long distance. <laughs> so let me ask you, with this incredible curiosity of yours, and I would even speculate, it's not for me to do, that you may well, very well have been one of those people there long ago that are trying to bring back an understanding of what what mm-hmm. what can be and what has gone wrong. 
which of the places you've been to blew your mind and was far more than you ever expected when you went there? Mm-hmm. I think I had this a very strong feeling of connection in, in Egypt. Uh, again, I think uh, there is something special about uh, the temples of Egypt um, or the pyramids there. Uh, you you can still like feel the presence uh, in a way of that uh, very ancient uh, civilization. They have these uh, very strong uh, feeling, uh, particularly at Luxor in uh, in Egypt, uh, like this magnificent temple in uh, ancient Thebes, so, because of the, not only there is evidence uh, that uh, many of the temples, the megaliths there, may actually date back uh, to much earlier than... Well, Robert Schock said privately, I probably shouldn't say it because then it's not mm-hmm. private, but, I mean, he has said privately he can't publicly speak of what his first impressions of the Great Pyramid were, mm-hmm. but this, he told another person that his first impression is this could be a 100,000 years old. Mm-hmm. So then you have to go find the evidence and you have to stay within the framework of that for whatever you're going to do academically, of course. That's natural. You don't want to mm-hmm. make fun of, you know, all this tenure. But then John Anthony West, at least 35,000 mm-hmm. years. So what's your perception? Well, to me, what is impressive is also the continuity. So if you look at uh, many of these buildings, many of the structures, I do believe uh, that some of these, uh, they can go back uh, to at least the Neo-Atlantean period, so over 10,000 years ago, after immediately after the last terrestrial cataclysm. Mm-hmm. What is remarkable is the continuity, because that civilization did not stop. These mm-hmm. are places that continue to be rebuilt, uh, they continue to be sacred places. Yes. So even if you look at the site like Giza, you actually find a stratification of different cultures. The origins of the site may be well over 10,000 years old, but then multiple different civilizations, including the dynastic Egyptians, they kept building on top of that. Yes. They kept, they continued in a way this project. So that uh, these, uh, this great project that was started during the Atlantean period did not just stop there, it continued for thousands and thousands of years. There is evidence Yes, this project continues to the modern day in a way. And always there were people that kept uh, the fire alive uh, in a certain way, this fire of Atlantean civilization. So that's why I think it's even more important uh, that we today rediscover those roots, because that uh, can really bring forth a new renaissance, uh, a rediscovery of the Atlantean past. What for you on a personal level have you learned that really has kind of changed where you thought you would go with this whole um, endeavor, with this story and the development and the research of it? What has changed in you? And I want to know then what you're going to be doing next. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, to me, is, uh, it's it's really the search uh, for um, the, the the remnants of that past, uh, as you also mentioned before. I do the spiritual, the, psycho-spiritual, mental. Yeah, yes, yeah. The, the records uh, yes. of that time. I yes. really do believe uh, that uh, before, particularly before the last uh, cataclysm, mm-hmm. people who had foreknowledge of the events that were going to happen, they created time capsules, they concealed uh, part mm-hmm. of that knowledge so it could be rediscovered for the benefit of a future humanity. So it came to the realization that many of us uh, nowadays uh, are tasked with uh, the rediscovery of that knowledge, uh, rediscovering uh, those time capsules, or rediscovering that ancient knowledge for the benefit of modern humanity so that we do not repeat the same mistakes of the past and we don't go down the same way that led to the downfall of Atlantis. Beautifully said. If we take into consideration, as the Hermetics would say, for example, that early, early, early Egypt was concurrent with Atlantis. As you said, mm-hmm. this is even evidence. So we have 
then the survival of great amounts of hieroglyphics and such. Mm -hmm. And it was told to me one time that if humans learned how to really read it, and there are those being born and those that exist now who are learning how to actually really read it, not just Fudge's work, but way beyond that, that that is going to tell us of our history. Do you believe there's truth in that? Yeah, yeah, I do believe that. I think uh, particularly with hieroglyphic writing, there's yes. a literal interpretation and symbolic interpretation. Exactly. I think we have focused too much on the literal, literal. interpretation. Mm-hmm. So we can read hieroglyphs, uh, mm-hmm. but we do not necessarily understand them, meaning that... Uh, we don't understand them yet. That's what I was told. Mm-hmm. If some people take it upon them in this lifetime to truly understand them, the answers we're looking for regarding Atlantis and the laws of nature, etc., are all right there. Of course, they're just sitting right there. Yeah, and there is this idea, there has always been that esoteric knowledge, uh, true esoteric knowledge at least, cannot be conveyed uh, with words yes. or with the language of logic. That's exactly the purpose of hieroglyphic writing, yes. is to convey a deeper level of meaning, of meaning. So if we only stick to the literal interpretation of that, we are never going to really get to the core of the esoteric meaning of the spiritual truths that these people try to communicate to us. Absolutely. And finally, yeah, we're just about out of time. Finally, um, Edgar Cayce had said that there would come a time in the near future where Atlantis would rise again. Mm-hmm. And it, it seemed like he was speaking quite literally. We still have in the Azores, Mount Picos, for example, mm-hmm. little tiny remnants of Atlantis that exist but said that it would be rising again. What do you take that to mean? Well, I think that that time is now. Now, I don't know if uh, uh, we have necessarily to take it literally. I think when it's to think about uh, what... A, is it the knowledge, the spirit? Right, the, yeah. right. That's, that's the way you see it. Uh, yes. I see it much more as a renaissance of Atlantean knowledge, of Atlantean yes. spirituality in a way that uh, uh, it's going to be triggered by rediscovery of the Atlantean past, very much in the same way as uh, during the 15th and 16th century, a rediscovered classical civilization of Greece and Rome was what triggered the Renaissance, this incredible surge of human culture and civilization. I do think we're at the edge of a very similar rediscovery, that the rediscovery of the Atlantean past is going to really bring forth a new golden age for mankind. Well... Thank you. Thank you for that. You you have a very elegant mind. I'm very, very uh, pleased to be sitting here with you because you're not just turning over stones. You're also esoterically curious and courageous. And you've put this all together in your book and you've taken it even further in terms of conversation with me. And I'm very happy to have been part of it because you're, you had such clarity and elegance of thought to all of these things we're so interested in. Thank you, Marco. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Again, the name of Marco's book is Empires of Atlantis, which you can find through major booksellers. You can also visit his site at marcovigato.com. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. That was an elegant presentation. Mm. Wonderful. Wow. Here we go. On to Merkaba and the Black Cube. Our friend Robert Gilbert is back again. How does the pentagram function as one part of the Merkaba soul vehicle within human energy fields? Explore the secrets of ancient Egyptian mystery schools. Fibonacci's Golden Ratio Sequence. 
Rosicrucian energy practices, and the divine power of the Merkaba, with Vesica Institute founder Robert J. Gilbert, Ph.D. Transform your consciousness by changing your actions and affecting your subtle energy bodies through these time-tested techniques. So see the companion practiced in episode 13 of this series, Practice Egyptian Radiant Star. And this is 36 minutes, and we begin mm-hmm. soon. <laughs> I was not quite there. Mm-hmm. That it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sacred Geometry as usual with the energy field awareness practice to get a baseline for your current energy and consciousness level so that at the end of the exercise you can then see how these changed from the practice so please simply close your eyes for a moment and tune into the feeling of energy in and around your body what does the energy inside you feel like right now Also observe your mind and emotions to see what state they are in to begin with. What is in your thoughts and in your feeling life? Now we can begin the practice, which needs to be done standing. Stand up with your feet shoulder width apart, your arms out straight to your sides, and your head held high. Become aware of the pentagram created between your head, your hands, and your feet. This pentagram holds the golden proportion. Begin by placing your awareness in the center of your chest at the location of the heart chakra. Use the zero-point centering technique to move all of your energy and awareness into the center of the center of the center of the heart chakra. As you move your attention dynamically into the epicenter of the heart chakra, Take a moment to experience and savor the vibration, the warmth, power, light, and unique flavor of this powerful energy center. Become aware of the beautiful rose light of divine love, the mare, which lives inside your heart. As you move your energy and awareness deeper into the core of the heart chakra, you touch its divine plane center. Now allow the energy activated from the divine center of your heart chakra to radiate straight upwards, straight up the middle pillar of the body, to stream into your head to the crown chakra. Experience the warmth of the rose light of the heart, warming your thoughts, transforming your consciousness. Feel the rose light relaxing and releasing any tension in your head. 
Feel the rose light illuminating and clearing any blocked areas in your head or in your consciousness, bringing divine light to dark places. Feel the divine love, the mare, healing your thoughts and your consciousness. Feel the warmth of the rose light of the heart. Activate the opening of the crown to the divine energy streaming down into it from above. This is the flow of heavenly chi in the Chinese Taoist tradition and the streaming in of the Holy Spirit in Christianity. Continue streaming rose light from your heart to your head and now release streams of rose light from the heart down your arms to your two hands. Guide this energy by putting your mind and attention along the pathways down the arms. The rose light energy of your heart will follow your mind power to go to the hands. Feel the warmth of the rose light fill your hands, feeling the rose light of love flow into the powerful energy centers of your palms and then into the fingers to the end of the fingertips. Feel the rose light warmth activate and heal the acupuncture meridians, the currents of life energy, which feed the organs of your body, which are attached to your fingertips, including your large and small intestine, your lungs, and your physical heart. Feel how your heart activates your hands as receptors of light and energy, experiencing what was expressed in ancient Egypt in the receptive form of the hands in the Ka hieroglyph. Continue streaming the rose light from your heart into your head and into your hands. Now release streams of rose light down your body, down your legs, into your two feet. Feel the warmth of the rose light from your heart stream into your toes, energizing and healing the acupuncture meridians which feed energy into your kidneys, your spleen, urinary bladder, gallbladder, and your liver. Now close your eyes if they are not closed already and feel inside of you the complete five-pointed spa, the star of ancient Egypt, streaming love, the mare, from your heart into the five outer points of your body and into your entire etheric body, the ka. Keeping your eyes closed, you can drop your arms to your side and relax. Use the energy field awareness practice once again to tune into your energy field and ask yourself a silent question. How has this practice structured my body of energy? How does my energy feel different after doing this practice than it did when I began it? What is in my mind and emotions compared to when I began the practice? After you feel the changes this practice has made to your energetic structure, you can open your eyes. For more complete information and practices, for the six essential Rosicrucian spiritual development exercises which connect to the practice you just experienced. Please see my online training course, Essential Teachings and Practices of Spiritual Science at www.vesica.org.
we got a little quick meditation. Uh, and now we're going to do the Merkaba and the Black Cube. Okay. As soon as Rama finds it. That was a quick, mm. that was like a little interlude, everybody. Mm. Yeah. We have had our dose of Egypt tonight. My goodness. Egypt was a colony of Atlantis. Mm. There we go. All right, now this one is 36 minutes. Merkaba and the Black Cube. Here we go. Dr. Robert J. Gilbert, the founder of the Vesica Institute for Holistic Studies. In this episode, we will explore some of the most important secrets behind our human life on Earth. This will lead us into hidden aspects of the human vehicle of soul travel, the Merkaba, which have not been made public previously. This will lead at the end of the episode to your experiencing the activation of a little-known Merkaba sacred geometry pattern in your own energy field. The first thing we must recognize when we explore the secrets behind our physical incarnation is that we all struggle to find deeper meaning in our lives. Every day we have to find a reason to get out of bed and deal with all kinds of challenges. Sometimes this means experiencing overwhelming amounts of physical or emotional pain, stress, and disappointment. These painful and challenging situations of our earthly life, which we all go through, are one aspect of what classical spiritual traditions refer to as initiation trials. The reality is this, that until we decide to wake up and fully engage with core issues of our spiritual development, our initiation trials and life lessons will be through the school of hard knocks. This means really becoming conscious of our subconscious patterns. What kinds of thoughts and emotions we are constantly creating. What actions we are taking or avoiding taking, which create the conditions of our lives. This blundering repeatedly through the same painful life experiences and reacting destructively to them without seeking the deeper meaning and patterns behind these experiences, is what Buddhists refer to as unskillful action. Just like grades in school, whatever trials we fail, we have to repeat until we finally pass them. When we are stuck in lower states of consciousness, we may suffer needlessly through the same trials, the same painful situations and life lessons which we constantly recreate not just in our current lifetime, but actually in multiple lifetimes. This can become for us a kind of hell on earth, or as the Tibetans would say, a hell realm. 
As we constantly cycle through the same trial, lifetime after lifetime, until we find the way out. This way out of the hell realm we have created for ourselves means consciously understanding the situation and choosing to transform our consciousness and our actions to create a different future for ourselves. When we spiritually awaken and learn to perceive the key sacred geometry patterns which guide and control our earthly existence, we can then much more quickly resolve painful life situations, successfully completing the trial and moving forward into actualizing our full potential. This is what Buddhists refer to as skillful action. Human life is itself a grand initiation trial, created for the education and spiritual evolution of a young group of spiritual beings, the human race. Every one of us on the path of spiritual awakening has at some point the overwhelming realization that we have only a very limited time in our earthly incarnation, and that we suffer from having no clear answers to the core existential questions of our earthly life. Who am I? How did I get here? Why am I here? Do I have a greater purpose to this lifetime, something I am meant to accomplish? Or are we all just what modern materialism says we are, simply a biochemical machine? an accidental and meaningless mixture of chemicals with only the illusion of being conscious, with no existence before birth or after death, no spirit, no greater purpose or potential at all. Materialism has robbed so many of us of hope, of purpose, of the keys to the great spiritual knowledge which was gathered together by the suffering and striving of all of our ancestors. This is what sacred geometry can offer us, the restoration of the essential knowledge of what it is to be a human being, to know our true nature, our real potential, our unlimited dynamic possibilities to become so much more than we are right now. This leads us to a great initiation saying from the Rosicrucian tradition of Europe. In the beginning was the memory. To understand the meaning of this saying, we need to see the patterns which were known to the ancients as the draft of forgetfulness and the draft of remembrance. The draft of forgetfulness means that every time our spirit incarnates into a new physical body, we have a new form which does not hold inside of its brain and body the memories of our previous incarnations. These memories are encoded instead within the sacred geometry structures of our subtle bodies, our bodies of energy and consciousness, which stay with us through multiple incarnations. These memories are not in the physical body, which falls away and disintegrates after every lifetime, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. On the path of spiritual awakening, we can perform two essential types of exercises which allow us to overcome the draft of forgetfulness and to take what was known as the draft of remembrance to begin to clearly remember who we are and why we are here. These first exercises are designed to awaken the sleeping superpower in every human being, which is our mind power. 
First, we have to quiet what is referred to in the East as the monkey mind chatter. The constant hyperactivity of our mind stuck in loops which only exhaust us and bring no peace or meaning to our lives. Overcoming the monkey mind chatter is done through clear mind exercises, where we learn to focus on the still and silent gap which lies between the thoughts of the internal chatter, so that our thoughts become conscious, focused, calm, instead of running wild and out of control. The clear mind practices then lead to mindfulness practices, where we use our clear mind power to be fully present and really observe the true nature of our own thinking, our feelings, and our actions in the world. We then see and experience the reality of everything around us. Rather than distorting everything through our own filters and projections. Once we have harnessed our divine mind power through the clear mind and then mindfulness practices, we can then enter into the deeper spiritual initiation practices. These deeper initiation practices were known to the ancients to awaken our subtle bodies, which hold the memories of our previous lifetimes and the knowledge of our core spiritual essence. Just as we need the sense organs of our physical body to perceive the physical world around us through sight, hearing, smell, etc., so we need to use our mindfulness applied to our own subtle bodies to create new organs of spiritual perception. In time, this allows us to start perceiving the invisible worlds of energy and consciousness which create the physical world and which connect us to higher realms of existence. With this in mind, we can now enter into the deeper sacred geometry patterns which will help reveal the secrets of who we are and how we came to be here in our current earthly life. The individual spirit beings, including human beings, created as sparks from the divine fire ocean of the primordial unity of the One are known as holy monads in some traditions. These holy monads are created in groups which then go through stages of awakening to become self-aware and then to attain higher cosmic consciousness. In the Western tradition, these groups of monads which attained higher awareness and powers in cycles of development long before the human race was created are known as the angelic ranks. The angels are one step above us in the evolutionary spiral, having gone through their self-awareness stage one cycle ago. The archangels are two steps above us, having attained self-awareness two cycles ago. The archai are three steps above us, etc. The European Rosicrucians have esoteric names for each of these angelic ranks, indicating their esoteric powers and their functions in the universe. For example, the oldest and most developed of the angelic ranks of which we are aware are the seraphim, which are the spirits of pure love. The next most advanced rank are the cherubim, spirits of harmony. Then come the thrones, spirits of willpower. Then the curiatites, who are spirits of wisdom, etc. 
The human race is the latest cycle of beings to become self-aware, which happened recently enough that we are still in a difficult stage of cosmic adolescence. The esoteric name for human beings in the Rosicrucian tradition is that we are spirits of love and freedom. For human beings, our spiritual power is based on creating the perfect balance between love, which unifies us with other beings, allowing us to merge with them, and, on the other hand, freedom, which gives us the ability to be independent and make our own choices in crafting our lives. It is this dynamic balancing of love and freedom which gives us our greatest challenges in this lifetime. From our original divine essence, as a microcosmic emanation of the One, the Godhead, we then individualize into a unique spiritual being in the universe. Our individual experiences form our unique self, our personality. Just as all snowflakes are crystallized water, so every human being is crystallized spirit. Just as every snowflake has a completely unique geometric form, so every human being has a unique geometric form of their subtle bodies, making every person an irreplaceable, unique work of art in the cosmos. It is said in the European Rosicrucian tradition that just as our earthly religions are based on higher spiritual beings, so the religion of higher spiritual beings is in fact the human race. We are their hope for the future. We are their children who are suffering and struggling through our cosmic adolescence to become unique cosmic beings. Our goal is to complete the alchemical crystallization of our individual spirit and then to become an independent, creative free agent in the cosmos. A future that is a perfect balance of loving service and radical freedom. A future of almost unimaginable adventures, explorations, challenges, and pleasures in cosmic worlds which we barely glimpse today. We need to remember this great spiritual future is what we are working towards when we get bogged down in the suffering and density of everyday physical life. Beings who are relatively young in the cosmic ranks of beings, such as the human race, may require living in very dense physicalized conditions in order to become fully self-aware. And so the patterns of energy and consciousness which make up the higher worlds, the higher planes, crystallize into solid physical matter to create a kind of nursery for young beings like ourselves. We introduce the sacred geometry structures which stand behind this physical crystallization process back in episode one as the net matrix of all creation, which was taught in ancient Egypt, India, and other cultures. This hidden sacred geometry net behind the crystallization of the physical world from higher energies was known to ancient traditions to be linked to the platonic solids, the forms of the five elements, the platonic duels of earth and air, the cube of earth and the octahedron of air are key patterns for the crystallization of the physical world. The physical world is based on three dimensions of space, each one of them an axis at 90 degrees to the other two axes. 
This is the sacred geometry form of the cubical cross. The cube is known in the esoteric tradition as the key to the secret of creating the physical world. The cube is the hidden form behind the three-dimensional physical plane. The cube is a sealed alchemical retort in which young spiritual beings, ourselves, are placed so that we can undergo the needed evolutionary processes to become fully self-aware. This alchemical chamber, needed to form young spirits into their higher potential, is referred to in Western esotericism as the cube of space. Because of this, we find the cube embedded deeply into multiple spiritual traditions. The cube, usually a black cube, is used throughout classical esotericism to represent the earth as the sealed alchemical chamber. In Judaism, the Holy of Holies in the Temple of Solomon is described in the Old Testament as having the form of a perfect cube. In the Jewish tradition, the black cube is ritually strapped onto men 13 years of age and older through spiral windings of straps. Jewish women are not required to do this practice, but many have chosen to do this ritual in both ancient and modern times. In Judaism, this black cube takes the form of small black leather boxes called tefillin, which contain verses from the Torah. There is one which goes onto the upper arm so that the strap is spiral wound around the arm, hand and fingers. There is also the head tefillin, which is placed on the forehead. In Islam, the black cube of the Kaaba is in the center of the holy city of Mecca. Every Muslim is expected to make the pilgrimage to the Kaaba and ritually walk seven circles around it at least once in their lifetime. In Christianity, the alchemically perfected form of the earth is the New Jerusalem, which is described in the book of Revelation as being in the form of a perfect cube. In geometry, each of the platonic solids can be deconstructed into a two-dimensional form called a net. When the cube is deconstructed into its two-dimensional net, it unfolds to become the cross. The black cube thus creates the sealed alchemical chamber of our three-dimensional world, which opens up to become the black cross of our dense physical body. The European Rosicrucians hold deep esoteric initiation knowledge within Christianity, using as their symbol the image of the black cross with seven red roses. This geometric symbol shows that the black cross of our painful incarnation into a physical body, with all of its initiation trials and challenges, is the foundation for the flowering and perfection of the seven chakra subtle energy centers in the human body. These are the red roses coming from the black cross through this initiation process of our physical incarnation. This is part of the ongoing structuring of our subtle bodies into a perfected geometric form until our consciousness and our energy are activated to the point that we can remain fully conscious in the spiritual world after we set aside the physical body at death. This is the true resurrection of esoteric Christianity, with the corruptible physical body giving way to the perfected light body 
for every human being who completes the initiation process. This same mystery is taught in Eastern traditions with the development of the light body and the rainbow body. The esoteric tradition knows that just as every incarnated human being has a physical body on the physical plane, in addition to subtle bodies which are connected to higher planes, so also the planets and stars also have their physical crystallizations in addition to their subtle bodies on higher plane levels. When we are between death and rebirth, living in only our subtle bodies and moving towards our next incarnation in the physical body, we move through spiritual spheres, which are the stars and planets at their higher plane levels. These were known to ancient traditions as the planetary spheres, by which they meant the subtle energy layers around the planet and not the physical planet itself. This profound reality has been forgotten today in our materialistic society, which says the ancients were simply ignorant when they presented models of the world in which the earth was at the center with the planets moving around it, what is called today the Ptolemaic worldview. Modern science looks only at the physical aspect where the sun is in the center with the planets revolving around it. Modern scientists don't understand that the old earth-centered view was originally based on the actual spiritual experience that every human spirit has when we move through the subtle energy planetary spheres before we incarnate on the earth. It is based on our own spiritual experiences moving into the earth sphere from the cosmos, where the earth is the center of our destination, not on the physical plane mechanics of planets moving around the sun. As every human being descends in their subtle bodies from the higher stars down into the subtle energy net of our own solar system, we go through an incredible journey, which the Jewish Kabbalistic tradition called the Hechaloth, meaning the seven heavenly halls. The seven heavenly halls are our journey through the subtle energy levels of the seven classical planets of our solar system, from Saturn on the outer edge to the moon directly adjacent to the Earth. As we move towards incarnating into a physical body on the Earth, these seven heavenly halls were illustrated in ancient Egypt in the Book of Coming Forth into Light, which we call today the Egyptian Book of the Dead. In the Jewish Kabbalistic tradition, the Hecheloth school of the second century AD described this passage through the seven heavenly halls and practiced methods of conscious astral travel through the halls through the use of our activated subtle bodies, which they termed the Merkaba or Merkaba. The Merkaba is sometimes translated into English as a chariot, as in the biblical chariots of fire. This term was interpreted by materialistic religious artists as literal wheels within wheels, when in fact what was being described as a wheel is a spinning vortex, which is the sacred geometry form which creates movements from one location or one plane level to another. This description of a higher level energy vortex as a wheel is similar to the Indian tradition, where the term chakra for the spinning vortex of our major energy centers is literally the word for wheel in Sanskrit. The wheel within a wheel is in reality 
of vortex within a vortex. This vortex of movement through higher worlds is also connected to what people in near-death experiences describe as the tunnel they pass through as they leave their physical body. The tunnel is the experience of actually being inside the vortex, moving through higher worlds. A key sacred geometry form which contains the incarnating human being is the egg shape of the aura, which contains our multiple nested subtle bodies within it. Egg shapes generate vortices and are also the natural form to travel through vortices. This means that the egg-shaped energy field of the human being is a sacred geometry form which effortlessly fits into and moves naturally through the vortices of higher worlds into physical incarnation. There are also deeper secrets of the Merkava vehicle of soul travel hidden within the name itself. The term Merkava or Merkava is said to come from the root Rachev in Hebrew, meaning to ride, as in a chariot. However, there is a deeper secret here in the name Mer-Ka-Ba, based on the original primordial language, where every sound carries a tremendous hidden divine power. This knowledge of the hidden powers of each sound was called the Hekau in ancient Egypt and was called the mystery of the Kabbalistic word in Israel. Mer is the ancient Egyptian word for love, which brings separate beings back into unity. The ancient hieroglyph for the mare is the form of a simple plow. The plow is what opens up the body of the earth, the physical body, so that seeds of new life can grow within that body. Mare, the divine vibrational power of love, is essential for our subtle bodies to grow and ripen to their full potential. Ka is the ancient Egyptian word for the subtle body of vital energy, what the Indians call prana, the Chinese call chi, and the Greeks called ether. The Ka hieroglyph in ancient Egypt was hands raised in a posture to receive or send an energy transmission. Ba is the ancient Egyptian word for the first subtle body of consciousness, which today we would call the soul, or in Western esotericism, we would call the astral body. The Baal was shown by the head of a person on the body of a bird, showing the soul and mind having the ability to fly through the cosmos. Today, we refer to this as astral travel. The term Mer, Ka, Ba, literally tells us in the ancient Egyptian language how to create the activated subtle body vehicle of soul travel. The instruction is in the name itself. Merka Ba tells us to permeate our own body of life energy, the Ka, and our own body of consciousness, the mind and emotions, the Ba, with the power of pure love, Mer. The true power of divine love alchemically transforms our subtle bodies of energy and consciousness, activating their inner light and perfecting their structure. Our subtle bodies become light in two ways, light in the sense of brilliantly illuminated and also light in the sense of not heavy, so that they can literally ascend and fly through the higher worlds. 
the love permeated subtle bodies are then drawn upwards through the higher planes back toward the divine plane of unity, an attraction we experience internally as true love. This is not an abstract philosophy. It is a literal alchemical process with profound transformations of the human being to a higher level. We can ascend from the black cube of physical incarnation, but only when we have learned all the lessons possible from our physical plane incarnations. We must first complete the alchemy of the subtle bodies through an unbreakable inner state of love, the attainment of a saint or spiritual master. If we were to try to ascend prematurely, driven by a neurotic need to escape the transformative pressure and suffering of physical plane existence through a false type of ascension, we would never reach our full potential. This would be like opening up a cocoon of a caterpillar prematurely. The gestating butterfly would be incomplete and would never reach its full beautiful form with wings to fly. This Merkaba sacred geometry soul vehicle has been described in some recent esoteric teachings as a star tetrahedron. However, this is only one geometric aspect of the Merkaba. The European Rosicrucians teach that there are three key sacred geometry forms related to three different levels of creation. The first level is the Godhead, manifesting through the point in the circle, which we discussed previously and experienced directly through applying the zero-point centering and radiance practice in our own energy centers. The second level is the Macrocosm, manifesting through the hexagram, the six-pointed star known popularly today as the Star of David. The third level is the microcosm, manifesting through the pentagram. These grand creative forms are reflected into the human energy field as key sacred geometry structures of the human Merkaba. In 1907, the great Rosicrucian initiate Rudolf Steiner revealed the secret of the pentagram form of the human etheric body of life energy, the Ka of the Egyptian Merkaba, and the hexagram form of the human astral body of consciousness, the Ba of the Egyptian Merkaba. Steiner noted at the time that the pentagram of the etheric body is a flat plane form. However, the hexagram six-pointed star form of the astral body is in fact a three-dimensional form. This means that the hexagram of the astral body is in fact a stellated octahedron, also known as a star tetrahedron. The secret of the five-pointed pentagram form of the human etheric life energy body was embedded in the ancient Egyptian tradition, where the hieroglyph called spa, meaning a star, showed a raised central point radiating five lines in the same direction as the points of a pentagram. In the human body, the raised center of the spa is the human heart chakra, which in spiritual initiation becomes the organizing center for all the streams in the human etheric life body. From the heart, energy streams to the five points of the pentagram of the human body, to the head, the two hands, and to the two feet. Awakening our awareness of these streams from the heart is one of the six essential exercises 
in the Rosicrucian system of Rudolf Steiner, designed to activate and organize our subtle bodies. As the ancient Egyptian mysteries gave way in time to the Christian mysteries, the pentagram form of the etheric body became more commonly shown than the earlier star form used in ancient Egypt, which showed the etheric body streams from the heart directly to the five external points of the human body. In reality, both the ancient Egyptian star and the modern pentagram forms both exist in the human energy body, and each has specific applications. The pentagram form of the etheric body also holds within it the key sacred geometry principle known as the golden mean proportion or the phi ratio. This is known classically as the proportion of beauty. It is the golden series of numbers which create a precise proportion with particular energetic powers. Although it has a universe of manifestations, the key to the golden or divine proportion is that it manifests the divine thought form of perfect balance and harmony through dynamic movement. Rather than cutting a line in half, which creates a more static balance, the divine proportion cuts the line at the location where the smaller portion is in the same proportion to the larger portion, as the larger portion is in proportion to the entire line. This is an expression in sacred geometry of the dynamic relationship between the macrocosm, the larger part of the line, and the microcosm, the shorter part of the line. The golden series begins with the proportion of one, the original unity, to 1.618, dot, 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 which is a transcendental number that never ends. It reaches into infinity. The numbers in the golden series continue so that any two adjacent numbers in the series create the same powerful proportion linking macrocosm and microcosm. The pentagram of the etheric body holds the perfect divisions of the golden proportion. The golden proportion can also be expressed in whole numbers rather than in fractions through what is known as the Fibonacci series. As the Fibonacci series progresses, the proportions between two adjacent numbers come closer and closer to the golden proportion of 1 to 1.618, providing a way to use whole numbers in energetic design the way nature itself does. The Fibonacci whole number series creates the golden spiral, a dynamic and powerful growth pattern found in nature. This Fibonacci series is a foundation for harmonious natural growth patterns in humans, animals, and plants on the earth. So when we consider the pentagram of the etheric body as one part of the Merkaba soul vehicle, we can understand that the pentagram contains embedded within it the powerful dynamic growth pattern of the golden proportion, or phi ratio. This is the sacred geometry of dynamic life force and growth, which is the power and purpose of our etheric life body, the Ka of the Merkaba. The golden proportion expressed through the pentagram creates a cascade of dynamic energetic effects, including the creation of a fractal growth series of pentagram shapes reaching into infinity. We can now conclude this episode by experiencing 
the ancient Egyptian sacred geometry pattern of the spa, the star in our own etheric life body, as a foundation for Merkaba activation. If you'd like to do the practice now, please see the companion video for this episode. Otherwise, please set an intention to come back and do the practice at a later time. I'm your host, Dr. Robert J. Gilbert. Please join us for our next episode, where we will explore in more detail the Merkaba, and you will also learn how to complete the activation of the gold, the grid of life design, in your own energy field. This will help us on the path to take the draft of remembrance and remember who we are and why we are here now in this place and this time of our current incarnation. See you then. Okay, well, we got one more, everybody. This takes us to another part of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, light beings and shamans of Peru. Mm-hmm. Can shamanic rituals facilitate ET experiences? Author and contactee Ricardo Gonzalez, Cor Pancho, shares details from his direct contact with beings of light through a shamanic ceremony in Cusco, Peru, exploring how these luminous beings could actually be pure energy and consciousness. Ricardo explains how these beings are always coexisting around us, yet they are not limited by our perceptions of space and time. So here we go. This is 24 minutes. Mm. Getting to that bewitching hour, it's 11.41. (laughs) Today on Cosmic Disclosure, we're with Ricardo Gonzalez author and researcher for Peru who has experienced multiple direct contacts with an extraterrestrial species called Yapunis. Ricardo. Hello. All right, you're live. Oh, okay. Thank you. Well, Hello, everybody. I don't know, but I think that our kitties pulled the cord or something. Yeah. That's wild. Hey. But, um, um, things are coming along here. Take yeah, it. and, uh, Doug, you can, uh, maybe get, uh, Rainbird. Now it'd be good to get Rainbird. <clears throat> How much more of that do we have, darling? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe what I could do is I don't think there was much more of that left. Um. <laughs> well, that was a um, 
a shift in the energy. Everybody. Huh? Yeah, I was going to say maybe I could just read Caroline's message. This is taking a little while. Okay, I will shift our energy. And I, I hope you heard me. Uh, Doug, you can uh, call Rainbird. Timing is there. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna have to fix the clock. Can't tell. All right. So this is from our sister Caroline. This week's guidance from the Ascended Masters, Galactics, Earth Elements, Fey Elders, Angelic Legions, Archangels, and other divine beings known as the Collective. So Caroline, she speaks here. I've been thinking about how difficult it is for starseed, here I'm, this is yours, how difficult it is for, for starseed who come from planets in terms of soul origin, come from planets that are just, that that don't have millions upon millions of people starving or several million people sub, subjected to the horrors of war at any one time. Mm-hmm. They don't have lack. They don't have people living in their cars. Mm-hmm. They don't have people shut out from jobs mm-hmm. or held at the border for a year or more in unsafe conditions. All I remember these little ones dying at the border. Everybody, not but a few years ago. All of these unjust situations, and those are only a few, they just don't exist on other higher dimensional planets. So, starseeds, come here. So, starseeds, come here. And they have to deal with a lot that just does not make sense to them. Mm-hmm. It makes zero sense. Yeah. I speak with Lady Master Portia at times, keeper of the violet flame, goddess of justice and opportunity. I asked if she would speak to us today. Because I feel like it's just so difficult at times to make sense of what's happening on this earth. You might have to call Doug because I can't tell whether Doug is... Uh, um, we're here. We're on. Yeah, but one want Doug to get Caroline. I mean, oh. Rainbird. Rainbird. Um. So when you get settled there, you can call, call, call. Um... And I know we love this earth, whether we originally come from her or not. Probably most of us come from elsewhere in terms of soul origin. And it's just difficult, isn't it, to see all these situations where you want things to be on keel and you want there to be peace and fulfillment. And you're thinking, isn't this Sat Yuga, the Sat Yuga? 
And where's Asara? And what about all this light pouring in? Mm. Shouldn't things be okay? She's got a picture here that I re- I recognize as uh, people in front of. Oh, I don't know a a a a parliament building or something in some other country. But this young woman, she's holding a sign above her head, and it says, "More equality, more love." That's a good one. Mm-hmm. It's from a cut-off side of a box. <laughs> That's what it's got to do. And you're thinking, isn't this thought you got? And what about all this light pouring in? And people will email me and ask me these questions. How can we be in the fifth dimension? Or how can we be moving into the fifth dimension? And yet there's all of this madness going on. So let's call in Lady Portia. Let's see as she will speak with us about divine justice. Let's go into our breathing for a moment. Breathing in through the nose with mouth closed. Breathing out through the open mouth with sort of a ha sound. Ha. Yeah. Remember doing that before. Ha. Ha. (laughs) And well, we'll call her forward. Just a moment. Lady Master Portia. Well, greetings, dear ones. We... You better go call first before you get that set up. Oh. Okay. I think I hear Raybird. <laughs> okay. Well, greetings, dear ones. We are quite honored to have this moment to speak with you. And we are aware of these inequalities that this dear one was just speaking of. We are aware of how strange it is, how it feels as though the fifth dimension is very far away, indeed, some days. And this is understandable. Yet all of us in the higher realms, and we are both in the higher realms and upon the earth, we multilocate, as all of you do as well at times without realizing it. Hmm. Yet all of us are are desiring very, very much that you come to understand that you didn't come to this earth for perfect outcomes in the same paradigm, that you view the issues and the challenges and what people call problems which are generally of their own design. So, maybe you could fix the clock, Grandma, so we can tell what time it is. Mm So one night, so one might as well look at an issue, a problem, a challenge, and say, no, that's not a problem. It's my design. It's humanity's design. We decided to learn in this particular way. Yes, it looks like a mess. We realize. 
but we're not getting or we're not going to trouble ourselves about the actual form of that mess. We are going to move into a space where we remember that we didn't come here just to move things around outwardly, physically, and fix issues physically. Perfectly wonderful to help others. Look at this lovely garden. Beautiful things can be built outwardly, certainly. But in terms of the larger issues, dear ones, you come in to shift the vibration that created them to begin with. There's a bigger job. Yet it's also the one that's going to do it. But it's also the one that's going to do it for you. The one that's going to really work for you. Hmm. So, in my capacity, daily, working with the law, working with issues of justice, and working with issues requiring certain shifts and changes on this planet, and opening portals for that, not fixing everything, not rescuing you, this Lady Master Portia, you don't require rescuing, yet just helping to shift things a bit vibrationally to where all of you are capable of waking up a bit more and realizing you're being assisted and realizing your extreme and complete empowerment, which you haven't claimed completely. And you haven't claimed them, all those beautiful gifts, because you have been thinking that isn't Nassar going to happen? What about my star nation families? How about the fact that I feel so disabled on this planet? Things are so strange. Things are never what I expect them to be. It's just strange. Feeling to be out of sorts. Feeling to not fit in. And we understand this completely. All of the Ascended Masters come from elsewhere. They come from planets of peace and galaxies of peace. And they come here not to feel discouraged any more than you did, but to feel empowered by the realization that even when one is in the physical, a beautiful gift and astounding experience, no one could talk you out of it. But even when one is in the physical, one still has the ability to shift vibrations. This is not at all unusual. You do it all the time without realizing it. Now, Take an issue that is difficult for you, dear ones, and put it into that transforming and transmuting violet flame of St. Germain. He is by my side as I speak. And now, put in your entire shell. Step into that, into that, <laughs> that violet flame. Mm-hmm. 
If you're not good at imagining, that's all right. Stand up and take a step forward. Image that flame in front of you in that moment. Or if you can't do that, that's all right. Just know that you are moving into it. You can do this at any time. Put whatever heaviness you are carrying now, dear ones, put that into that flame and say, I command you to move to a higher level. Your vibration increases daily. And you can do this with the issues that are plaguing you on the earth and the issues that plague you personally. You can find the time by looking on the TV. Doesn't matter what they are, how they begin. Do what you can to come out of the self-blame, the self-criticism. Release all that, dear ones. It's not who you are. Who you are is pure love. Who you are is divinity itself. And call out to your star nation family. You know they are constantly with you. You know this. You visit with them so, so often. In your sleep state, you are reaching out to them. They are there for you. You're aboard the ships. You're doing so much, dear ones. You're doing so much to assist the earth. You're doing so much to grow and to ascend. You must give yourselves beautiful credit for that. And know how loved you are. You're not left behind for an instant. So use that violet flame, especially when you feel nothing else has worked. Wonderful, perfect. That means you're really moving up. So, all of us, we send you much love, dear ones. And I extend a special line of light to your heart. Are you ready, honey? Mm-hmm. Oh, good. That you will feel encouraged in these days and allow yourselves to come home to who you really are. Namaste. That's to the point. Okay. Well, we'll visit Peru again. I don't know where we have finished. Um, it didn't even start. Oh no, we were we listened for about 15 20 minutes already. Really? Yes. Okay. See where it is? It's halfway, it's more than halfway through. No. Yes, I saw that line. I have to bring it up and see. Well, I wanted to make sure you're ready for the end, because... I am. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I have the song and that was it. So do you know where, it must be in the same place where you left off. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, let's go see. Hmm. We have a few minutes. I'll pull it forward. At least halfway through. Um... I don't think I really got started with it.
Yes, we were listening when it went on. Today on Cosmic Disclosure, we're with Ricardo Gonzalez, author and researcher for Peru who has experienced multiple direct contacts with an extraterrestrial species called Yapunians. Ricardo, welcome to the show. More halfway through. We don't have time for anything more than Okay, let's see what that does. Okay, we're going to try Different. In the case of these beings of light, of energy, who are natural guardians of the vortices of the earth, I would dare call the experience initiatory. Because when entering these vortices, it's like entering a temple, a temple that is not governed by our laws of space and time. And they function as true oracles. So the level of information that emerges in these vortices with these beings of light has that initiatory and spiritually revelatory seal. And these type of vortices, of course, do not only exist in the Peruvian Andes, all over the world. And it is likely that someone has lived experiences with these vortices and with these beings and has labeled the experience as extraterrestrial, when in fact, it was another even deeper phenomenon. Is there a connection with these ethereal light beings and the UFO phenomenon? I have no doubt about that connection. I wouldn't dare say that these beings of light were together with aliens of physical aspect. I do not know how to describe that kind of relationship. But what I have understood is that the extraterrestrial beings that are in our reality who manifest themselves through vehicles and devices in the sense of power are fully aware of the existence of these vortices and their guardians. And regarding those vortices, I'm convinced that every approach of extraterrestrial beings is connected. In fact, I'm going to tell you something very interesting. In the extraterrestrial messages that I affirm to have received, both in my case as well as from others contacted in Latin America, these extraterrestrial beings suggested that we go to this or that place in the world. Because important information that we had to know was located in those places. As if we were going to cosmic information terminals on Earth. And that's why I traveled all over the world, as you know, living extraordinary experiences, guided by extraterrestrials. Although this sounds like a dream, a science fiction movie. But they led us to these vortices to meet these guardians. At first, obviously, I lived this in a very naive and simple way, like the experience I just discussed in Cusco. But we came to know, and now we are convinced, that everything is connected. You call them the guardians of the vortexes. How do they refer to themselves? That is a very complex question to answer. I will try to develop an explanation. Because they, although it is true, do adapt to our reality and can assume human form, do communicate with you through dreams or in person, and you listen in your own language what these beings are transmitting, Usually these beings do not present themselves describing names or functions. They just exist. And what they tell us is that they have long been flowing through the consciousness of vortices. And they are like the ones who maintain the balance or guard those manifestations of energy. 
So in one way or another, they describe themselves as guardians of the consciousness of the vortices. Let's go back to the cave when you were inside the cave. How did they communicate with you, and what did they say, Ricardo? As I said, when that beam of light arose, it approached me. It had acquired a human form made of that bright fog and brought what I call its arms closer to me in this position. And at that moment, I had sensations, visions, and a voice in my head speaking to me. What I felt came from that entity, which gave me the message I told you minutes ago, that we are not alone, that in some manner these beings have been with us. I believe that the main method of communication that these beings have is through the dormant faculties of our mind, which allows us to listen, feel, and interpret subtle information. Because these beings have no brain, no physical body, no flesh and blood like us. I would not use the term telepathy as we know it. I would call this phenomenon spiritual communication. Let's see. I'll try to better explain it because it's very difficult. For example, in extraterrestrial contact, when we have received messages or had some kind of interaction with extraterrestrial beings, the connection is felt in a mental form when they have communicated. I'm sure this has happened to you with your own experiences. You feel that communication is more in this area. But with these beings of light, it's happening at the same time in your entire being. It is more like a communion of spirits. I know this may sound like a new age thing or too mystical, but I have no better words to describe it. It is a spiritual communication with beings of light who live with us on Earth. Can we initiate contact with these light beings at will? Remember I told you that the first contact happened at a time in my life of great innocence? Because I'd only been living these phenomena for a few years investigating them. I tried to face the experiences without overthinking them. Obviously, as the years have gone by, you become more pensive, more intellectual, trying to discern, to explain everything. But it was precisely, Emery, that innocence, which in reality was nothing more than purity, that opened something. I have the feeling that these beings feel powerfully what you are, what it is that you think. And I think I opened my heart. I innocently turned myself over to the experience, and they decided to manifest themselves. In fact, in ancient shamanic traditions in Peru, to connect with the gods of the Wakas, the natives fasted for prolonged periods. They went through many purification techniques to deserve to enter those places in altered states of consciousness. They even made use of hallucinogenic plants to try to more rapidly enter into these vortices. They used psychotropics to help their minds to penetrate these other states of reality. However, what these beings have somehow transmitted to us is that we do not need anything outside ourselves, only our consciousness and our true intentions to open the portals of the invisible worlds. It doesn't matter how much you jump, dance, what you drink, what external things you do. If you don't have an open heart, 
And if these beings do not decide to, no matter what you do, it will be in vain. That is why many researchers who go to these types of special places, pursuing an experience, almost always fail. Because these matters should not be lived as if you were Indiana Jones. You have to live them with humility and respect. What do you think their goal and agenda is, especially when they communicate with humans? I believe that there must be a very deep purpose for these beings to manifest themselves to human beings. And I think in this sense, the shamans are right again. These beings want to give the consciousness of the earth back to us from the sources of wisdom of the Pachamama or Mother Earth. And when we feel alone or affected by all the things that happen in the world, we may always return to the lap of Mother Earth, to their natural temples, to their vortices, which in a way touch our lack of knowledge in an attempt to try to help us become wiser and more responsible. I believe that the goal of these beings is to reveal to us that there is this magical structure in our world connected to the universe, which has important information. Ricardo, why do you think they chose you to have this personal experience? My answer is not going to be much different than what I've told you in other interviews. When we have spoken, for example, of my extraterrestrial contact, without falling into a false humility, I'm not a special person. The special thing is the experience, the message, not the messenger. But in both extraterrestrial contact, which we've already discussed here, and this phenomenon of beings of light and vortices, I think these intelligences took into consideration my ability to reach other people. I don't know how, but these creatures, these entities, felt beforehand that I was going to reach a lot of people in the world. Think about this. I come from Peru, a poor country considered third world. How could I imagine, being so young, that I would be traveling all over the world sharing this information and these experiences? This shows that, as contact witnesses, we are not important. What is important is the agenda behind it. I don't know how, I swear, but these beings knew ahead of time that I could reach many people with this message. And look at us now, Emery. We're back together on your show, sharing this information which I am convinced, beyond reaching only the intellect of the people who are watching us now, we are also reaching their hearts. Very well put, Ricardo. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Emery. I'm Emery Smith, and this is Cosmic Disclosure. Until next time. Next on Cosmic Disclosure. The extraterrestrial beings who are in contact with me, these beings were very insistent in telling me Different groups of extraterrestrial origin were involved in our reality a long time ago. And this connection we have with ancient extraterrestrial civilizations, all that information is in us. It's not only in our genetics, but also in our being. This cosmic plan, what it seeks is for us to find the glimmer of light in the darkness. And through it, we gain redemption. I just was like going to take a moment to go over the astrology for today. <coughs> um, with our friend Kate Popshaw. Love is more than I have been told. 
It's the teacher and purpose of life. It breaks my heart open again and again, exposing my truth and my lies. This week is an interesting mix of sweetness, Venus trying Jupiter, and possible illusions, delusions, as Mercury opposes Neptune. It's a good time to watch ourselves and others as we tell ourselves stories that may or may not be actual reality. There is sometimes a fine line between imagination and deception, and we are walking it this week. So keep those eyes and ears wide open. Hopefully, you have been taking joy, building confidence in your creative genius, and shining like the sun this last month of Leo time. The more we have, the more we can give. And the bigger the heart, the more generous, loving, and tolerant we become. When criticism challenges, fault-finding, or condemnation come along, it is helpful to have a large reservoir of self-love to avoid being taken completely down. Man's entering Gemini, excuse me, Mars entering Gemini, will bring a slew of new contacts, relationships, and opportunities. Take this time to clear your relationship space of old, outworn, ill-fitted connections to make room for the new. As one door closes, another will open. But just as in walking, you need to pick up your back foot, let go of the past support, and swing it forward to take that next step. Blessings on your journey. How about some eagles for this week's mantra? (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to pass this talking stick with eagles and angels. And, uh, yes, and hawks and falcons and, yeah, let's keep the big birds in here. Yeah, big bird too. <laughs> That's this talking stick. To you, Rainbird, and all of the other friends we've got, fairies and feathers and rainbows and crystals. Here it comes. Caroline, are you there, Rainbird? Rainbird? Oh, okay, I finally unmuted. I had to turn the phone off to turn it back on again. Oh, I'm here. (laughs) So is the dog. So is your doggy, Wuggy. And our kitty witty is looking like, where is that dog? Yeah, I don't know why she's talking. Stop it, little bear. Oh, yeah, little bear. Close it. I, I close met it that bear when he was six weeks old. <laughs> I no, can't get her to stop. There she is. Yeah, I closed the door on her. Okay. <laughs> oh, what a full day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was so wonderful. I really enjoyed it all day long. Me too. And just so much gratitude. I had a really fun aha when you were playing the Hyperborean 
the Atlantis piece and about the Hyperboreans. Yeah. And and you said they went to this place that these people and became the the Tiwapa Bidia. In Tiwa got me right away because it's the mystic language that's used with the this Native American mystic Joseph Rael talks about he he just uses the language. He said this language is Tiwa and it's not and you know, it's very, very ancient. And and I was like, Oh my gosh, it's Tiwa <laughs> So that there was those people then became the druids and so that was like placing all that and and it was just really fun to have that aha, so I thought I'd share it. <laughs> yeah, and Rainbird, the Native American culture goes back to Atlantis. That's the same. That's their brothers and sisters. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally got that. Yeah. Plus, they're the, they're the, they're, they're, they're the Pleiadians, so they were connected that way as and well. Pleiadians, yeah, I remember being told today that... Um, Pleiadian, Pleiades, Ceres, and Arcturus are, are the, the core of the representatives from the galactic worlds on our planet. They really do represent a, a substance of core, uh, teachings on our planet. And I'm very familiar with all three of those. Yeah, yeah, we, that's what we heard today. So that was just wonderful. So much, so rich today. It's like we're all on our same page. We're all on the same page. Everybody's realizing something is up in the zoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish it was everybody. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. I know Don and Doug are saying, oh, these other critters are going to whoop up something else for us to look at. I'll just say, call them all in. Call them all angels. Yeah. It's the Starfleet Command. Yeah, yeah. So very exciting, very busy, very stretching. <laughs> I feel stretched. <laughs> I do too, but it's just been it's been it's very exciting. All of these ones that we've been following, and they're all saying pretty much, yeah, we're we're yeah. doing it. We're doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're doing it. So great show, and I pass this talking stick over to you with all those eagles and condor feathers right on it. So here it comes, Rama. Okay. So what do you have for us tonight, Rama? This is Alan Watts, The Acceptance of Everything Flowing Away. Oh, Okay. Nothing is more terrifying than the state of chronic anxiety which one has if you are subject to the illusion that something or other in life could be held onto and safeguarded. And nothing can. So the acceptance of uh, everything flowing away is absolutely basic to freedom, to being uh, an unsui, a cloud water person who drifts like cloud and flows like water. But in this, 
we mustn't take ourselves too ridiculously. I mean, naturally, all human beings have in them a certain clinging. See, you can't let go totally. You wouldn't be human if you did. You can't be just a leaf on the wind, or just a ball in a mountain stream, to use a Zen poetic phrase. Because if you were that, you wouldn't be human. Just as I pointed out that a person with no emotions, who has completely controlled his emotions, is a stone Buddha. So a person who would be completely let go would also be some kind of an inanimate object. So Zen very definitely emphasizes uh, being human, being perfectly human as its ideal. And so to be perfectly human, one must have not a state of absolute detachment, but a state of detachment which contains a little bit of resistance, a certain clinging still. They say in India of Jiva Mukta, a man who is liberated in this world, that he has to cultivate a few mild bad habits in order to stay in the body. Because if he were absolutely perfect, he would disappear from manifestation. And so uh, the, the, uh, the yogi, great yogis, maybe he smokes a cigarette or has a bad temper occasionally. It's something that keeps him human. And that thing, little thing is very important. It's like the salt in a stew. Uh, it's, it's, it's the, it grounds him. Well, this is another way of saying that uh, even a very great sage, a great Buddha, will have in him a touch of regret that life is fleeting. Because if he doesn't have that touch of regret, he's not human, and he is incapable of compassion towards people who regret very much that life is fleeting. So the mood aware is that touch of regret of nostalgia, of, you know that poem which speaks of the feeling of a banquet hall deserted. Here it is, there's been a great banquet, you know, and it's where all the guests have gone home, and there are empty glasses and dirty plates and crushed napkins and all sorts of things all over, and somehow the echo of voices and merriment is still there. And so this mood, aware comes up. So even a very great person, uh, you shouldn't feel that, because the price otherwise is not to be human. Thank you for your kindness, everyone, and for the sharing that we get to do every week. It does wonders. And I just thought that Caroline made it really clear that we are very powerful. And when we do something together like this, it affects the whole of creation. So much it be. Blessed be. In Salah and Satnam. And so it is. Satnam Ji. Thirteen thank yous, honey in the heart. No evil. Until we meet again and come and join us tomorrow. And Monday, I haven't given this out for a long time, but I'll just say it real quick. I know the time has 
has taken its turn here. Um, just take a, one second here. At 7 p.m. Mountain, that's 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, the number is, when we do this kind of work together, it really does move powerfully uh, and expand powerfully all that we can be together. So the number here is 425-436-6260, and the PIN code is 946-7441-POUND, 946-7441-POUND. See you manana, and in your hearts and in your dreams. So aloha for now. Namaste. Mahalo, Nui Loa.